Molly, Miss Molly? Where did that come from? It doesn't matter. This is episode 139 of the Warhammer 40,000 podcast that is known throughout the internet as Lookout Sir. My name is Dan, and it's that bit where I take it upon myself to say hello to my special friend, my super buddy, my very special pal, good old Phil. How's it going, brother? I'm good, thank you very much. How are you? I'm alright, mate. Not bad at all. Um, I'm excited. We got Kill Team recently, didn't we, Phil? Kill Team? Kill Team? We did. The the peer pressure of our Patreons forced us to buy um, Kill Team Into the Dark, uh, which I which has arrived yesterday at my house, much to the arson of my, my wife uh, for having another big box of Warhammer. Um, but yes, that now lives in the shed. It is heavy. It is a heavy box. You can uh, tell her that, you know, a portion of that box belongs uh, to me. I, so. I did, I did, I, did I, tried to, I tried to smooth it over by saying that, and she was like, make sure it happens. <laughs> um, make sure this leaves my home. Basically, um, yes. No, nah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, mate. I mean, I need to work out how I'm going to get to you uh, to grab said croot. Uh, at some point, I'll come over and uh, and we'll make that make sense. Um, and then, yeah, I'll get uh, I'll get painting. Yeah, I'll 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 try and um, yeah get my, get the stuff and the, the scenery. I've got to paint up as well. So I've got a few. There's a, there was actually in the White Dwarf issue uh, a few good like little color schemes. I was going to take a photo nice. and send it to you because there's a kind of more like a the classic one that everyone's been doing is like slightly. Like dark blue navy color. Um, oh, this for the Imperial Navy. I thought you were oh, talking no, no, recruitment. No, no, it. sorry. I'm talking about the scenery, so the walls and ah, stuff. But yes, ah. it is a dark bluey, like the Imperial Navy color scheme for the walls. Uh, there's another one which I quite like, is a kind of white, creamy brown color, which is a bit more in line with how you used to see Zone Mortalis be painted up. So I'm, I'm almost veering to that one, but both of them do look good. So I'll, I'll send you the photos and we can agree between us which which scheme to go for mate in terms of the terrain it's all on you as far as i'm concerned i mean all i would do if i were you is i would spray them silver i would then put a bunch of silly putty over places where i didn't want the silver to not be silver anymore then i'd just spray spot colors of like you know blues and reds or whatever um and then probably go over the top with a really light like spray of uh silver and then i'd just get a load of streaking grime and just pour it mm. well, my, my and plan just was to done. do either streaking grime or just my usual oil wash method of of doing yeah, that. Yeah, because yeah. because I, I think with the cream one especially that looks really good because it makes it mm. nice and sort of brown and dirty and looks quite um, quite appropriate. Um, yeah. yeah, I've seen seen some good. So I, I believe though that the basically the fittings are so tight that basically you can't get any paint whatsoever on any of like the peg bits uh, because they're a pain. And apparently it sounds like it's, it's I, I want to say badly designed because the the tolerances for the fits is so much that it's a struggle even when they're unpainted to like slot them in and out. Like then they're, they're not uh. they're, they're like so tight to be robust they're like almost perfectly millimeter accurate but that's almost like too good you needed it what the peg bits to be slightly smaller so actually there's a bit of a wiggle room and give but in a way it makes it really solid so some people have said once it's all built you can literally like lift the whole thing up as one piece because it's that sort of solid but then at the same time it sounds like you've got to like really put a lot of force into then removing those bits and on a painted 
piece of terrain that might be you're you're rubbing bits of paint off because you're like gripping it can we, so hard. Can we not just work it into a series of like universal shapes though, right? Like just do a few L's, maybe, you know, and and uh, of differing you know, one one bit of wall and then free and just do a bunch Possibly, of those. Possibly, yeah. But it, it's done where every component sort of breaks down into individual bits and every map has like literally uh, this is this is shape C one wall that goes next to A five. It it sounds like you'll be spending a good twenty, thirty minutes just building the table uh in comparison to you know zone more tiles where you know you've if you've already got it all pre-built it's like okay here's a tile here's a tile here's a tile done yeah all right well there you go top shelf um other things that are potentially uh you know tight and frustrating are uh demons i hear and uh, to mark that occasion, we're going to talk about them, aren't we, Phil? That's what we're doing this episode, right? Exactly. Demons, demons. This yeah, episode demons. is Chaos Demons. Uh, but not before a five-star review. Come on now, Timmy. You've got your orders. You've got to do it. Uh, but, but I don't want to, sir. You've got your orders. Now get up there, get over that trench, and get me that five-star review and get it back here right away. Uh, okay, sir. Despite me saying that I wasn't interested in continuing to ask Phil where I get the five-star reviews from, I haven't thought of anything else to do, so this is how it's going to go from here till probably the end of my time, at least. Uh, Phil, I suppose all your time as well, Phil, because I can't rightly ask you after you're deceased. Uh, no, what true. did Where did the five-star crew? I suppose I could, I could uh, stand by your to, grave. To, to a little Phil. seance, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> imagine that. i'm moving it to the ouija to, board the, the ouija board basically says facebook audible uh itunes and then underneath it's a map of the world so that's yes, my choices yeah, yeah, yeah. basically that's it basically um, yeah, yeah today i'm moving the little puck to uh i'm gonna say audible of england Audible of England. No, it's not Audible of England. It's Apple Podcasts of England or Great Britain. No, uh, particularly 50% right. Well, you know, we can't assert that uh, this individual resides within England. I mean, England... No, it's the United Kingdom. United exactly. Kingdom. Exactly. The United Kingdom of Great Britain. Um, anyway, let's get on with uh, this uh, five-star review. So this comes by way of Apple Podcasts of Great Britain uh, and comes from an individual called... Tao John. Good old Tao John. What do you suspect is his favourite army, Phil? Tao John? Mm -hmm. What do you reckon? Almost certainly. Definitely a Blood Angels player. Um, So Tao John has left us this lovely five-star review, and it reads, Damn it, Phil! Five stars. As is, of course, as I haven't said recently, a prerequisite of appearing here in the five-star review segment. And if you would like to be like Tao John, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever uh, you are able. Um, Alternatively, you could become a patron, because people are, and you could be too. It doesn't really get you anything. We don't even call out the patrons. We're awful. No, I know. We've had some new ones. We should really call them out and um, name name check them as a roll call um, when when we We get new people. But you do have the power to make us buy Kill Team. So that is something that the patrons have done. They asked, they spoke, they demanded even, uh, or they actually politely wrote to us. And I passed the message on to Dan. Dan was like, yeah, we should probably do that. So let's do that. So that is what is happening directly because of our dear, old and young patrons. 
exactly. God bless them all. Uh, and there's merchandise as well. Um, but that's me shilling out of the way. Anyway, this five-star review reads, Damn it, Phil. I'm writing this review to say thank you. That's a bit of a tonal shift. Uh, a brilliant podcast and a lovely pair of lads to talk. Okay, well, there we go. As someone that recently joined 40K Tabletop and Picked Towel, it's been rough, but you guys have really helped me enjoy the game despite despite playing an army that feels like a fork in the world of soup. Interesting. I suppose this must have come at a time before the new towel rules had come out. In fact, I can tell it has because this is November of 2021. Oh, how times have changed, but um, I digress. Uh, good chemistry and a fantastic podcast. If you love 40k, you will love this, despite Phil being an uncultured swine and not understanding a Legacy of Cain reference. Oh, Phil, how do you not understand Legacy of Cain references? I I, I, I still don't know what that is, so I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of an appropriately obscure Legacy of Cain reference uh, I could have thrown at you in response to that. Maybe sometimes, Phil, a coin. <laughs> this doesn't work. A coin lands on its edge. I don't know. We'll go with that. That's a thing that Kane said once to Raziel. Oh, okay. Yeah. You flip a coin enough times, maybe one day it lands on its it edge. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Um, really, really good story, Phil. Uh, not necessarily the best gameplay you're going to experience anywhere at, at these days, but um, camera controls in defiance. My goodness. But um, love the story. My God, it was like one of those things. So I got um, Soul Reaver 2 back in like 2002 or 2003 or whatever it was. I immediately was like, this is pretty amazing. And then went back and played all the other games, even Blood Omen 2, which was like mm, at the time. But um, yeah, oh, what, what a time. Anyway, <laughs> Phil, elaborate and say thank you to Tao John and then we'll move on with our lives. Uh, okay, thank you, Tao John. Uh, appreciate the, the shout outs. Glad that you like it podcast uh i don't know how you end up picking taolo neither of us uh tau advocates so maybe you didn't listen hard enough to to the episodes in question um but anyway glad you are on the 40k bandwagon uh glad you are enjoying tau maybe you're gonna have a crute army maybe secretly you're a, a fanboy of the crute and you're you're tau adjacent really and that you're really gonna get into crutes because that's that's what I would love. I would love to see more Taucrute about. But thanks, thanks for the review. It's very nice. It would be super cool, wouldn't it, if uh, more people really got into the Crute side of things? I'm still incredibly hopeful that we get a Crute army. Uh, uh, so, so what was really interesting is I watched an old interview. I can't remember how it came about, but they were talking about when they created uh, Tau. It was very much a... They were coming up with some army concepts. They were pitching a bunch. Tau and Crute were both in the running to be the new army. And for whatever reason, they pivoted into Tau. Um, but they amalgamated the Crute into them. Uh, so they kind of got, you know, a two-for-one option. But Crute were always kind of meant to be mercenaries originally. So it'd be great if they will one day get a kind of almost like a Crute mercenaries. Because you could have... Um, you know, Crute as part of the Tower Empire and then Crute Mercenaries, which is like a standalone force using the same model line, but also with other stuff as well. So the Crute Mercenaries from Kill Team are meant to be more like rogue Crute, not necessarily in there as part of the Tower faction. So it'd be great to to, to see that one day as, as a fully formed out army. 
because they, they did a load of stuff for um forge world basically did a bunch of models for them as well that'd be great to see come across in plastic and speaking of which do you know because remember we had a comment talking about the demiurg and about how someone said that they weren't squats but it turns out they are because i've watched a warhammer plus um law video for leagues of votan and about how the the demiurg are effectively part of the votan or like a sort of sister group of you know i say squats um and squats is just a name given to them by the humans so leagues of votan is the the overall name but there's all these other names throughout and demiog was one of them so it's interesting that demiog are actually officially uh squats slash votan but just the tower the ones that have interacted with the tower um and a similar thing with how you could potentially have different types of crew and obviously the crew we know are the ones that are pejoratively aligned with the tower but there could be others out there that could be rogue rogue crew that's what i want mate would love it would absolutely love it but there we go thank you so much tau john you're an absolute saint and a scholar and we appreciate your support um and hopefully we have continued to entertain and excite you as we can uh continue to produce episodes of lookout sir in the nearly 12 months that has transpired between you leaving us this review and us now talking about it although not quite 12 10 months 10 months hope, hope you're uh, still with us exactly hope we haven't upset you with all of our negativeness uh over the years <laughs> oh how we've changed phil well you know this is what's uh, and cynical and that's older it. and greyer. That's how it is. That's how it is. We're, we're just angry at the world now. Look at all these kids having fun. Brrr, brrr, that won't do. Anyway, Old Men la- Yells at Clouds, episode 139. Yes, off to play <laughs> with our Napoleonics now. Mate, it's coming. It's coming. Counting down the days. Transitional noise. <laughs> Why, hello there, everybody. We're going to talk about demons, because of course we are. Why wouldn't we be? I mean, it's not like Leagues of Votan is what every other content creator slash podcaster is talking about right now. Clearly, you're sick to death of hearing all of the various things about those pesky squats and their insanely broken rules. So me and Phil thought it was only right that we took it upon ourselves to get around to finally reviewing what seems like a relatively underpublicized Codex, although I don't know. Did it feel underpublicized, Phil? Have you seen many people talking about Chaos Demons when they came about? Not really. Obviously, there are a few people talking about it. It made a tiny splash, not the big sploosh that uh, you want them to be making. Yeah, compared to the Votan. The Votan definitely seem to have uh, gained some solid momentum. You know, all the uh, the peeps that talk about stuff seem to be really into them. But the Demons, maybe it was just because they came out in, like, I don't know late Augusty time. Maybe it was just the summer. People were, you know, out enjoying the last moments of, uh, of warmth and uh, sunshine before, you know, the great dark winter descends upon us. So uh, maybe that's what occurred. No, that could be the case for sure. I mean, us 40k gamers are well known for going wild in the summertime. You know, you can always find us, you know, propping up the bar, hanging out at the clubs, Going mad on the dance floor. These are the sorts of things we do on the reg. Well, you know, you joke, but I think we all know what it's like when we're at an after party at Warhammer World. Oof. Oof. I mean, my goodness. If there were any women there, 
Oh, they'd be impressed. <laughs> uh, that's true. Ah, uh, well, indeed. Anyway, long story short, we are going to talk about Codex Chaos Demons in the way that we normally do, which is to say we have not actually read, played, or seen anything about this book prior to reading it here today, well, which is that, you know, feat. T- 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 in my defense, I have skimmed it, so I, I know the layouts oh, okay. and, and spoilers. The layout has changed in a very interesting way, uh, which we'll get onto in a bit. Um, but, but otherwise, yeah, I haven't actually read any of the rules. Why would I do that? No, exactly. I consulted uh, with my friend Dean, who is a extraordinarily talented and capable demons player. I said to Dean, I said, Dean... Tell me what you took uh, to win games with demons, and he did. I didn't really understand why, but I at least have a frame of reference for what is good. So says a man who, within a week of this book existing, went to an RTT and won using demons. Because if I haven't made it clear, he's very good with demons. He was good with demons before demons were good. Oh, so well, that is good. I, I like how you shunned our other demons playing friend, uh, Big Phil from uh, Rapid Firewall Gaming. Does he not? Does he not deserve a, a, a you know a chit chat, little debrief about the codex? No. Oh, okay. Is he rubbish at it? Is that it? Is that what you're saying? It's not that he's rubbish at it. You're just saying he's that because just... he's a big man. No, no, no he's not here. Not he's not in the room with you. You can you can say what you mean. He's always he's ever present, mate. You know he's uh, Lo- looming over you. Exactly, he's made a lasting impact on me. I'll never quite, you know, <laughs> oh, I'll never quite be what, rid of him. What happened the last time you played? Ooh, uh, you know, he's uh, he's buried deep inside me. I won't <laughs> tell you how. You're still feeling it for sure. I, <laughs> I have, I have definitely, definitely. I've got one of those uh, cushions with a hole in the middle. You know, like the <laughs> okay, one that's polo too, too much. That's... <laughs> we were doing very well to like. You know, totally oh, yeah, line, to it. but you just went straight over it. That's true. Maybe I'll edit it so as to remove the uh, the offending material. We'll see. Um, anyway, so we're going to quick chat about the Codex cover and the lovely artwork that it is. Oh, as is customary. I, I got to say this right, like the this. I don't like it as much as GSE and Mechanicus, right? Because those are special. Those are special, special little boys. But uh, this is a flipping good cover. I mean, it is it is a challenge to make um, the forces of the demons and all of their different flavors seem cohesive, especially when also attempting to express some of the more kind of theatrical aspects of these. And I think these guys have just done an excellent job. I think what's really beautiful about this is the more you look at it, the more you kind of unveil as you as you um, as you as you sort of you know glance at all the details. It's it's a it's a really, really excellent piece that is something that you can spend a lot of time pouring over the details, and I think it. I think that is a uh, a really great thing to see. Uh, I'm surprised corn aren't nearer the front. Uh, you know, it's interesting that the dude, you know, chugging along on his massive juggernaut is kind of in the background. It sort of feels like that might have uh, come closer to the fore. But yeah, you. Uh, well, uh, I think they're always stereotypically the go-to. They're like the space marines, right? Of the chaos uh, factions. They're the ones like mm. horns, always the generic one. So it's nice that they've kind of shoved them to the back. And what I like about it is, as you say, I noticed the bloodletter early on, but then I was like, oh, he's actually riding something as well. Like, there's definitely lots of little bits of cool detail. Um, 
He's like the pink horror, and he's uh, casting like a little psychic shield uh, to protect himself from a bolt of fire. And then you realise right at the front there's some sisters uh, of battle, like hanging out there, getting impaled or doing some shooting. And then even like the pink horror seems to be like charging himself up with a little lightning bolt, which is cool. It's very I mean, evocative and uh, uses light in a very clever way to draw your eye to certain bits of the the page. I mean, going back to our earlier established kind of uh, filth theme, Phil, not that I want to dwell too much on this, though. Brave decision to go with the uh, the tentacle attack on the sisters there. I mean, that is... Uh, that is a uh, that is a bold move, Cotton. Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there's definitely uh subgenres of animated entertainment that uh, they've clearly drawn inspiration from uh when having that uh, poor sister uh enveloped in tentacles as she is. Uh in for a good old afternoon, I'm sure. Oh <laughs> uh, well I bet. Yeah. It's... Yeah, exactly. I'm sure it won't be fun. But um yeah, look, I mean, I think, yeah, really cool looking cover. Uh, you know, tentacles notwithstanding, it's, uh, yeah, it does the business and um, does a great job of uh, showcasing all of the kind of demons. I think I think the only one of the collection that lets it down is the actual central figure, which is the, 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 the plague bearer. I think that's actually one of the more underwhelming additions. He just sort of seems very kind of static, like he's kind of just been sort of shoehorned in. It's like... You know, you got all the other ones in their signature poses, demonettes kind of, you know, smashing up uh, sisters, uh, pink horrors using their magical shields and, uh, you know, psychic powers to, you know, keep away bolt shells, blood crushers smashing in the back, being all crazy what? as skulls fly in, and then plague bearers there going, D- yeah. Just doing a cool pose. But I do like the little nurglings running uh, down by the feet. That's very cool. Yes. I can't quite make out what the thing is behind uh, the pink horror. I think that is a blue horror. Um, so oh. I think that, or it's a, or it's another pink horror or a blue horror. Maybe I it's think a- it actually is another pink horror, actually. Pink horror turning into a blue horror, maybe. Oh, yeah, that could also be true. It could be splitting out. Of oh, it is. It, yeah, actually, it's got the same eyes and nose as the pink horror, but the the hand bit is all blue. But I think that, as you say, could just be it's casting um, the power. Yeah, I think that's the... Yeah, I think, well, that or it's the, the blue coming out of him. But, uh, mm, mate, look, honestly, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a cracking cover. Um, I'll give it a... Uh, yeah, it's in the upper echelon. This is uh, high praise indeed uh, in terms of, um, you know, what they've done here. I think as well, like you say, like, just as you go into the details and you see all of the really, like, crazy, like, Cronenberg-esque, um, you know, kind of, like, details that are within. It's uh, it's pretty great. And to be fair, that artwork and that kind of, that visual really runs throughout. They've done an amazing job of sourcing or crafting new artwork or using existing artwork that just really gets across the kind of almost, uh, you know, kind of Lovecraftian sort of horror of the warp throughout, really. I mean, there's some really grotesque, but also really, you know, I don't know, just, I mean, it's compelling the right word, evocative, just a really nice looking stuff. It's, it, it's a, it's a real demonstration of how incredible Games Workshop can, uh, Make their uh, make their publications when they really put their mind to it. It's got some got some great stuff. It's all I'm hmm. going to say. 
There's, there's even a cool Inquisitor image uh, in one of the pages because he's uh, yeah, I saw that, t- yeah. talking 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 about the the, the Nurgles and the, and, the, and the demons. Um, and there's a cool little map talking about the Eye of Terror, and it's got the the husk of Cadia in there, which I quite like. And the former site of the Cadian Gates. So that is cool to see the the, you, the carnage. Have you made your Have you made your way over to page twenty six slash twenty seven yet? The war zone. Uh, Perisophon, I think it's the uh, pronunciation. Some gorgeous pieces in there. They've got oh, like, um, yeah, yeah it's Ooh, a really like incredible. Bird, Birdman on the right hand yeah. side, and sort of, yeah. Oh, I've not actually read it, but it almost looks like what you'd imagine some kind of weird dark Mechanicum would be, because it's definitely got yeah. some Mechanicum vibes to it, but then also looks completely not that either. So, yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah, no, honestly, there's just some incredible stuff in this. I think, again, they've got, like, images of, um, you know, they've got images of uh, some of the world. So there's, like, you know, pictures of ships floating through the warp as they pass through, like, one of the gardens of Nurgle and all the rest. It's just, yeah, look, long story short, between the photography, the uh, illustrations, as is often the way with Games Workshop, they they really struggle to make bad books at the moment when it comes to this uh, edition of Warhammer Forty Thousand. It's um it's the benefit of having been in the business of uh, you know elaborating your fantasy universe over the span of however many years it's been now in excess of thirty, I believe. So yeah, I mean it's um forty, it's I think. Extra- possibly, mm. yeah. I mean, it just it's yeah it's extraordinary. It's a really gorgeous book. Um, yeah, I've got got a lot of. A lot of praise for it. But um, anyway, we're not here to talk about all of that, although we just have. We're here to talk about some rules, I suppose. That's the thing that people want to talk about. So how do you want to start, mate? Should we do the usual detachment abilities, try and work it out from there? Yeah, so, yeah, page 53 is the detachment abilities. Um, what is interesting, you'll see very soon, uh, is it's effectively uh, five codexes in one You've got uh, the four Chaos Gods plus Bellicor, which seems to be the sort of generic uh, stuff. And it's actually split down completely, so they are almost like mini-codexes. So you've got, you know, the stratagems, warlord traits for each god, plus you've actually got all the data sheets for that god in one place, uh, which is quite interesting and a bit unusual. Um, but it does mean the layout has changed, which is quite interesting. Um, we, I guess we should get on with it and go through the detachment abilities. Yeah, seems logical. So a Legion Demonica, which I suppose is now uh, the uh, usual, um, you know, Games Workshop uh, Latin for uh, for whatever demons are. Yes, so Legion is saying Chaos Demons is le- Legion, yeah, Legion's Demonica. Legion's Demonica um, is one that only includes Chaos Demon keyword units, although it's not saying Chaos Demon words. Sorry, sorry, it's saying legions demonica use the right words um excluding models with agents of chaos or unaligned keywords um they gain demonic allies demonic legions and demonic relics abilities and troop units gain obsec shock horror excluding swarms excluding swarms yes sorry i should have as as a minor specific Yeah, indeed, because they do have troop units that are swarms, I guess. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't. We'll find out in a moment. I feel like Nurglings used to be troops, but they may not be anymore. 
We'll, we'll get there soon enough. Uh, demonic legions. If your army only contains legion demonica detachments and includes any greater demon units, one of these must be your warlord, unless your army also includes Bellacor. Noting that Bellacor is not a greater demon, he's a demon prince. Uh, for each greater demon unit included in a detachment, you can only include one herald uh, units with the same allegiance keyword in that detachment without that herald unit taking up a battlefield role. Oh, hang on. Have I said that correctly? For each greater demon, you can include one herald. Oh, so not only one. You can include one herald, and it basically is added without taking up a, a free slot. slot. Yeah. Yeah, so that's quite handy. Uh, you've got demonic relics, which is basically stuff that you can add, and they're all outlined, but basically each of the different gods has some of their own relics. So Korn, Zench, Nurgle... Uh, Slanish uh, have their own uh, relics. Um, so, yeah, there's ones for those. Although they're not specific about any relics for uh, Bellicor's lot. Hmm. So maybe there's a generic set of those in a moment. Um, and then lastly, you have the demonic allies. Uh, the following rules apply if you wish to include any Legion demonica units in a chaos army in which not every unit has the Legion demonica keyword. Demonic pact. If your army includes one Legionnaire's demonica Detachment and the combined power rating of all units in that detachment make up more than 25% of your army's power level. Then until the end of the battle, every unit in that detachment gains agents of chaos. Uh, sorry, no more than 25%. They gain the agents of chaos keyword. If Bellicor, uh unit is included in the detachment, this ability has no effect. Okay, so basically, Demonic Pact does not work if you put Bellacor in, so you've yeah, got to add Bellacor. so he gets his own Armies of Renowned later on, which is obviously, I presume, a reprint or an update version of the uh, Warzone uh, Armies of Renown that he had. So I think that's probably why he can't u- be used in this way. I mean, that makes logical sense as well. I mean, Bellacor is a very, uh, very jealous and uh, particular... Uh, demon who doesn't like kind of sharing with uh with others i suppose so it would make sense that it's unlikely that you could make a demonic pact with a uh individual of uh Bellicor's persuasion um although maybe i'm being wrong when i say those things um anyway long story short they gain agents of chaos so if you any under 25 percent of your army is demons uh, then they will become agents of chaos uh, which essentially means that you can add them to your army with no negative penalties um, at least, obviously, in the cases of Chaos Space Marines or Chaos Knights, uh, which is super exciting. Yeah. Uh, the inc- oh, sorry. Oh no. Uh, yes. So the inclusion of Legion Demonica Agents of Chaos Corn units in your army does not prevent World Eaters units in your army from using any rules that require every model in that army to have the same keyword. Basically, this is the same for Zench, Nurgle, and then uh, Legion Demonica Agents of Chaos Slanish units uh, does not prevent Empress Children units. So yeah. So basically. Yeah, As so, you may so or may Zinch and Thousand Sons, uh, Nurgle and Death Guard, etc. So the kind of yeah. demons, demon faction that ties with the Chaos Space Marine faction mm. merge well together, as you'd expect. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And if I'm honest with you, already one of the coolest things I've read about this army, the fact that they have actually facilitated and given us rules where we can express more of what I would consider the kind of... Uh, default chaos uh, army kind of archetype as it were i think chaos armies for me at least in 40k should be a uh, you know mix of cultists demons and a sparse 
assortment of Marines. I feel like Marines should probably be the least uh, frequent feature within hmm. any uh, within any uh, Chaos Army. So, uh, yeah, the fact that they've kind of given us rules to facilitate that is amazing. Uh, I notice we turn the page and we are gifted with yet another piece of extraordinarily... Uh, Almost overly detailed artwork, I would say, in this instance. Oh, I mean, no. this is quite old school. This hasn't even got Primaris Marines in exactly. it. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's an old piece. But normally we would flip sort of past a bunch of sections to try and find the data sheet abilities. But they are we gifted would. to us on the very next page afterwards. How and this, this could be because they finally listened to our constant decrying of how you've got to flip <laughs> back and forth in a book. Or... It's a one-off just for this book because of the weird structure in which this is effectively five mini codexes in one, which is interesting actually because AOS they have literally a army book for each of the Chaos Gods. They don't have a weird combined all-in-one book that we've got here, but maybe that's because the, the the AOS range is a bit bigger in terms of models for those individual uh, subfactions, which would be my guess. Yeah, potentially. Um, I guess as well, obviously, I guess when it comes to the Age of Sigma stuff, they've kind of gotten to a point now, haven't they, where I guess they're supporting the Chaos stuff relatively early on in the edition, whereas um, I think we're all aware that this is one of the later additions to Nipe, so maybe they just felt like they needed to uh, get it get it done, you know? Hmm. Get, it, uh, get, it, get, it, get it out there. So... Um, yeah, so we've got Allegiance keywords, malefic weapons, abilities. So um, I've said a bunch of words up to this point, Phil. Why don't you say more of them? Thanks. Uh, yeah, so Allegiance keywords, you've got the four main ones. You've got Korn, Zinch, Nurgle, Slanesh, and then also you've got the bracket Allegiance keyword. Uh, and basically, you've got to pick one of those four gods when that appears. Then we've got malefic weapons. So uh, many chaos demon weapons are malefic weapons. Uh, such a weapon will have an ability that reads malefic and then a value such as two or four. Each time the bearer fights, it makes a number of additional attacks with that weapon equal to the value and no more. Um, uh, yeah, and no more of that number of attacks can be made with that weapon while resol- resolving the fight. If a model is equipped with more than one malefic weapon, it can make additional attacks with each of the ones it's equipped with. Unless otherwise stated, malefic weapons are never affected or affect, uh, sorry, by effects or abilities that allow models to make additional attacks or abilities uh, that would add to, subtract from, or improve their characteristics in any ways. Um, so basically, if you have malefic, malefic 4, you get 4 extra attacks with that weapon, and that's it. Uh, then we've got the generic ability. So demonic has the demonic invulnerability, ma- uh, manifestation, demonic terror, and warp storms, which we go through now. So uh, demonic invulnerability, as we talked about before. Um, so I'll just summarise it. It's an invulnerable save, but it's got a different name. So stuff that ignores invulnerable saves don't ignore um, the demonic invulnerability. Uh, and I believe it tends to be different based on whether it's a melee attack or a ranged attack. So it says, this characteristic has two values. The first is used for melee attacks. It's allocated model, and the second is for ranged attacks. So what is interesting about that is it tends to be, I think, slightly better when it's being shot at and then slightly worse when it's in combat. So it's sort of countering the fact that, that you know, demon armies can sometimes just get shot off the board before they even get into combat. I don't think that's universally true, though. I think in some instances it's the other way around. I think it's based on 
specific specialisms. Like I would assert that the, uh, again, without having completely gone and checked and I can see you doing the checking. So thank you. Yeah. So, um, so Slanesh is mostly five slash four. So five up in shooting and four up in combat. Yeah. So better in, uh, better in combat. Oh, wait, than they are. Was that the right way around? Um, uh, no, yeah. First is combat. Sorry. So, yeah, okay, fine. So they're better in, they're worse in combat, but better in against shooting. But I think the reverse is true. Uh, so Nurgle tends to be 5 4 as well. I think that's probably going to be the generic. Oh, some like, uh, so uh, Horticulous Slimex is 4 4. Mm. Um, who else have we got? Uh, Which, by the ooh, way, is sort of one of those weird things. Zinch is 5 3 or 6 3. So they're so, better at being shot, or they're better um, at being... Yeah, ranged is uh, the second one, so they're much better yeah, at being yeah. shot at. Um, yeah, okay. Interesting. I think the uh, the fact is, is it's an important thing to do for demons, because obviously Games Workshop have made it clear that their intent, or one of the mechanics that they are intent on uh, you know, further uh, exploiting is the ability to ignore invulnerable saves, um, so that is quite crippling to demon players. So the fact that uh, they no longer have, uh, you know, uh, invulnerable saves, but in fact have a special type of save, um, yeah, it's pretty, yeah. Uh, pretty it, big. A, a weird though, because obviously, so things like force weapons for grey knights traditionally would ignore invulnerable saves, right? On at least on a certain role because that made them really good at killing demons, but now that's not the case. And I guess there's nothing in their book that makes them now ignore demonic invulnerable saves. Um, yeah, I guess not. Um, again, this is one of the uh, issues with the way that uh, Games Workshop write and release rules, right, is that I suppose when they decided to give demons demonic saves was probably in re- uh, response to the fact that they had decided that they were going to start you know, eradicating the functionality of invun saves through these rule changes. Um, But obviously they did the Grey Knights earlier on in the edition and hadn't made those same assertions, I suppose. So they, rather than having kind of core system mechanics that, you know, dealt with the relationship of demon hunters versus demons, just sort of end up in a weird place where it's like, ah, well, but I mean, a lot of what, um, the Grey Knight's abilities are doing against demons is more mortal wound based, I suppose. And to the best of my understanding, these uh, these invuns don't offer any durability against mortal wounds, unless I'm mistaken. Instead of a normal save characteristic, as described in the core rulebook, this characteristic yeah. has two values. Yeah, so it doesn't save you against mortal wounds, um, but an invun save wouldn't either, right? So. No, 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 not at all. So I suppose if that is the basis, then then it, it, yeah, it'll be still fine, I suppose, mm. in terms of how they've built the mechanics. So to go back on what I said earlier, maybe they have thought about it, and maybe they just use mortal wounds as the the method for uh, for circumnavigating the uh, the invun um, options. Yeah, of, possibly. Uh, uh, it's been a while since we we looked at the Grey Knights book, so we'd have to go and go back and um, have a look at it. Yeah. Now, the next rule is manifestation, and you would be forgiven for thinking it's just deep strike. And we normally always skip over this one because well, it's just deep strike, but it's not. So we're going to read this one. It's not just dr- deep strike. It doesn't seem to be from, from my initial look at it. So let's uh, see what it actually says. Okay. So it says. Could this just be a mistake, Phil? I mean, it could be. If so, oh, okay. it will be edited out right now. 
Okay. Oh, okay, fine. My, my voice is still here, I'm assuming. Um, so during deployment, you can set up this unit in the warp instead of setting up on the battlefield. Sounds a bit like Deep Strike. If you yeah, do so, so got then, the same ring to it. then in the reinforcement step of one of your movement phases, you can set this unit up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches away from an enemy model or more than six inches away from any enemy model and hold you within six inches of a friendly warp locus model. That's a keyword. Um, that was on the battlefield at the start of your turn. If that warp locus model has an allegiance ability, uh, sorry, allegiance keyword, i.e. Korn, Zinch, uh, Nurgle, or Sanesh, the unit being set up can only use this ability if it has the same allegiance keyword. If every unit from your army has the legionnaire's demonica keyword, then in the reinforcement step of one of your movement faces, you can instead select, um, you can instead set up this unit anywhere on the battlefield with one of the following restrictions. Uh, so wholly within your deployment zone and more than three inches away from any enemy models, or neither wholly within your deployment zone nor within your opponent's deployment zone and more than a number of inches away from each enemy unit equal to the current leadership characteristic of that enemy unit to a minimum of three inches and a maximum of nine inches. So basically you can deploy either in your deployment zone three inches away or in the no man's land of neither person's deployment zone based on that unit's uh, leadership. So if they've got leadership of five, you could deploy five inches away. If they've got leadership 10 they can deploy nine inches away. Um, so that's interesting that the, the, the easier to scare a unit is, the closer you can be when you deep strike, which is pretty huge, uh, but you can't do this when you're treating them as uh, agents of chaos. You can only do this if your whole army is the Legiones Demonica keyword. It's a shame that they uh, didn't allow it to go beyond nine. Like on those games where they're playing custodies and they have to be 11 away. Yeah. In a way that would actually be an interesting game. Well, if you're just playing against chaos, if you're just playing against custodies, you're kind of getting screwed there. Right. Because all of a sudden you've got to deploy like 11 inches away, which seems a bit unfair. But then at the same time, if you're deploying, if you're fighting against an army of Gretchen, say, and their leadership's six, <laughs> then because, those people exist, right? Uh, then, then all of a sudden, yeah, I can deep strike everything six inches away. Ha ha ha! Isn't that unfair? Although that seems very unlikely to ever be the case. Tends to be an army would have a mix of uh, leadership values. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame in a way that uh, by becoming agents of chaos, they don't synergize or allow them to use this ability. Because you could imagine if you were rocking like night lords and you were doing a load of stuff to. Uh, you know, reduce leadership values, and then Ooh, uh, yeah. and then bring them in. That would be really cool. I mean, they do have the demonic terror ability, which is the next ability. But and I assume there probably is some stuff in here that kind of affects people's leadership because that's only logical that uh, you know demons would would have that effect on people. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, it feels like something that would have been really cool if you could have uh, synergized it a bit more with you know units of. Uh, night lords in particular yeah, or other kind I mean, of scary things the the other interesting one is you can deploy six inches away from enemy models if you're wholly within a six inches of a warp locus model so i guess we mm. need to see what those models are i presume standard bearer type 
models or locusts psychic specifically, characters. Locusts have in the past typically been the heralds. Uh, yes, the okay, that, that would be my locusts. guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they've been historically. They may have uh, extended it to include some other ones. We'll, we'll get to that, I suppose, in a bit. But So yeah, that's a bit, cool regardless, way of though, right? circumventing those rules. Yeah, yeah and it, I mean, it's it's pretty big. And it, and again, it, it, it's another justification for why it's worth, you know, using that free slot to bring in a, uh, you know, a, 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 a um, you know, a locust model, like a herald or whatever, because that's a big advantage, especially if you're going to go quite corn centric, you know, if you're going to bring mm-hmm. like a big unit of blood letters, the idea, well, I think blood letters are now capped at 10 man units. I don't think you can take big units of them anymore, but the fact that you can bring a blood letter unit in and, uh, you know, have it arrive within six of the, the locusts would be, uh, yeah, pretty, um, pretty mad. And I imagine there's some very strong, um, well, things like, was it Skull Taker? Was their named, um, their named, uh, Herald before? I imagine he's still mm. pretty ridiculous. So, uh, he's probably more ridiculous to be fair. So, uh, yeah, I can you already start to imagine the, uh, the synergies. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, and then the last ability is uh, Warp Storm. Uh, so they basically turn the page and read a double-page spread all about Warp Storm and what that ability does. There's Warp Storm. There is the Demonic Terror, which we didn't talk about, even though we Oh, sorry. I, we, we skipped that out, yes, because we briefly talked about it. Uh, yes, while an enemy unit is within six inches of this unit, subtract one from the enemy unit's leadership characteristic and subtract one from any combat and test taken for that enemy unit. And there's your Krieg, in which case you ignore that bit. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Or Great. Space Marines. Or kind of almost anything. Almost anything. Just, yeah. But Krieg as well, Phil. But especially Krieg, exactly. Especially Kriegs. Krieg do it better than anyone. They really don't, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Okay. So there's, a, uh, there's some real wounds there. I know. I'm still I'm still smarting, but you know, new codex can't be that far away. That's um, it. Who knows what we get? Not the Creed codex of your dreams, though. N- no, because I imagine it'll, at most it'll be like a a footnote as a regiment ability, and so, you know, maybe the, I don't know. Do we even get? We got a new plastic unit? kit, mate. They'll probably get something. Well, yeah, but a plastic kit is called veteran guardsman. So is that going to be a Krieg specific faction box keyworded, or is it just it's a veteran guardsman kit that everyone can have? I mean, who knows how they're going to do it? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a puzzling quandary. Indeed, a question for another time. Let's talk warp storms. Um, how does warp storm work? I hear you ask. Do you want me to read it, or would you prefer? To I, do so? I don't mind. I thought you were going to throw it my way because it's a lot of reading. It's all right. I'll, do, I'll I'll take a punt. I'll you, I'll put my dyslexic brain to good use. And, <laughs> okay. And try we my we best. can do the the individual god bits. Uh, we can alternate them. How about that? I feel like I feel like that's fair. So we have if every unit in your army is a demon, um, excluding agents of chaos or unaligned. Uh, at the start of each battle round, you can make a warp storm roll. To do so, roll eight eight d six for each four plus gain one warp storm point or WSP. Ooh, WSPs can also be gained via other rules or abilities. No matter the source, you can only gain WSPs from such a rule if every unit in your army has the Legioness, Legioness, Legion Demonica keyword. 
excluding agents of chaos or unaligned keywords. Warp storm points or WSPs can be spent during that battle round on the warp storm effects listed below and opposite. And each will spe- uh, specify when it can be used. These include a series of effects themed around each of the four dark gods, which can be used if your army contains a detachment dedicated to the appropriate dark god. Good god, this keeps going on. Um, (laughs) Each effect has an associated warp storm points cost, because of course it does. If you do not have enough warp storm points, or WSPs, um, which is, by the way, an acronym that they introduced at the start and have never used ever throughout this entire <laughs> thing. They, uh, no, they do when they're oh, they talking about below. the points below. Yeah. Oh, they do. Even they though do. it's yeah. like, it's kind of, uh, yes, I would have guessed that's what the warp storm points is. Yes. Well, yeah, but now, you, you know, you know for sure. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Unless otherwise specified, you can only use, uh, you can use the same warp storm effect multiple times. Oh no, Jesus Christ. Unless otherwise specified, you can use the same warp storm effect multiple times over the course of the battle. But you cannot use the same warp storm effect more than once per battle round. That's right. You should have, should have led with that bit, Games Workshop, and then just said, yeah. but you can do it multiple times over the course of the battle. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was assuming because that's the usual established language. Yes. And exactly. I used my, uh, I used my, um, you know, my dyslexic cheat, which is, I, yeah, I used my predictive uh, version and then hoped that I was right, and I wasn't. Any spent Warstorm points are deducted from your total. Strong. If an effect <laughs> instructs you to return any destroyed models to a unit, a return model cannot be set up within engagement range of any enemy units unless those enemy units are already within engagement range of this unit or its unit. Uh, and at the end of each battle round, unless otherwise specified, any unspent Warstorm points are lost. Some abilities will allow you to retain Warstorm points. Each ability will specify how many Warstorm points can be retained. Retain Warstorm points are not lost at the end of the battle round. Core blimey, right? So all of those words to basically say, roll 8d6, because why not? For every well, four points. Uh, the eight points is the chaos symbol. Oh, look at you on point. Law genius, Richie, stick that as an end of year quiz question because then I can get it. But obviously, Joe will beat me to the buzzer and and get it as well. Well, no, I think we're changing the format, but again, we need to have a meeting about that. Okay, um, we'll talk about that later. Later, we will talk about that later. Anyway, the point is, is that basically roll eight d six, and for every four plus, you get a point. And then, what do points make? They make warp storms, chaos, uh, chaos prizes. Yes. Yes, boons, boons, or whatever they were called in older editions. The point is, you get an accumulation of points, and then you can spend them against abilities, and that these abilities trigger at different times. What well, do they always trigger in your command phase? Uh, these ones you can do any time you want, I think. Any time. You do yeah. them any old bloody time. I mean, it would make they... sense to restrict it to um, your command phase, but I suspect there are some that you do in your opponent's phase as well as yours. Almost certainly. Anyway, the long story short is is there's a bunch of extra f- stuff that can happen, um, and Phil's going to tell us about the undivided yeah. things. Yeah, so do you just want to pick like one each and be quick? Yeah, about I think this? so. I, don't, okay. I, I think we I think we should do the most expensive one, and or basically like one of the one. most expensive, one of the cheapest. So that they range from two to five, um, five only being for undivided. Um, and if you think about it, if you're rolling eight d six on a four plus, your average will be four per battle. Uh, 
battle ground uh but obviously you could potentially save some up if you have abilities is what it was implying uh so i'll do the first one for undivided which is dark invigoration which is the whopping five wsp um use this effect at the start of your morale phase one model in each legiones demonica unit from your army can regain up to d3 lost wounds if every model in that unit has a wound characteristic of one you can uh that unit can instead uh, that unit can instead be replenished. Favorite model in a unit? Okay. Uh, when a unit is replenished, you can return D3 destroyed models to that unit with the full wounds remaining. Okay, so you can either gain D3 lost wounds yeah. uh, on a unit, or if it's got a wound characteristic of one, is D3 models, basically. Um, each returned model no longer counts as having been destroyed for purposes of morale test this turn, and each unit can only be replenished once per turn. Makes perfect sense. Okay, that's quite cool. So you can get a lot of models back or wounds back uh, in your army, and it's good that it works for both uh, sort of single wounds and multi wound models. It's not like one or the other, so it's a bit more. It's got a bit more utility. Handy dandy. Tell us another one, Phil. Oh, are we doing? The, I thought we were doing one each. No, oh, no, no, we're doing gods each. Oh, okay. I'll do well. I'll do the cheapest one. Um, oh, there's a few and not in order. Um, malicious misdirection for two. It is use this effect at the start of your reinforcement step of your opponent's movement phase until the end of that step. Enemy strategic reserve units can only be set up as if they were in the second battle round. Uh, so, i.e., in their own deployment zone. Interesting. I wonder how that conflicts with certain units which have abilities to count as being in a different one. I presume this would trumpet. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I guess it would pro- be. It's probably a rare rule, but I would assume it would override it, because even though you could... Because sometimes they say you could be one higher, right? So are you counting it as you're in the second battle round, but you can count it as one higher, so you're in battle round three? Or is it no matter what, you're in battle round two? And this trumps trumps all other rules. Yeah, I suppose because of the way the language works, I guess because it sort of basically is stating that you are in a specific battle round. No matter what. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, I moved up. But it doesn't matter, you're in battle round two. But I moved up. Ah, yes, but you're in battle round two. Oh, okay. So I guess, I mean, it's an interesting ability. Yeah, it's um, like uh, abilities that say you must be, you know, ballistic skill six plus, right? It's like, even if you get plus one ballistic skill, it's like, no, but it specifically says it's six plus and that's all. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's... But in those, in those instances, in those instances, you still gain plus one to that, right? So if you're ballistic skill six plus and you add plus one to it, you do become ballistic skill five, unless it's specifically like Overwatch, which is unmodified sixes yeah so i guess that's the thing it's like does yeah maybe it's in fact that's actually not even true for overwatch though right because i think overwatch you just become blissful six maybe uh no because you don't have well you become uh you can only hit on a six plus and that can't be modified yeah fine fine unless there's a rule that explicitly says it can be yes indeed because they do love consistently breaking the rules um it's one of their most consistent features of game design. We created all these rules. Throw that out the window. <laughs> Get on with it. All right, corn. They've got two fours, but I'm going to go with the top one on the list, which is Fury of Corn. Um, use this effect at the start of the fight phase until the end of that phase. Add one to the attack characteristics of corn demon units. Blimey. I mean, 
that's pretty gnarly, isn't it? It's like, mm. I've got a bunch of loopy guys with loads of attacks. Fancy another? Yep, because yes. that's army-wide, basically. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very strong. And then next, we have Burning Terror. Use this effect at the start of your shooting phase roll. 1d6 for each enemy unit within 24 of any Legion, Corn, Demon, Thingy. Um, there's not wholly within area terrain. So um, basically, they have to be wholly within um, 24. So roll 1d6 for each enemy unit within 24 of any Corn Demon unit from your army. That is not wholly within an area terrain feature. So I'm not I'm trying to... So you is that be, the demon unit that has to be in the terrain feature? No, or the, the, thing that, the, the unit you're targeting. So you're protected effectively if you're within area terrain. Gotcha. But you've got Fine. to be wholly within, not like one in. Yeah, yeah. And then on a, on a six, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Yeah, it's all right, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've got to roll a lot of sixes for it to be worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, if you if you manage to get six on your uh, Warp Storm table and you're thinking, I'll use the four and I may as well use this for two, you never know your luck. But yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, that is a real difference, though. I mean, the difference between maybe do mortal wounds on sixes to a few units that aren't in area terrain versus plus one attack for your whole flipping corn army. Well, yeah, that's- what, what's interesting here is like, so for corn Nurgle and stuff, they specifically say you can only do this if your entire army is corn, right? But yeah, for correct. undivided, it doesn't say anything. So you could be an exclusively corn army, but still use the undivided ability. So there, that's yes. more like generic ones that everyone can use. It's not mm-hmm. specific to, say, a Bellicor detachment that has a mixture of all different demons. Obviously, those are by default restricted to only undivided, but a kind of corn or Nurgle specific army can also use them. So I think that's worth noting, I guess, so that they get access to all the others as well, not just the three that they've got here. Noted. Tell us about whatever one you're going to pick. Uh, so Nurgle, uh, swarming insects for four, uh, WSP, uh, use this effect at the start of a fight phase until the end of the phase. Each time a, uh, Legion is demonic and Nurgle unit from your army makes a melee attack, add one to the attack's hit rolls. And so it's exactly the same as the Fury of Corn. Um, and then Wave of Sickness, uh, for two, uh, use this effect at the start of your shooting phase. Roll 1d6 for each enemy unit within, uh, 12 inches of one or more Legionones Demonica Nurgle units from your army. On a six, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Um, so that's very similar to Burning Terror, but it's shorter range, and they don't get to be protected from area terrain. Mm. Oh. Mm. No. Okay, I, I, I'm spotting a trend here. It, it, they're mostly all similar, but slightly different in... Uh, in, in a narratively themed way for each of the gods. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So basically you've got, yeah, the thing that gives you, oh no, add one to the attack's hit roll in the case of Nurglees. That's all right. Oh yeah. So that was plus one, yeah, to attack hit rolls as opposed to plus one attack characteristic. Well, there we go. So in Zench, uh, use this effect. So this is the four one. Deluge, Deluge of fire. fire. Uh, add one to your ballistic skill. 
Cool. And then uh, Sorceress wins uh, for free until the end of the phase. Each Psychic Test taken for the Zench unit, add one to Psychic Test. So basically, yeah, so you can add one to your Ballistic Skill, add one to your Psychic Test, and I may as well, given that it's really quick, talk about Rampant Mutation. Uh, use this effect in the fight phase until the end of that phase. Each time a Zench demon model from your army makes a melee attack, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to any normal damage. Um, each enemy unit can only suffer a maximum of three, three, ugh, three mortal wounds. Oh, well. So, yeah, so basically unmodified sixes to wound will do mortal wounds in addition to um, any other damage. It's all right, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Uh, and then last we've got Slanesh, so Mesmerizing Dance for four points. Um, use this effect at the start of a fight phase. Until the end of the phase, each uh, Slanesh unit from your army that's within engagement range can fight first that phase. Don't, don't they have that anyway? Uh, I thought they did, but obviously they don't now, mm, I guess. Maybe not. Yeah, interesting. Um... Uh, I mean, then, that's certainly what they used to have. Yes, but or maybe it's well. If you just if you'd spoken to Big Phil, he would be able to tell you because he's that's true. I should, I should have spe- he is he is. I should have spent more time talking to Big Phil. Do you want to know something about Big Phil? He he doesn't like his demons anymore. It's not that he doesn't like his demons. I don't think he owns this book yet. Mm, I'm not surprised. Well, he's all in on Tyranids at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, but do you want to know something about Big Phil? What's that? Doesn't own the Tyranid book either. Well, he didn't initially. I assumed he'd bought oh, it by true. now. Oh, that's true. He's probably got it by now because he's yeah. off to slippery fingers, isn't he? So he's, uh, he's off to no retreat. Yeah. So here, yeah. Um, he should have had it by now for sure. Because yeah, off but he didn't have it a week ago. No, no. Um, yeah. Right. So that was one. Uh, we've then got uh, lightning speed for free. Uh, so use this effect in your movement or charge phase until the end of that turn. Each time an advance or charge roll is made, add plus one to the result. Nice. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, so basically, look, long story short, warp storms are handy. Um, in a lot of instances, they basically just amplify what you already want to do, which is precisely the sort of stuff that you want to see happen. Um, so, yeah, yeah they're well done and, there. And sort of on average, you'll be doing at least one thing, if not two, if you're lucky, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Uh, then it's broken so, down into the individual gods, uh, not gods, uh, yeah, individual god factions. Yeah, and based on that, Phil, I think it's only actually pragmatic that we actually take it upon ourselves to break this down into sections, right? Because the way they've done this, and I wasn't aware of this, is quite distinctly unique for each thing, right? So... I think it would make sense for us to break this down into sections and go through it accordingly because... Uh, yeah, you, you know. kind of need to do the corn section first, then the, you know... Is it Slanesh next or Nurgle? Uh, Zinch. Oh, wait, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and looking it. at it, yeah, there really is nothing else that is generic to everything else in this army at this point, right? It is uh, literally... Yeah, only towards the back where you've got Bellacor does it give you some of the more generic stuff. Yeah, but even Bellacor, right? Like, it, 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 he's got, like, a specific psychic 
discipline, but he doesn't have his own... And he's got an army of renown. So you've still got the Disciples of Bellacore army of renown, but he doesn't have his own relics. So nothing uh, nothing in the um, in the kind of generic Chaos Demon section is equipped with any like specific relics or anything. So yeah, so it seems logical that we're going to need to go through all of these individually. Yeah, do you know well, what, what, he, feels- what is weird with the Bellacore is under there, that's where you've got the generic demon prince of chaos and the generic soul grinder which are the two that you can pick for any of the others but uh, yeah. it's interesting that there is actually only two everything else is sort of faction specific that kind of makes sense though doesn't it yeah they used to have furies it's weird that they've gotten rid of furies uh they were always a pretty consistent um addition but i suppose they've not done fury kits in freaking forever there were um, uh, demon kits made for Horus Heresy, which I always thought were absolutely stunning. Mm. Um, as as well, I think, you know, it's odd that there's not spawn in here. Um, the, the, again, demons oh, have often yeah. had spawn. That is true. Um, I guess it's meant to be more of a, a spawn as we've converted a human yeah, into a spawn, yeah. and demon-specific wouldn't have done that, because... Well, yeah, but once upon a time, the Lord of Change and various other Zench-related things would, you know, manifest or transform their enemies into spawns. So it's sort of interesting Mm, that um, spawns didn't make the cut. Just looking out of complete curiosity on the GW website momentarily before we get into the sections of it all to see if spawns are actually represented on... No, No, they're not even retailed in the uh, chaos demon sections anymore so fair enough you know that it's not a not one of those funny little potential mistakes they legitimately have uh legitimately are not present within chaos space uh, chaos demons anymore sorry uh nor either are fiends which are which have which have gone so or furies sorry not fiends were they fiends or furies maybe they eat both whatever they were the, the harpies the fly things um they've uh They've gone away. Hmm. So, all right, fair Interesting. enough. So, which one do you want to start with, Phil? Do you want to start with do it in Let's do, do it in order. Do all right. corn. All right. The well, favoured child. We- yep. There you go. So, in which case, here's the corn section. Beautiful. The Book of Blood, everybody. Who is the Book of Blood? I have never heard of them. It's Corn Demons, isn't it? Corn. Corn Demons. The the red-blooded poster child of the Chaos Armies. They are the most metal of all of uh, the uh, the Chaos Demons. Um, That's true. They're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. I mean, straight off the bat, we get into exalted bloodthirster territory. Um, so the exalted greater demon system has been relatively prevalent with demon players for the last little while. Essentially it's a series of upgrades that makes your demons better uh, than they already are. So you can essentially, uh, choose to upgrade your bloodthirster by a amount of 40, 20 or 35 points. And in so doing they gain benefits, but what benefits Philip? Uh, so we've got uh, the Indomitable Onslaught, uh, which is 
two power level and 40 points. Uh, this model cannot lose more than eight wounds in the same phase. Any wounds that would be lost after that point are not lost. Now, this is interesting because I played a lovely chap, Frank, I believe his name was, um, at RFW2, who uh, had the exalted abilities for his bloodthirsters because he had just had like an all bloodthirster army plus the very cool big forge world one and he had to randomly roll off in those days uh, for his abilities but here you just get to pick it and that is the one you probably want to take it's the most points and gosh darn it is damn good uh so any yeah any wounds after that point uh are not lost um, Magical, it, not bad for a, forty points. No, it's yeah, it's, it's worth pointing out that you can't upgrade uh, named characters like Scarbrand. Uh, each model can only be upgraded to have uh, an exalted ability once, uh, so you can't stack all three onto one guy. Um, we've also got Master of the Blood Tide. So each time this model fights, if it made a charge move, was charged or performed heroic intervention that turn, it uh, resolves its fight at plus one strength and plus one attack. Uh, which is 20 points for one power level, and then Rage Unchained. Uh, this model is considered to have double the number of wounds remaining for the purposes of determining what the characteristics are for two power level and 35 points. So they're all kind of cool, but probably Indomitable Onslaught is the best one. Yeah, I'd say so. I think the ability to cap damage at eight per phase is... Uh meaningful i can't remember off the top of my head how many wounds a blood first has out of the gate but i'm going to assume it's a great deal more than eight um so i imagine that is uh giving it a good level of additional durability here we go a blood firster will give you 20, 20 wounds yeah yeah no all right that's fair enough that's uh definitely earning it a little extra time on the tabletop which is uh which is pretty great um so cool yeah nice uh, we've got stratagems next. Uh, if we went through every stratagem for every single part of this book, it would add considerable time. Uh, and as is tradition, we only typically do um, a couple from each colour uh, as we're going through. Um, so in the interest of fairness, I feel like what we'll do with this uh, going forwards as we go through these different books is we'll do free per thing. I reckon that's fair, isn't it? That's so I'll let you go first. I was going to say, you did the, the thing, so I suppose I should start this. So I'm going to go with uh, the Brass Stampede, because that sounds awfully awesome. Uh, it's 1CP, it is a strategic ploy stratagem, uh, and you use this stratagem after a demonic corn cavalry uh, or corn vehicle unit from your army finishes a charge move, select one enemy unit within engagement range of that unit, and roll 1d6 for each model in that charging unit. Add free to the result if the charging unit is a vehicle unit. On a 6 to 8, that enemy unit suffers D3 more wounds. On a 9, that enemy unit suffers D3 plus 3 mortal wounds. Not bad for 1 CP. Well, that's not too bad. Uh, I'm going to go for the Muddy Browns, the Glorious Decapitation. It's 2 CP. Uh, it's an epic deed. Uh, use a stratagem when an enemy character model is destroyed by a melee attack made by a demonica corn character model from your army. Uh, until the end of the battle, that corn character model has the following ability. Slayer of Champions. Uh, it's an aura ability. 
while a friendly uh, demon corn unit is within six inches of this model, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to any normal damage. A unit can only suffer a maximum of six mortal wounds per phase as a result of this ability, but you can only use a stratagem once. Which is very niche because you've you know got to kill character in the first place, but it's pretty cool uh, aura buff if you can pull it off. Yeah, no, dig it. Uh, which one was the which, last one? Which one was that cause you just picked? That was glorious decapitation. Yes, the yes, yeah, there it is. All right, well, in which case, I'm going to go with contempt for sorcery because, as we know, the corn aren't into sorcerers uh, or just any magical nonsense. Uh, Use the stratagem in your opponent's psychic phase after a psychic test is passed for an enemy psychic unit and after any deny the witch attempts is made. If that enemy psychic unit is within 24 of any corn demon unit from your army, roll d6, adding one to the result if that enemy psychic is within 12 of any flesh hound units from your army. Uh, On a 4+, plus, that psychic power is denied. Wow. So if you're within... 12 of uh, some flesh hounds, a free plus will see you denying psychic powers um, after yeah. you've attempted to deny the witch as well, which is um, pretty reasonable because I'm fairly confident they're going to have like a relic or something that will allow them to deny the witch. So, um, yeah, not bad. Oh, maybe. Yeah, because they don't have a because they don't have any psychers. So, in theory, they shouldn't get denied the witch. And as you say, unless there's a wall or trait or relic that gives it to them. But yeah, get a good reason to take flesh hands as well for that free plus. Yeah, they used to have a relic called the Brass Collar or something like that. They used to give them that, but I'm not seeing anything on there that suggests that they still have something no, along those lines. There's Crimson Crown, Rune of Brass, oh, which yeah. actually does talk about psychic tests. So we can read that one when we get to it. Indeed. We've got Warlord traits to talk about first. Um, so there are six Warlord traits are we going to do every warlord trait, or are we going Let's to just do one each? Because we'd be we we'll be here a long time otherwise. That is true. We'll be here all freaking night. So, go on, pal. Which one do you want to talk about? Uh, I'm going to go for glory of battle. So the you glory of battle. Add one to the warlord's attack characteristics, and while this warlord is in three inches of six or more enemy models. Add one to the Warlord stack characteristic. And while it's within three inches of 11 or more enemy models, add one to this Warlord's attack characteristics. God, three inches within within three inches of 11 or more models. You've got to cram those models in. Or I guess you've just got to actually have a really big base because you're doing this on a, 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 a demon prince or a, a blood letter, right? That's the only way. Well, that's most possible. most likely you're doing it on a blood firster because they have been quite specific with. Sorry, blood firster, not blood letters. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, blood letters aren't that aren't that big. Um, nice. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, so interestingly, enough. yeah. So a corn herald can only take the first three uh, warlord traits. Uh, okay. Well, I suppose I better pick one of those then. Um, let's go with. I'll go with the aspect of death aura. Uh, while an enemy unit is within six of this warlord, subtract one from their leadership characteristic, which is pretty good. Uh, and each time combat attrition test is taken, uh, subtract one from the combat attrition test. Okay. Mm, it's all right. Nothing special. 
Devastating Blow was the other one I was contemplating, and I'm just going to say it now. Each time this warlord makes a melee attack, uh, rules that ignore wounds cannot be used. Ooh, hello. That's pretty meaningful. If, um, it, it, on a bloodthirster versus bloodthirster matchup, no, it's totally. an exalted one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, when you end up in those sort of matchup situations where you're up against stuff that's uh, ignoring damage, having a way of mitigating that is is massive. So, mm. yeah, some interesting stuff there, man. And then we're going to get into some relic territory. Um, so we were talking about runes of brass. Do you want to talk about runes of brass? or do you, What do you want to talk about? You talk about one. Pick one, Phil. Pick one. Or do armor of scorn. Um, armor of scorn. It's a corn monster only. Each time an attack with a damage characteristic of one is allocated to bearer, add one to the saving throw. Oh, to uh, any saving throw made against that attack. So I guess that also includes invulnerable saves. Sorry, demonic invulnerable saves. Um, well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because didn't they say that they couldn't be like. And I suppose it's that they can't be ignored. I guess they could be modified. Although they're not modifying the save, they're modifying your roll, aren't they? So, uh, yeah, it checks out. Yes, to the saving throw. Yes, I guess so. Um, which is interesting. It's sort of like an Armour of Contempt Deluxe. Um, and then also, because that's just the first thing, uh, each time the bearer would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound in the psychic phase, roll a d6 on a 4+, plus. that wound is not lost. Decent. Because as you said, corn does not like psychic. No, I I quite like that. I mean, that's a pretty uh, pretty reasonable thing. Because I mean, a lot of the time with um, with um, you know the kind of bigger things, they often have a hard time against the uh, small arms fire. It's obviously weight of shot sometimes that will uh, you know cause them issues. So the fact that you get additional um, benefits and the fact that obviously you're dealing with a four up in bun in a lot of instances for these bigger corn monsters mm. the fact that that basically then reverts to a free up against damage one weapons is pretty great because yeah the instances where you're just getting peppered with uh damage one shots as uh big monsters is not insignificant i would say so yeah cool um i'll talk about the rune of brass just because we were talking about it before uh, while enemy psychers are within 12 of the bearer, each time a psychic test is taken, that unit suffers perils of the warp on any dice roll uh, that includes a double instead of just a double one or double six. Uh, and each time that unit suffers perils of the warp, it suffers D6 mortal wounds instead of D3. Ooh. Ooh. The fact that it's only a 12-inch range uh, is a little bit, um, you know lesser than what you might want that to be but at the same time i guess it's uh it probably only it probably needs to be 12 because obviously if it was any further it probably would be a little bit too strong so um yeah no that's all right i mean interesting that it doesn't give any kind of denies but i guess they've kind of baked that into stratagems and other things to try and uh offer it up in a more kind of circumstantial nature of things so yeah all right cool i quite like the sound of Agarath, the King of Blades, but uh, I don't know whether you want to move on and talk about some data sheets before we start talking about all the different uh, relics are here, or will you humour me and let me know more about the King of Blades? Because it is the King of Blades, after all, Phil. Phil's muted, everybody. I mean, the professionalism on display here. It, it was being, it was acting up. Is it? Are you blaming speed. the software? I clicked it several times, and it, it sort of. Uh, yeah, it didn't do anything, so I assumed I'd unmuted myself. 
Well, fair um, enough. Do you want yes. me to put this in as an editing note and you can uh, respond to me? Can I talk about the King of Blades, Phil? Yes, you can. Oh, you are a generous partner, Phil. I'll try uh, so, uh, you, yeah, And you succeed. Uh, you select one me- uh, melee weapon the bearer is equipped with, um, and you add one to the damage characteristics of that weapon. Wow. Each time the bearer makes a melee attack with that weapon, you can ignore any or all modifiers to that attack's hit roll, and any or all modifiers to attack's wound roll. <sighs> Hello. That weapon is now considered to be a relic for all other rules purposes. Wow. That's big. Adding one to the damage, ignoring any minuses or modifiers. Oh, that's big. Especially when you consider that you can, um, uh, you know, you can sub, uh, sub that in with this devastating blow so the warlord makes a melee attack rules that ignore wounds can't be used. So you can make this guy into an absolute, you know, character slaying lunatic. In the, in, you can do some, you can do some serious damage with these uh, these bloodthirsters by the looks of things. Yeah, well, I imagine. Well, I mean, things that do minuses to hit in combat or minuses to wound in combat are feel like they're few and far between. But things that you want to kill that do have it will be a bit of a nuisance. I mean, Bloodfuss has weapon skill, ballistic skill 2 plus, and has a strength of 8, and chances are most of that stuff is times 2, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, no, the axe is plus 4. No, great axe is plus times 2, yeah. So you're wounding most things on 2s anyway, right? So if it drops down to hitting on 3s and wounding on 3s, it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, that probably really does make a big dent in your efficiency. Yeah, totally. And if you're coming up against things like, you know, Deathwing Terminators going, ooh, transhuman all the time, the, you know, only winning them on fours is pretty big. But if you're running in and going, no, 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 I'll still be winning you on twos. Well, no, actually, uh, you won't be because I think actually this is a talking about. Because that's not a modifier. So you, oh, trans, yes. transhuman still isn't affected by this, which is sort of the downside, right? Ooh, okay. Well, okay. Maybe less good. But still, you know, not without its, uh, it's got potential. Merit. It's got merit, for sure. Yeah, if you're getting the rules wrong, it's great. <laughs> it's the way to do it. Exactly, exactly. That's the uh, the tried and true methodology is, uh, yeah, just, you know, accidentally cheat, and then you're, uh, you'll go places. Um, cool, all right. So, for that said and done, the only thing left to talk about is all the different data sheets, uh, or slates, or whatever they are. No, not data slates, data sheets that make up corn. They've got a pretty healthy selection of units here, even so far as so much as to include an actual fortification. I don't know. They had a fortification, but they do. Yes. That's, I'm pretty sure that's an AOS one. Um, well, here it is in 40 K my friends. So, you know, I mean, it might uh, be in 40 K for a while, but I mean, it's there now, I suppose, which is, uh, which is all that matters. I mean, it really, Oh, sorry, you were going to say... I was going to say, should we talk about the Skull Altar then? I mean, we can do. I was just going to quickly comment that it's really incredible, actually, how much they've expanded the corn Demon range over the last few years. And it sort of feels like it's all kind of happened covertly. It's like, you know, obviously the impact of Age of Sigmar on the Demon army is is pretty significant. I mean, there's some really great stuff in here, at least in terms of the minis and... Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, surprised I think there's, there's as much the, variety as there is. 
Yeah, was the Skull Taker and the Bloodmaster relatively recent sort of AOS editions? Quite possibly. I think, I think the, the Skullmaster. Skull yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. The Skull. Well, I think these guys were always in there, but I think they may not have had like. I don't think the range was as well supported in plastic over the over the last little while. So the fact that you've now got an entire corn demon collection that is all plastic is 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 quite incredible. Hmm. Unless of course someone turns around to me and says that the Skull Taker is a uh, a fine cast mini, in which case I will uh, I will skulk away in disgust. But I'm fairly confident he's a plastic one. I think he is. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think so too. Anyway, go on then, Skull Walter. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, go on. It has uh, not many stats, but it's got a strength of six, a toughness of eight, nine wounds, leadership seven, and a demon saver four plus four plus. Um, it's demonic. It's got a witchbane aura. So while a psyker unit is within eighteen inches of this model, subtract two from the psychic test taken for that unit. Uh, it's a war altar. So while a model is embarked within this transport model. This transport model has the same aura abilities as the embarked model. Now that's quite interesting, especially since it's probably got quite a large base size, so you can effectively, from a small model, extend out the aura abilities. Um, It's got ritual slaughter, so while there is a model embarked within this transport model, this transport model can be attempt for following action. So ritual slaughter action. At the end of your movement phase, this model can start to perform this action. The action is completed at the end of your next charge phase. Once completed, roll a d6 for each um, demon corn unit from your army within 12 inches of this model and within engagement range of any enemy units. For each 4+, gain one warp storm point. Uh, And this model can uh, transport one corn infantry herald model. Okay, so it's only the corn heralds. Hmm, interesting. A novel way to get more uh, warp points. Uh, It's obviously got no movement phase. Oh, it's also warp locus as well, so you could use it for your deep striking shenanigans. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, you can't put it anywhere but in your deployment zone, right? So it doesn't feel like it's going to be Well, no, because it is a... It is a. It's oh, because it's demonic. It can you can actually deep strike it down, can't you? Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. What's potential for is... just plonking it down in the middle of the board and then using it to just generate um, warp points for you? Yeah, I mean, if you find yourself in a situation where I don't know necessarily what the setup necessarily needs to be, but if it is that you're able to uh, use the demonic deep striking ability to deep strike uh, within you know, maybe as few as six or, you know, five inches of your opponent, you bring that down. It's still a locus because it's transporting the, um, uh, the Herald. And then you can bring things within range of it, um, which could be quite cool. Um, so you can definitely amplify the, uh, the impact of your deep strike around the locus, um, you know, synergy, because this is a much larger area that it creates around itself. Um, to give you more flexibility to to arrive within a distance of it, I suppose, which could definitely be cool. Um, yeah, I, I don't hate it. I mean, how many points is a skull altar? Uh, skull altar, three right, power uh, level. That's what, like thirty points, forty points, sixty points. I don't know. Probably closer to sixty points, isn't it? There's a. Uh, 
And Where are these d- points gone? They're right. At, they're right at the very back. Um, right at the very. I think actually back. the the um, ah, subtract two from psychic test within eighteen inches is actually really strong because that's yeah. You can put that in the middle of a board, and that's basically most of the table. Or these. Well, don't forget as well, though. Chunk you can, of it. You can, you know, put war gear on it to amplify the effectiveness of that as well. Like you can basically be doing the whole any double perils perils are d6s oh yeah so you, know. you you could potentially get a, a sort of an almost board wide minus three maybe if you combo it with other characters with other um uh aura abilities or like you said the one where you pet you're more likely to perils yeah uh, 50, 50 power points. levels okay yeah 50, 50 points. sorry points not power level. yeah 50 points is it's pretty cheap. decent yeah yeah i think you could do some fun stuff with that i think that's got legs I like it. Um, I'm going to talk about Scarbrand because Scarbrand is the big bad uh, blood. Le- uh, sorry, bloodthirster of uh, of bloodthirsters. Uh, you know, Cabanda and all of that stuff. You know, he's he's cool. He ain't no Scarbrand. Um, Scarbrand so gnarly he had to have his wings taken away for goodness' sake. You know, he's a he's a a, a loopy dude. Um, mm. So he, he and because he doesn't have wings, he's not as fast as regular bloodthirsters. So he's only got movement eight on his top bracket. Weapon skill two, ballistic skill two, strength eight, toughness eight, twenty two wounds, eight attacks, leadership nine, four up, demonic save in all variables four four basically. Uh, as he degrades, he gains more attacks, which is loopy. Um, but his movement and his weapon skill decreases. Um, so he, he, he fights more, but um, he might not be quite as uh, intelligent as he becomes, uh, you know, more and more wounded. Um, Weapon-wise, he has uh, the Bellow of Endless Fury. It's a ranged attack uh, with range 12, assault 2d6, strength 5, AP minus 1. And each time an attack is made, you automatically hit. So essentially, he just screams really loud. I suppose it kind of uh, shatters reality or does whatever it does as it's doing it. Um, But the real star of the show is Slaughter and Carnage, his two great axes that he uh, wields uh, with two different profiles. You've got Mighty Strike, uh, which is uh, times two, minus four, D3, plus three damage. And each time attack is made with his weapon and vulnerable saving throws cannot be made against that attack. Ooh. But demonic Ooh. ones can be. Ooh. Demonic ones can be, absolutely. Uh, and then the sweeping blow, which is strength user, which is strength 8, minus 2, 2 damage. Uh, each time an attack is made with this weapon, uh, make two hit rolls instead of one. So you go up to uh, 16 attacks if you're on your low profile, uh, but as many as 20 attacks if you're on your top profile. And then obviously if you add in the warp storm into there, and you add plus one to that, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, um, yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, intense. Um, he's got an ability, uh, called Witchbane, which is essentially this unit cannot be targeted or affected, uh, by any psychic powers. That's crazy good. Yeah, it's insane. Cause one of the ways that you try and deal with these guys is to just mortal wound them out of existence. Mm. But obviously if you can't mortal wound them out of existence, then that is really not very good because he is tough he is fighty, um, and he laughs in the face of Zonethropes. God bless him. Good old Scarbrand. Uh, and then he is Rage, 
uh, embodied. It's a six-inch aura. Add one to the attack characteristics of models in that unit. So while unit was in six of this model, add one to the attack characteristics. So that, that he already actually is well. adding himself. So he's already actually on nine attacks at minimum. Mm. Crikey. Um, each time morale tests are taken for the unit, it automatically passed. So he makes, um, I guess, friendly units automatically pass. Uh, well, a unit. Oh, hang on. Here's an interesting thing, though. He gives it to you and them. <laughs> he gives it to everyone. He makes everyone angry. But wait, that can't make sense. He makes every um, every unit automatically pass morale. Yeah, so they Is have it... to stay there with him. Oh, they can't run so they away. Have to stay... That's weird, though. But mm. yeah, it's any. Look, it, it, well, a unit is very specific. It's literally any yes, unit. Because the next one is talking about falling back. Yeah, no, you're right. It's deliberately designed to be anyone because it's yeah. like come and come stay and fight me, basically. Yeah, which yeah. is odd because some... when when you fail morale. The implication is is representing not people necessarily just running away, but also people being cut down as well as like extra damage potentially. But I guess mm. thematically they've said no, it is running away. Hence, why you have to uh, stay. Yeah, I love it. I love that rule. That is, I, I'm a big fan of Scarbrand. I think he is. Uh... Oh, and you've got to do the last one about falling back. Oh, sorry, yeah, so if you want to fall back, you have to roll 3d6, and, it, and the only way you can fall back is if you roll under your leadership of 3d6. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy. He, 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 gets a, uh, he gets a thumbs up from me. I'm a, I'm a fan of Scarbrand. How much does that cost you to add to an army? 330 points is an absolute steal. That guy is ridiculous for 330 points. Like, absolutely ridiculous. Like, yeah, he's 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 too good for three hundred and thirty points. Like, yeah, I, I'm struggling. The only downside to him is he doesn't have wings, mm. but like, so he doesn't have the fly keyword. But oh, and he's got warp locus as well. So he also is a locus. So he also allows units to come within six of him and so on. Oh. Interestingly, I'm just looking. So, Skulltaker and Skullmaster are both heralds, uh, mm. as is Renmaster on Blood Throne, but none of them are, are Warp Locus. That's interesting. So, they must have just changed it to specific, like, specialist units or something. I, mean, I imagine I, I, it's I uh, different it, it, per thing. I think it is on in the, for Chaos, for, sorry, for Corn. It is just for Skull Altar and Scarbrand. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm, yeah, it'd be interesting, interesting to see how it changes. Um, now, I would normally say that it's gone to the next army, but I really want to talk about Skulltaker, so can we squeeze them in? Yeah, of course we can, mate. I think that's safe. I think we should do at least a couple more of these, because... Okay. Yeah. This is interesting. Uh, so, Skulltaker, movement 6, weapon skill 2+, ballistic skill 3+, strength and toughness 6, uh, 5 wounds, 6 attacks, leadership 8, and a 4+, 4+, demonic save... The reason why I want to talk about him, he's got literally the Slayer Sword <laughs> that you win a Golden Demon with, uh, and actually does look very similar to the Slayer Sword, so I presume that is what it is in reference to. It's obviously a melee mm-hmm. weapon, uh, strength user, which is strength 6, uh, minus 3 damage, sorry, minus 3 AP and flat 3 damage, 
Uh, each time an attack is made with this weapon, invulnerable saving throws cannot be made against the target. Um, he's obviously demonic. He's got Skulls for Corn, which is an ability. Each time this model makes a melee attack against an enemy character, you can re-roll the hit roll and the wound roll. Okay. Oof. Pretty good. Uh, and each time an enemy character unit is destroyed by an attack made by this model, increase the range of this model's Herald of Corn uh, and Lord of Decapitation's ability, see right, by 3 inches to a maximum of 12 inches. So the Herald of Corn aura ability is while a friendly Corn uh, uh, Demon core unit is within 6 inches. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, you can re-roll the wound roll of 1. And then Lord of Decapitations, in your command phase, select one friendly Blood Letters core unit within six inches of this model. Until the start of your next command phase, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, add one to the attack's hit rolls. At least it's indifferent. It's not like the generic Captain-Lieutenant deal. I mean, it's not too far off, but it has got a bit of a twist on it, which is cool. Um, yeah, he seems cool. And as we said, he hasn't got the... Uh, the warp locust, but he has got the herald uh, keyword. Yeah, I love and it. It's a cool model too. Yeah, they're really cool. I think yeah, that's that's really awesome. Um, the one I'd like to talk about to end it on is the skull cannon. Uh, I uh, oh, am a fond classic. fan. Yeah, I like the skull cannon. It's always been awful, so I just wanted to um, <laughs> see if it's improved. Yeah, exactly. So uh, movement eight, which is decent. Uh, weapon skill ballistical free, uh, which is pretty strong from the outset because having a ballistical free on this thing is is better than I remember it. Strange six, tough to seven, nine wounds, two attacks, yeah. Uh, leadership seven and a four plus demon save against shooting and uh, melee. A skull cannon is equipped with a skull cannon, attendance, hell blades, and biting more. Uh, the Skull Cannon itself is range 48, which is incredible in 9th edition. Heavy D3 plus 3, which is very good. Uh, strength 8, which is on the on the right side of uh, of being good. Minus 2 AP is not extraordinary. Damage 2 is relatively underwhelming. Uh, blast each time attack is made with this weapon. The target does not receive the benefits of cover against that attack. That's big. That's big. That's a, that's a big win. And the blast mm. is, is pretty handy. Um, attendance Hellblades are strength users, so the strength six minus three, two damage, malefic four. So you get two attacks plus the malefic four. So that's pretty reasonable. And then biting more. Oh, wait, yeah. So the biting more will be where your uh, two attacks are going. So that's minus one, two damage. Okay, fair enough. And then it's a demon. It's all right. Well, no, surely you would just do the attendance. Oh, no, because the Attendant Hellblade is you can only do those four? Yeah, you can only do those four as malefic attacks, and then the um, and then the, uh, the, the the two have to be done with the more. Okay. Or so was it you if go. you fight with that weapon, you get four extra in addition to? I think it was always just four. I think malefic okay. is just literally the extra amount of attacks indicated. Yes, yeah, no more than the number of attacks can be made. So yeah, so you basically get your your two biting moors and your four malefic blades. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I think the skull cannon a hundred points is a pretty reasonable, a pretty reasonable get. 
I don't think it's... Um, it's like a very lightweight Lehman Russ with a battle cannon. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's okay. Um, I mean, you can see some uses for it, but it's it's nothing to get I, I'm sort of amazed that they've got such about. good ballistic skill, right? Like these weird demonic creatures from another world have better ballistic skill than highly trained, you know, Imperial Guardsmen. Their ballistic skill is good as a space marine who's trained for years and years to be good at shooting. Or is it the idea it's it's just like chaos magic guides it, so therefore it's good? Yeah, wibbly magic, mate. It's wibbly fine. Wibbly magic, must be. You always, yeah. you got to look out for that wibbly magic. Um, mate, there you go. That's the Book of Blood, the Corn Demons. Um... What's the vibe? You you liking what you read? Yeah, seems all right. I've never been like a huge corn fan, but uh, having played against them recently this year, they've definitely had a bit of a glow up, both in terms of the skull cannon and um, like the exalted demons. So uh, I'm sure I'll enjoy playing against them sometime soon um, with with, with the better stats. Uh, but yeah, it seems seems pretty good. Uh, you know, blood letters look cool. I've always liked them. I'm surprised there's not more like because um, you obviously got Karadak, the, the wolf dog type thing. I thought they had more like that, the the demon hound type. Well, they guys. do have. They have the 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 the, the corn blood hounds or whatever they. Oh, the, so um, yeah, they're just for flesh hounds, aren't they? The flesh hounds. That's the Did, words. I are they find. new models? I thought they Those were new, are new models. models. Yeah, yeah, they are. Looks terrible. Or well, at least the one in the picture what? looks terrible. Mate, you, you you need to go back and look at what they used to look like. Well, that's probably also true. Fair enough. But um yeah, I think um Yeah, I think uh you know, you've got some really iconic things in corn. The juggernauts, the bloodthirsters. I think those are really kind of like quintessential old school forty K and old yeah, school yeah, ju- juggernauts are probably like mad, mad weird, right, if you think about it. Yeah. It's like a demon riding uh, is it like a, a robot like dog or is it an armored beast i can't remember well yeah it's, it's it's difficult to really kind of be completely certain in terms of um what is mechanical and what is um organic but the general vibe is is that it's a yeah, I, I, I would feel say like armored beasts. A, armored beasts. Yeah, I go with the, armored beasts. It's like the the like they're not hellhounds, uh, but the hounds. Um, what I'm trying to think what they're called. The ones from Ghostbusters, you know, the original that come bursting the one, out the of ones the hotel. Who, oh, what the, the 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 things for the the thing that the, 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 end the, of the, the, the one that becomes yeah the gatekeeper and the keymaster. Yeah, yeah. I have to be honest, man. My um, Ghostbusters is one of my weak, uh, weaker uh, suits when it comes to uh, nerd what? nostalgia. What? I know. I never. I was never that into it. We can't be friends, Dan. I've watched it many times, and I enjoyed Ghostbusters 2 as a child. I thought that was funny uh, with the painting and all the other yes. stuff. I just but Ghostbusters you 1, go. weirdly, it sort of it it, it sort of um, kind of passed me by. Oh, I think I was fine. too young. It's like, it's like one of the best movies ever. Yeah, I, I really love it now. Like, I've watched it, but it's not like one I've watched enough that I can distinctly remember what the name of the... No, I want to say Hellhounds, but I don't, don't think it is. I don't think it is either. But um, but then, I don't know. 
Um, yeah, look, I love Corn. Corn is by far and away my favourite Chaos God. Um, it's the, you know, it's the Chaos God that I always go back to. When it's, I, it's the death metal emo God. So it, it yes, yeah, so I can see why it struck a chord with the twenty-year-old you, Dan. Well, that's it, mate. That's it. Although I never actually played them in my twenties, uh, as it were. I think I only actually no, in my late twenties. I probably played Corn. Whenever Corn Demon Kin came out, that's when I went all in on Corn. Although I think even then, I think I'd that would have been like seven, eight years ago. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe not. Maybe maybe not late twenties. Maybe more uh, early thirties. But um, well, you know, I can't escape that reality, mate. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think yeah, I like. I've always liked Corn. I think you know, like back when I was a young lad, and they uh, introduced the Blood Firster. And the Bloodthirster was this insane metal kit that was just like, it was just so crazy. Like I remember just how much of a song and dance games workshop we're making out of this thing. And I remember a buddy of mine got it and he literally was like, that was the biggest mistake of my life buying that thing. <laughs> and bearing in mind, I think he was only like 14 at the time. I mean, you know, he had, he, he was like, that was a mistake. He literally was like, I had to go back to the shop and teach them. Te- they had to teach me how to pin because it was like this thing was redonkulous. It's, it's an advanced modeling skill. Pinning and like epoxy resin uh, glue is what you needed basically for big metal models. Yeah, hundred percent. But um, yeah, as a uh, younger uh, younger lad, um, yeah, it wasn't uh, uh, something that we were clearly that aware of at the time. But nonetheless, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, like corn has always really struck a chord with me, and I, I'm I'm really grateful to see them being represented in a really great way. And it seems like they're strong. I've seen a lot of competitive players really prioritizing Scarbrand and Bloodthirsters. Um, so that suggests to me that they're a pretty strong option. Although it does seem like a lot of players are prioritizing a kind of mix of demons, um, which I think again is another testament to the book um, in terms of what they're doing overall. But we'll get to that as we move along. Magical. The Book of Change, everybody. Um, Lord only knows how I'm going to work that into anything, but uh, obviously you don't need to worry about that because you're listening to the end results. Book of Change, what are those about, Phil? I have never heard of them. Uh, those Tzinchian little birdmen. The little well, birdies of Tzinch. The big birdmen and the little squishy things that change shape and split into lots of little things indeed they love transforming into all sorts of nonsense don't they the old uh the old bird men exactly. uh, I, I don't um, think we talked about it but but corn's all about anger and bloodshed and collecting skulls it, we didn't really do like a summary of what all the gods are because we kind of assume that people know but if you don't zinch is all about um is it magic magic and uh the, the changing of the ways and the being a bit sneaky. Yeah. Manipulating um, people. That's it. They're the masters of sorcery and uh, using the warp to manifest all of their crazy, magical madness. Um, yeah, they're much more the kind of, uh, I guess, in 40K terminologies, the shooting contingent of... Um, of the uh, of of the demons of the, of the of the four, yeah, that's that's a fair fair point. 
They're the most shooty. Um, they have exalted Lords of Change, Phil. You comes in 35, 30, and 20 point variants. Uh, the exalted abilities that are available to you are Architect of Deception. Uh, the Architect of Deception is 35 points, and if you are to take this ability, each time a ranged attack is made against this model, subtract one from that attack's hit roll. I mean, it's all right. Not necessarily sure it's 35 points, all right, but, I mean, it's all right. I mean, an inbuilt minus one to hit against your big bird is a is a, is a, is a decent buff, I would say. Yeah, I suppose it, you know, pays dividends. It's uh, not, hmm. not, not too bad. You've got the Master Mutator. At the end of your Psychic Phase, roll 1d6 for each enemy unit that suffered any mortal wounds as a result of a Psychic Power manifested by this model. Uh, this turn, on a 2+, plus, that unit suffers one mortal wound. That is a 30-point upgrade. Now, again, I don't know for sure at this point, but I'm going to say that these guys output a lot of mortal wounds. Um, so I guess if you can spread them around... Yeah, that's the key. If they are only able to put mortal wounds, like a lot of mortal wounds, onto two units, then you're literally doing up to two mortal wounds. Like you've got to be able to put out a lot of mortal wounds against a lot of units to to get this to get value for money for this. I think. Well, I suppose this is the thing, isn't it? Right? It's like at what point does the thirty point investment? feel like uh it's it's paying off you know what what how how many extra mortal wounds would you want to do in order to you know reap the benefits of the 30 point upgrade three to four a turn now three to four a turn that seems a little bit excessive i feel like maybe mortal wounds per turn extra for 30 points yeah Mate, you are you are a I'm greedy, greedy guts. I am. Yeah, oh, I am. Uh, what was I going to say? So, Kairos, um, not that he can take this, so let's ignore him. Uh, Lord of Change, he can manifest three psychic powers, uh, deny two, plus he knows smite in addition to other powers. So that would be potentially three mortal wounds a turn, which over the course of a game, assuming he's around for five turns... Is fifty more wounds. That's that seems fair enough. Assuming yeah. you can always roll a two plus, that is, of course. I mean, you know, it doesn't happen as often as you think it should, but um yeah. And other times it happens way too often. It's weird. It depends on which side of the equation you are. If you're the guy that needs to roll the two pluses, um it, it feels like you never get them, but when you're uh, up against that individual, my goodness. Oh yes. The, the hits just keep on coming. Uh, and then lastly, we've got the Nexus of Fate, which is 20 points uh, in your command phase. If the models on the battlefield roll 1d6 on a 4+, plus, you gain a command point. Mm. Well, that's not too bad for 20 points. Yeah. But the, I think the thing is, would you be better off just taking one of the other Exalted Powers? Yeah. You'd be better off taking one of the other Exalted Powers, I'd say. Mm. I don't think... Unless um, you just happen to be out of... Um, out of points, and you just happen to have twenty spare points, then you go okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely circumstances where I can uh, imagine that you might want those extra command point generating well, possibilities. We but... can we can find out right now by going on to the stratagems. Indeed, let's uh, 
Let's let, let's do just that. So, uh, Phil, please uh, begin the proceedings. Um, I'm going to go for Minions of Magic, the very first one, for 1CP. Magical. It is a battle tactic stratagem. Use a stratagem in your shooting phase when a Horrors at Core unit is selected to shoot. Until the end of that phase, each time a ranged attack is made by a unit uh, on an unmodified wound roll of 6, change the AP characteristic of that attack to minus 3, which is not bad for 1CP. I'm just trying to think what uh, I was going to say minions core, but it's horrors core shooting attack tends to be like. Uh, let's see, horrors. I'm just trying to find ones that are actually cool. Pink horrors, I assume, are core. Yes. Um, blue horrors are also core. Uh, so blue horrors are uh, assault two, strength. Oh, it's a strength four. No. Strength three, it's plus one, which is odd because you don't normally get a shooting weapon that has plus one strength. Uh, it's normally a flat, flat damage. Uh, minus one AP, one damage. And then, yeah, uh, similar for pink horrors, minus one AP. So minus one to minus three. It's a meaningful increase. Mm. Just got to roll them sixes. Indeed. We have the warp portal, uh, which is either one or two CP. It is a strategic ploy stratagem. Uh, use the stratagem in your movement phase when you select a demonic zench character uh, model from your army to make a normal move. Instead of moving it uh, it as normal, remove that unit from the battlefield and set it up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine away from the enemy model. If the character model was a herald keyword, the stratagem costs one CP. Otherwise, it costs two CP. So basically, you can uh, pick up your character and move it either towards something or more than likely away from something. <laughs> no, no, that's quite good. So you could uh, move, you could effectively, I mean, I guess it can deep strike anyway, but what you could do is deep strike it over somewhere else and then yeah. use its ability to manifest units within six inches, wasn't it, of um, enemy unit songs you were within six inches of Oh, actually, was that wasn't Herald though? It was the the warp core or whatever it was called. The other keyword, yeah, I think. Warp, warp locus. Warp locus. So I don't. Maybe you can't do that. Um, well, you've got um, Karios Fate Weaver is a warp locus. Um, I'm getting the feeling that it's all the named greater the, the, demons the, that are the warp locus now. And uh, any kind of, I don't think they have terrain. Do they? Or do, have they got the mirror? Surely they've got. Oh no, that's. That's Slanesh. No, that's very Slanesh, my friend, yes. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I don't think they do. Unless one of their exalted flamers or something have it. No, screamers don't have it. Maybe the blue scribes have it. No, not even the blue scribes. That felt like something they probably could have given the blue scribes. But... Oh, my God, the face skimmer is a vehicle. I yeah, wasn't yeah. expecting that. Uh, yeah, no, it just seems like, as I said, the named character in this instance... Um, yeah, I like yeah. it though, man. Like the warp portal as an ability, I suppose. If you're, especially when you've got that amount of mortal wound potential, right? Like the fact that you can essentially, you know, catch people slipping in later turns. I mean, this is something that I would probably um, recommend that uh, you know people use as a kind of gotcha mechanic. Unfortunately. Um, because I don't think you're probably going to find it as a, I don't think you're going to be able to make it work otherwise, but 
you know, again, if you save it to like the third turn and people are kind of pressuring down on a Lord of Change and then you just go, mm, nah, I don't fancy that. And then just bolt them over to the other side of the board, not only avoiding whatever impending threat was moving towards you, but also opening up line of sight to the potentially squishier backline uh, units that uh, are not set up to defend against any deep strikers and probably won't do all that well against the uh, onslaught of mortal wounds that you're about to fling at them. Um, so there's Actually, could definitely the, be some... That is, uh, you make a good point, because the uh, demonic summoning ability, you can't ever effectively deep strike into your opponent's deployment zone. So warp portal is probably the only way where you can actually do that. But you can also do that from turn one as well. Mm, yeah, so, so you, you can got, definitely... Say, some sneaky shenanigans. Yeah, you can definitely push the tempo on it if you need to. I mean, if you want to, you know, create an immediate problem for someone, then that's obviously an option. Um, but yeah, I think when it comes to the Lord, Lords of Change, their um, their psychic output is so significant that you probably wouldn't, um, you probably wouldn't seek to uh, to you know to move them up in any kind of aggressive combat style way. You'd probably use them just to try and uh, yeah do a bunch of extra little mortal wounds on the mm. on the side. Uh, pick one more, mate. Yes, uh, speaking of mortal wounds, I'm going to do Magical Boon. Um, it's the an magical epic deed boon. for one CP. It's not that epic, to be honest. Um, but yeah. use a stratagem at the start of your psychic phase. Select one uh, Demon Zinch psychic unit from your army. That unit can attempt to manifest one additional psychic power this turn. So very good if you are comboing it with... Was it Master Mutator to do your, your mortal wounds on a two plus for each thing that suffered a mortal wound? It gives you an extra psychic power to do mortal wounds on something. Yeah, um, strong. Yeah, and for one CP, not bad. Not an epic deed, in my opinion. An epic deed, you know, in comparison to the corn one, where it's like you've got to effectively decapitate a character and then you get a cool aura bonus. That one feels much more epic than just do an extra psychic power. Yeah. Still, though, some pretty reasonable stratagems across the board there. Some interesting stuff. Um, they've got their own psychic discipline, as of course they do, because ultimately, you know, they manifest loads of psychic powers. So, uh yeah, let's uh, let's quickly rattle through some of these. So uh, you've got the Bolt of Change, uh, which is a Witchfire. Uh, Sorry, that's it, Boon of Change. No, 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 I've, I've just gone straight to number two. Oh, sorry, I thought you were doing it in order. And, no, 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 God, I'm not reading every psychic power. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. We already established that for every single one of these sections, we're doing a couple of things. Yeah. I'm not, oh, I'm not, okay. I'm, okay. I'm not breaking that formula, Phil. Fair enough. Uh, fair the enough. Bolt of Change, uh, which is Witchfire. Uh, it costs you seven to manifest, um, and then you select one enemy unit with an 18 and visible to the psyker and roll 96. Uh, for each five plus, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Uh, for each model destroyed as a result of these mortal wounds, that unit suffers one additional mortal wound to a maximum of three. These additional mortal wounds cannot generate any additional mortal wounds. Blimey. Uh... So not extraordinarily strong, but the fact that you're rolling 96 and, you know, fishing for five ups, I mean, you could do okay with it. Uh, I mean, obviously the average is, is that you're probably going to do three, um, but there's a chance that you could do as many as four. And then if those four are 
able to kill four models, then you're going to do an additional three on top. So you can potentially, against one wound units, if you're lucky, drop mm-hmm. seven models. I mean, if you're lucky, you could drop uh, well, 12. 12 is the most. Yeah. If, you, if you're extraordinarily lucky. Um, but yeah, most of the time, I mean, again, though, the fact that it can do upwards of, you know, seven potentially more wounds is pretty meaningful. And then obviously if you did take the uh, enhancement to do the one extra, again, will definitely help. And again, this isn't something that needs to target the closest enemy model. It's a, it's a, well, a closest enemy unit. It's a picker we're, unit within yeah, 18. Yeah, within 18 invisible, yeah. So again, in terms of uh, spreading out your extra mortal wounds, not uh, nice. not too bad. Pick another okay. one, Phil. Uh, well, because I sort of said it, I'm doing Boon of Change. Um, it's a blessing, has a warp charge value of six. If manifested, select one friendly demon zinch unit within 18 of the psyker and roll 1d3. Until the start of your next psychic phase of unit gains the relevant bonus from the table below. Uh, if the result of your psychic test was a nine or more, you can select the result instead of rolling D3. Uh, so on a one of D3, you get extra limbs. You add two inches to the move characteristic of models in that unit. For a two, you get to mystical strength, add plus one strength to the characteristics of units, um, so models in that unit. And uh, on a three, you get resilient hide, which is plus one toughness. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Bit random. I always liked... I always liked the boon of mutation when it used to be linked to the old Champions of Chaos rule. Mm. The uh, the one where you had to always challenge, and then if you were successful in your challenge, you then gained boons of mutation. I thought that was always yeah. lovely. Yeah, a chaos should always be about randomness, right? So yeah, totally. um, that's, that's a good example of it. I mean, just in the pursuit of just seeing if there's any other really meaningful, like, mortal wound output uh, abilities, we have the Infernal Flames... It's a blessing, so that probably isn't going to do it. Infernal Gateway. Uh, that does mortal wounds, yeah. Okay, yeah, D3 mortal wounds, yeah. So, yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff you can fling out. Um, which is pretty cool. They have Warlord traits, as is tradition. Uh, I'm going to say that the one I'm going to talk about is Warp Tether, because yeah. you'll like this, Phil. This Warlord has Warp Locust keyword. This Warlord has the following ability, Warp Tether. Or friendly legion known uh, legions demonica zench units are within twelve of this model. Each time a morale test is taken for that unit, you can re-roll the result. Hmm. Okay. Pretty strong. Well, Pretty strong. Yeah. It almost feels like the warp locust bit is more is better than the uh, the morale test. Although saying that, what's the average uh, morale for demons? It seems to be oh, it's actually, quite low. Blue, I think blue horrors are really low. So. Pink Horrors I mean, is, is seven with the leader. Yeah. Blue Horrors is five with the leader. Well, actually, there well, the is war- no leader. It's just five. The Warp Locust can be pretty meaningful, though, right? Because the fact is is that you can put that on your Lord of Change, turn two, bomb it up in your movement phase, and then obviously in reserves, bring stuff down within range of the Locust. And then you've even got more, you know, psychic shenanigans that you can... Uh, bring into effect which is uh, pretty cool so that works quite well for them what do you want to talk about in these uh, 
warlord traits mate? Uh, I'm going to do Fractal Mind. Uh, if this warlord attempts to perform a psychic action in your psychic phase, it can still attempt to manifest one psychic power during the phase without that psychic action failing. Nice. That's really strong. To have that as a warlord trait is pretty great. Yeah, there's a few few other good ones, like Pass One Psychic Test or another one which is Can't Suffer Perils from the Warp, which is sort of alright. Yeah, they've got some good stuff overall, I think. I mean, when it comes to their relics, um, there's a couple in here. I love I the names. From... The Endless yeah. Grimoire. There's cool. a couple I reckon from recognise from here when I used to play Zench Demons. I did uh, dabble with Zench Demons. Um, oh, the, the the infamous Blue Meanies that you and uh, Richie did. Blue that I I think I, I played with them once. That was my first doubles game of 40k. The ever, infamous Blue ever. Meanies. Yeah. Well, I remember the Warp Fire Blade, uh, or at least I feel like I remember the Warp Fire Blade. Let's read what it does now and see how it compares. Oh, hang on, this is basically the same as. What I was talking about before, it's going to add one damage and then does... Um... Okay, yeah, so it's very similar to the, the, the axe benefit that the um, the Greater Demons of Corn had access to, so that's a bit boring. So let's go with Soulbane. Soulbane models equipped with a Rod of Sorcery only. This relic replaces the Rod of Sorcery and has the following profile. Uh, Soulbane, uh, range 12, Assault 3d3, Strength 6, minus 2, free damage. Um, so for context, that takes you from Assault D6 to Assault 3D3. So it means that the minimum you can get is 3 and the maximum you can get is 9, mm, um, which is a marked improvement. Um, and then uh, the strength is the same. The minus is greater for the Soulbane and the damage is greater. So a Rod of Sorcery is Strength 6, AP 1, 2 damage. And this is AP 2, 3 damage. Um, which is a pretty good uh, amount of damage to be dishing out. So, yeah, Solbane, I mean, again, it's range-based, but given the fact that we've established that these guys are probably not necessarily overly keen to get stuck into combat, I think having more efficient shooting is probably not a bad a bad shout. So, mm. yeah, I quite like that. What nice. do you want to talk about? Uh, I'm going to go for the coolest-sounding one. It's the Soul Eater Star Stave. Stave? Staff. I mean, it definitely sounds cool when you say it. Um, it's a psycho model only. Uh, each time an enemy model is destroyed by a mortal wound inflicted as a result of a psychic power manifested by the bearer, roll 1d6 on a 4+, uh, the bearer regains one lost wound. Uh, the bearer cannot rega- regain more than six lost wounds each psychic phase. That's could be really strong, especially if you've comboed it with a bunch of psychic powers that do mortal wounds, and that's your your aim is to run around and just mortal wound one wound models all the time. Mm. It's interesting. You definitely feel like they got some really interesting gimmicks in this uh, in this book. Like they got some really yeah, they got some fun stuff. All right. We got data sheets, mate. Data sheets. That's what everyone wants to hear about. The data sheets. We did what? Three for uh, corn? Um, did we do four for corn? Might have been four, I think. I mean, one of the things I will say about Zench from the outset obviously, the new Lord of Change miniatures are gorgeous. The changeling is incredible. Um, but Zench appear to be in a strange place in so much as they're one of the few ranges that seems to be functioning using. 
a lot of older, more historical, albeit plastic kits, mm. but some of the only some, some of the sort of weirdly fifty-fifty. But like the screamers are still really good, even though they're actually quite old. But yeah, everything on that page where it's like the flamers, the exalted flamers, and the burning chariot are all really old. But the pink horrors are new, right? Blue horrors are new. Mm, I guess for change. No, I think they're all of the same sort of era. Yeah, I think the weirdly the blue horrors are newer than the pink horrors. Um, oh. so, I thought they were they were all redone in AOS. No, no. So the pink horrors were. Um, it was it the brimstones and the blues that were done, and the pink yeah, correct, were yeah. older. Yeah, but I mean, anyway, regardless, I think I mean, look, the Lord of Change is by far and away one of the coolest miniatures that Games Workshop's made. I think it's oh, uh, yeah. It's stunning. It's an absolutely stunning miniature. So I think, you know, that, you know, as a centerpiece, it's incredible. And I still really like the uh, the aesthetic of the horrors as well. I think they are a uh, a really funny looking uh, selection. But um, yeah, if I, if I can be so bold as to make the first pick uh, for these guys, I think I have to talk about the Blue Scribes because the Blue Scribes are a really awesome old kit. They are fine cast. Um, so I can imagine given the fact that they ride on a, on a, on a seeker, uh, not a seeker, sorry, a, um, a disc, oh, what's the words, a screamer that is like a large, like disc. Um, I can imagine that in fine cast is riddled in, uh, air bubbles and, uh, all sorts of other mold slips and all sorts of other things, uh, when you're uh, purchasing that kit, but, um, Nonetheless, so let's let's have a read of the rules because the blue scribes are always an interesting, uh, always an interesting addition. So um, they've got a movement of twelve, weapon skill, ballistic skill four, which isn't too exciting. Strength three, which is definitely not exciting. Toughness four, which is all right. Um, five wounds, two attacks, and the leadership eight. Um, they're equipped with disc blades, sharp quills. Yeah, they've got a five plus, then a three plus save. Oh yeah, sorry, so three plus in shooting. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty meaningful. Uh, your army can only include one the Blue Scribes model. So the Disc Blades are Strength 4, AP 0, 1 damage, Malefic 1. And the Sharp Quills are Strength Users, so Strength 3, AP 0, damage 1. So they aren't a you're not, combat powerhouse. <laughs> you're not taking them for that whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, they're not... Uh, they're not Strength setting the user, world on fire. AP zero one damage. What is this for guard codex? Like you, I know, you almost is, never uh, see anything with such a basic stat line. I know, I know. This is pretty remarkable. But here we go. Look, in terms of their abilities, they're demons, if you hadn't caught on. Um they've got the uh Pitarix's sorcerer. Siphon. Yeah, you go. Mm. It's an aura. Uh while an enemy psycho is within twelve of this model, subtract one from the psychic test that for that unit. Uh, and each time a psychic test is failed for that unit, that psychic power is siphoned. And until the end of the battle, that unit cannot attempt to manifest that psychic power. Psychic actions are unaffected. Mm. And that's big, the fact that you can basically just eat people's psychic powers when they're within 12 of you. I mean, that's um, that's funny. I dig that. Um, and then he's got... Uh, the uh, the sorceress barrage. So uh, one. Uh, so I assume one of the blue scribes is called Piatrix, and the other one is Zotarpus. Mm. Uh, you know names that just roll off the tongue. Um, at the start of your psychic phase, you can resolve each of the following effects once in any order. Roll two d six and select one result. 
this model can automatically manifest the psychic power from the uh, uh, from the Zench discipline, basically, uh, that corresponds with that number. Wow, so you just roll 2d6 and select one result, and you just do that psychic power. That's cool. I really like that. Automatically manifest that psychic power. Um, and then when it says here, these powers are considered to be manifested with a roll equal to their warp charge value. Do not make a psychic test. They cannot be denied. Oof. Hmm, that's Ooh. interesting. And then if this model successfully siphoned any psychic powers in the previous enemy psychic phase, it can automatically manifest the smite psychic power. That's pretty cool. And you do both of them. Or yeah. can do both of them. Mm. That's pretty cool. Well. If you can you've gotta you gotta yeah, suck up a psychic power to do the smite, but yeah, so you can do a smite and then the other psychic power. But it's the fact yeah. that it's just auto-done and you can't deny it is massive. I mean, that's amazing. How many points are these guys? Blue Scribes, are they 100 points? Mm, possibly. Power level 5. Yeah, so Blue Scribes. Blue Scribes. Blue Scribes. The Blue Scribes. The 90? Uh, what? Oh, no, there they are. The first thing. Oh, yes. 90 HQs. points. I'd take them for 90 points. I think I they're mean, too funny not to have for 90 points. It, it, it's a lol list type of um, type of unit. It's, it's a shame you can only take the one of them, because three would be hilarious. Um, yeah. But, well, it, it actually wouldn't, because it only works against psychers. So in an all-comers list... It's very niche because some armies yeah. don't really have much psychic powers at all. Um, yeah. But against ones that do, it would be it would be good. Yeah. The only thing that's interesting is that they can't deny. That's a an, an interesting uh, mechanic for them. Well, they so don't they need to in... deny because they 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 suck it up, don't they? Instead. Well, yeah, but that's based on you failing that yeah. that power. Yeah, but mainly they do make one. you subtract. Yeah, fair enough. But that's only if it's within 12. So potentially they could be a target of a psychic uh, power that's outside of 12, but like within 18 or 24, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they can't attempt to, you know, suck it up. No. But if, you know, again, if you try and be relatively oppressive with them. No, yeah. I dig it. I like the blue scribes. They they get a nod from me. Uh, mm. Which one would you like to talk about, Phil? Uh, well, I think we should do all of the big boys. So I want to talk about uh, Kairos Fate Weaver. Fair enough. Um, Go ahead. So he's got movement of 12, uh, which degrades uh, to 10 and then 8. He's got a weapon skill of 3, uh, which degrades to a 4 plus and a 5 plus. He's got ballistic skill of 3, strength 6, toughness 7, 22 wounds, 5 attacks, which degrades to three, uh, 4 and then 3. Leadership 10 and a 5 plus, 3 plus demonic save. Um, and he, you can obviously only take one of them. And he's got the Staff of Tomorrow, uh, which is a melee weapon. It's plus 2, so that is strength 8, minus 3 AP, and 2d3 damage, which is quite a nice, nice amount. Um, he's demonic. He's got the Lord of Change, uh, sorry, the Demon Lord of Zench aura. So while a friendly... Uh, uh, Zench core unit is within six. Uh, 
Each model in that unit can re-roll the hit roll of one. So it's a captain. Um, one head looks forward. So each time a psychic test is taken for this model, add the current battle round number to the result. Ooh. So you're getting, you're getting plus five in the last turn of the game. So you're going to be just busting out super smites constantly, which is mm. very cool. And then the other ability is one head looks back. Once per battle... When your opponent uses a stratagem, excluding the command reroll stratagem, um, you can use this ability. If you do so until the end of the battle, the CP costs uh, your opponent must pay to use the stratagem, again, is increased by one. That's very nice. That's strong, yeah. Really strong. Um, he's also a psychic, so you can manifest three psychic powers in your psychic phase. Attempt to deny three as well. You know, smite in addition to the usual powers, and as you already pointed out, he's a warp locus, uh, and he's got the flight. And he knows keywords. all of the psychic powers, all of the, their psychic powers. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, he knows all of them. Yeah, well, as he should, as he should. But that's your sport for choice, then, aren't you? That's cool. Wow, yeah, he's fun. He's a he's a cool geezer. How many points is he? Uh, he's got to be 350 50-ish, 330-ish. Uh, 320. Blimey, that's only, a bargain. Only, well, God, he's... Lord of Change is 300, and the Sword and Rod is 10 points each. Mm. So actually, especially if you've made them exalted, they're more expensive um, more expensive than the um, Kairos. Yeah. They've got less wounds... Saves are the same. Toughness is the same. So, yeah. Uh, I suppose it just comes down to how much those... Staff does more damage overall than... I mean, yeah, the Lord of Change has got some flat 2, flat 3 damage. Uh, But 2d3 is obviously going to be better, I would assume. So, um, if you make Kairos your Warlord, he gets uh, Tyrant of the Warp. So, this Warlord can never suffer perils. And each time this warlord would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, roll a d6 and a 5 plus, that wound is not lost. Oh, that's pretty good. So, um, yeah, no, he's uh, durable. Nice. I dig him. I like him a lot. Is there one more that you want to talk about, Phil? Because I, I, I snuck in the, uh, the the surprise skull cannon last time, so you get you get one extra pick, mate. Oh, um, I think pink horrors, maybe. The classic. You just want to go basic, the the, the baseline. Well, yeah, because they're the, they're the thing that are going to change the most, if anything. Um, God, mm. I'm not going to read out all the stat lines, but you get nine pink horrors and one iridescent horror. Oh, plus you get the blue horrors and the brimstone. Okay, that's what those stat lines are. So, movement six, weapon skill, uh, four plus, ballistic skill three plus, uh, strength three, toughness three, one wound, one attack, leadership six, and a demon save of six plus, three plus. Um... The the little sergeant, the iridescent horror, gets plus one attack, so two attacks. Uh, the blue horror basically has uh, worse weapon skill, ballistic skill by, by one. Brimstones are the same as the blues. Uh, they've got one, yeah, strength two, so that goes down. Leadership goes down. And then the for the brimstone, the strength and leadership goes down by another one. Uh, they've got the Coruscating Flames, which is an 18-inch Assault 2 weapon, um, plus one Strength, which is Strength 4 uh, when it's a pink horror, 
but that would obviously go down, I guess, for blue horrors and brimstones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's minus one AP, uh, one damage. So you can also have other war gear, demonic icon, which can give it a um, model equipped to the icon keyword. And each time combat attrition test is taken, you ignore any and all modifiers. And then instrument of chaos. While this unit contains any models equipped with the Instrument of Chaos, it has the Instrument keyword. Add one to the leadership characteristic of all models in that unit. Okay. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Yeah. Uh, one pink horror that is not equipped with a demon icon can be equipped with the Instrument, and likewise, one that is not carrying the Instrument can have the icon. Um, so the Exploding Horrors rule. So while this unit only contains... Blue horrors or brimstone horror models, the unit cannot perform actions, uh, and the unit loses the objective secured ability. Um, so it's only blue or brimstone. I guess, though, it's done on a model by model basis, right? So you probably, well, we'll see. There's a split rule. Let's see what it does. Uh, each time an enemy unit shoots or fights after resolving these attacks, if any pink horrors, iridescent horror, or blue horror, model in this unit were destroyed as a result of those attacks uh, but this unit is not destroyed make a split roll for each destroyed model to make a split roll roll 1d6 on a 4 plus that model splits oh, so it's not automatic which is good um, I remember horror stories of previous editions where it always happened uh, so if a pink horror or iridescent horror model splits you can add up to two blue horror models to this unit um, this can increase it beyond its uh, starting strength, but does not change the power rating. Uh, for blue uh, model splits, it you can add one brimstone model to this unit. Interesting, it's only one, not two. Uh, and each time a model in this uh, is added to this unit, that model cannot be set up within engagement range unless those enemy units are already within engagement range of this unit. Okay, so that's cool. So. You've got a lot of ablative wounds, but it's not guaranteed. You've you've got ten, ten wounds to start off with, and you could potentially lose them all and not get any splits whatsoever. Un, un, statistically unlikely, but um, I guess if you get two blues for every pink and you're rolling averages, that's another ten wounds, right? And then mm-hmm. each time that splits, that's another... F- five wounds so you've got what's that 25 wounds in in the unit in total by maths hammering it as uh as averages which mm. is which is which is woundy that's a lot of wounds how much how much is the unit then do you know uh i mean at a glance i would say it's about 110 Ooh. 120 points but it's 150 oh blimey top tier Hmm. I mean, it is a unit that can potentially multiply to become many, many wounds, which oh, is a thing. could be way becomes, more, yeah. Yeah, and again, it's a troop choice, right? So it's obsec, very reliable if you're going to put it on an objective because it's just going to consistently keep churning through the numbers. And yeah, that's 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 not, not meaningful. So um, yeah, I, I, I dig it, I think. What I like about it is I like the fact that they obviously have given horrors that capability um again not that they hadn't done that already um in the... I, at one point they did lose it because they but this could be an older edition of a game because i remember they gave it to them i think in 7th edition when the blue horror and brimstone models came out 
And it was so oppressive because each time they split into two, guaranteed every single time. So pink would become two blue, uh, which in theory was those two blues became four brimstones, um, which was just crazy. Also, it just means you did an obscene amount of models as well. Yeah, it was a bit dumb. Uh, I quite liked it in sixth edition where the uh, blue horrors weren't actually modelled. They were basically a um, was it like a, a counter or was it? Did it do like an like a cheeky it was just, attack it was or something? Just, yeah, it was basically a fights on death ability. So basically, oh, if you killed a unit in combat, then you were attacked by blue horrors as they the, the claws yes yeah. touching you. Yeah, yeah, so it's basically done in, as a result, like an explode result in 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 current forty k. Which I thought was an interesting mechanic. I quite liked that because I think it was a reasonable compromise. Because at the oh, time, oh yeah, it, it's a good workaround for not having the models. Yeah, yeah. But now that they've got them, I think um, I think they've hit the right, you know, the right balance with that. Um, cool, man. Well, that's Zench. I think um, not as immediately exciting to me as um, as Corn. I think Corn is quite an easy kind of blunt instrument, right? Whereas Zench clearly requires a little bit more nuance. Um, but I mean, quite clearly very devastating in the psychic phase and has a lot of interesting mm. shenanigans. The and shooting uh, phase as well. Exactly. And, and, and that's the thing. I think the pink horrors actually do really add a really interesting, um, you know, variable to, to how they work. So, um, no, I'm into them. I like, I, I mean, again, Zench have always been very near and dear to me also. They're, they're, they're my second, usually my second favorite, um, demon thing so um yeah i'm i I dig them i think they're cool um intriguing that some of the sigma stuff uh didn't make its way over to them i know obviously they managed to um in fact actually they got very few additions from 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 the sigma ranges um, yeah i was thinking about it earlier because a lot of them are in the thousand sun book which is like all the birdmen right and I was like, surely yes. they would be in here, but they're technically not demons. They're just like mutant human birds. Yeah, um, I thought they might have gotten the uh, the big uh, Minotaur guy from uh, Silver Tower, the Ogroid former... That's a bit too AOS, I think. Yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, it's quite demon-y at the same time, but... Um, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, to be fair, he makes a great stand-in for a demon prince, to be honest with you, so... Uh, Although you don't need that anymore because there is the new Demon Prince model coming. Yeah, which looks extraordinarily cool. Mm. I'm uh, I'm a fan. Brilliant. All right, well, there you go. There is Zench, uh, the Book of Change. We're going to move on now to what, Phil? uh, Well, my opinion, I believe, Dan, because you you, you just rode roughshod over the. Oh, I apologise. I thought you gave it. I I, I forgive me, Phil. (laughs) I'm, I'm... it's late and I'm tired. Clearly, I'm, I'm being no, uh, a, a Rudy Poo. I'm just teasing, uh, but but I, I do like them. They've got, they say they've got lots of shooting. They've also got lots of I think of, of movement uh, abilities uh, with them baked in. A little bit of combat with things like the screamers. There's a lot of as I say, those are cool like flamers and stuff, but they're a bit outdated in terms of the models. But everything else is pretty pretty nice looking. Um, I think I would be potentially drawn to these guys. They're they're proper proper mad. Some of those models, and overall, yeah, not as not a blunt instrument as corn. A bit more of a finesse army, I would say. Um, but seem really cool. I like them. Yeah. Oh. 
totally agree, mate. Totally agree. The Book of Contagion, everybody, or Nurgle, to you and I. Uh, we're going to go through the pages of these, uh, and as has been established as per the format of this book, this very well laid out book. It's again worth mentioning as we continue to go through it. Much respect to the layout. It, 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 it's smooth. Um, exalted, great unclean ones. Did I do the last one or did you do the last ones? Uh, I think I said the, uh, Lord of Change stuff. You did the corn stuff. So. Yes. I think it's on you, mate. Tell us about Bountiful Gifts and the like. Well, exactly. Uh, And just for clarity, if anyone doesn't know what Nurgle is out there, it's all about disease, death, but also renewal and life. In uh, their perspective, or the Nurgle perspective, they're creating life, aren't they? That's their thing. It's not that they're, you know, killing people off with pestilence. It's that they're creating new life forms. Exactly. They're killing them off with too much life. Exactly. Too much love. Uh, Yes. Um, the yes. virile nature of life. Exactly. And they're all happy chaps, basically, even though they look like they're not. Um, anyway, the exalted great unclean ones. Um, so the points for these go between 20 and uh, 25 and 30. Uh, we've got bountiful gifts, which is the 25.1. Uh, at the end of each battle round, if this model is on the battlefield, you can retain up to two unspent warp storm points uh, which could be quite useful um then we've got a uh, hideous visage uh which is for 20 points uh this model has a following ability it's an aura ability so while an enemy unit is within six inches of this model subtract one from the leadership characteristic of models in that unit and subtract one from the combat attrition test taken uh so only six inch range but it's a big old model so that could be quite a lot of stuff so that's not too bad, actually. And then, yeah, uh, not bad at all. Especially when the leadership characteristic then affects uh, your unit's uh, distance for coming into their version of Deep Strike, because that's all based around uh, leadership. Uh, then we've got mm. Revolting Resilience or Revolting Lee Resilient. Um, each time a melee attack is made against this model, subtract one from the attack's damage characteristic to a minimum of, of one. That's for 30 points. And that's probably the one you're going to take. Yeah, almost certainly. Having damage resistant built into a rather large, bloated, tough-to-wound creature is uh, just added insult to injury, right? I think uh, these guys are packing 22 wounds standard, the most wounds of any greater demon. So, uh, yeah, 22 Uh, wounds at toughness 9. Oh, yes, because it's the named ones of the the ones we've seen so far have been yes. 22 and everything else has been 20. Whereas here, Rotogus, the named one, is 24. Uh, so mm. you're right, these are extra durable. Um, Toughness nine as well, mate. Oof. Oh, God, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oof. I mean... You're right. That is a that is a heck of a thing that to is, try and chew that through. A, that is a Chaos Land Raider right there. Well, indeed. I mean, you know... I mean, a Chaos Land Raider is a Chaos Land Raider, I suppose, but uh, this is as good as, if not potentially better. Probably. Um, Shall we move on to the stratagems? Uh, Would you like to go first? I will go first, Phil. It's not necessarily that I would like to, but I am certainly able to and shall. Uh, I will go with Swarming Flies, because, you know, everyone loves 
the onset of swarming flies. Uh, this is a strategic, strategic ploy stratagem that will cost you all of two command points if you want to do it. Use the stratagem in your opponent's shooting phase or the fight phase. Select one Legionnaire's Demonica Nurgle unit from your army till the end of this phase. Uh, each time an enemy model makes an attack against that unit, subtract one from that attack's hit roll. Very good. Oh, I'm not sure if it's two CPC. Yeah. Well, actually, I say that when you combine it with the fact that you've got the insane durability of these units to give them additional durability is potentially beyond helpful. Yes. So two CP to keep your, uh, you know, your, your great unclean one, uh, minus one to hit. That is actually pretty huge. Yeah. Um, especially if it's minus one damage, toughness, nine, yeah. 22 wounds. It all adds up pretty well, doesn't it? So yeah, minus one it just... gets looked at by some league of Votan and then it just disappears in a big, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once the League of Votan <laughs> kind of, like, you know, sniff at it, it's, once, uh, once it's gone in an town. instant. Well, I mean, and that's not even, chance. that's just its troop choice. It's just like, <laughs> that's just its uh, troops with their standard AP, whatever it is, bolt gun variants. So, mm. um, um, yes. Anyway, I'm going to go with Chortling Moraine. I think that's how it's pronounced. I've actually got no idea. Um, use this stratagem in your shooting phase. Oh, so it's one CP, by the way. Uh, use mm. it in your shooting phase. Select one enemy unit within six inches of Sloppity Bar Piper model from your army and roll one D6 for each model in that enemy unit. Uh, for each roll that exceeds the model's toughness characteristic, that model suffers one mortal wound. Uh, the unit can only suffer a maximum of six mortal wounds per phase as a result of this stratagem. And you can, interestingly, only use this stratagem once. Oh, and it's an epic deed. So I guess he has laughed so much, he's made them die. Yes. Oh, it, it makes them laugh by by reading the flavor text, I think. It's there forcing them to laugh themselves to death. Um, Terrible mm. business. Um... Do we do two of these normally, or are we just doing one of each? Oh, or are we I doing a third remember. one, aren't we? Feel free to do a bonus one. I, I like I the look of Crashing with... Bulk, by the way. That I quite like the sound of Slime Trail, but I'm going to go with oh, Crashing Bulk. Maybe Let's do both. Let's be frivolous. Oh, my God. Uh, so Slime Trail, use the stratagem at the start of your opponent's movement phase. It's 1 CP, and it's a strategic ploy. Uh, select one Beast of Nurgle, or Heroticalus Slumux, unit from your army. Each time an enemy unit, excluding aircrafts or Titanic units within engagement range of that unit, is selected to move, roll 1d6 on a 4-plus enemy unit, cannot fall back. Oh, my. Uh, not bad for 1 CP, although it would have been nice if it, for the sake of CP, it wasn't a 4-plus roll. I'm never a big fan of stratagems that then come with those added caveats. I like I like certainty in my stratagems, but... Nonetheless, yes, it could uh, no, be. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's a 50 50 chance that it goes off and it still costs you one CP. Yeah, I, I know what you yeah. mean. Um, it's almost like if it was like, I don't know, like if it refunded on failure or something. But then I suppose that's not the, in the nature. Then there's of it, no so. risk rewards to it, I guess. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, we can't have everything, I suppose. I know. It's almost like maybe you make it two CP and then just auto happen. That, that would have, I would have been much more in favour of that, yeah. Because it's would definitely be my... gonna happen, but it costs like a decent amount as well. Yeah, that um, would have been my that would have been my preference. Uh so as I said, I'm gonna do crashing bulk uh for one CP, it's a strategic ploy stratagem as well. Use a stratagem after a plague drone, beast of Nurgle, or great unclean one unit from your army finishes a charge move. Select one enemy unit within engagement range of that unit and roll a D six for each model in the charging unit. Add three to the result if the unit is a great unclean one. 
so on a six plus the unit suffers d3 mortal wounds on a nine that unit suffers d3 plus three mortal wounds instead um you gotta literally roll a six though to get that one to pull off uh if you have a great unclean one although i guess potentially beast of nurgle could have quite a few models so it might be more easier to do with them yeah i guess so um yeah, on a nine. Mm. Yeah, so to get the nine, you need plus three. Mm. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. What's next? We've got psychic powers. Yeah, so warp rot discipline. Wonderful. Um, what to pick? I'm going to go with the shriveling pox. I feel mm, as if I, as I age, Phil, have uh, been infected with the shriveling pox. Um no particular part of me necessarily, but you know, just in general, it's a it's a it's a terrible business. Anyway, malediction, shriveling pox uh, has a warp charge value of six. If manifested, select one enemy unit within eighteen and uh, visible to the psyker to the side of the next second phase. Subtract one from the toughness characteristics of models in that unit. Not too shabby. Minus one toughness. Not too bad. Well, you like the look of there, Phil. Uh, I'm going to go for Melodious Pole. Um, Marod- ma- 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 melodious Pole? Melodious? Melodious. Yes. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. I'm, I'm not making mm. it easy on myself today. I'm choosing no. the names that sound interesting. I um, mean, it's not exclusively your fault, though, is it, really? I mean, it feels like it's more the fault of the people who wrote these words <sighs> than you specifically. I mean, there is something to be said. Let's have an adjacent chat now. That... Games Workshop has a real problem of making the game, um, let's say, not inclusive because they put uh, very complicated words into their books, very obscure, like often arcane English words that they even then sometimes either change the spelling of or uh, tweak it slightly because they obviously want to make it unique to them. And a lot of it is a mouthful. Like, you look at things like uh, League of Votan or certain unit names, right? They don't roll off the tongue very easily. And it's why a lot of people say Imperial Guard rather than Astra Militarum, which, you know, isn't too bad as things go. But yeah, some of these names or some of the character names, some of the unit names across all of Games of Workshop, they're just, they're just a mouthful. They're actually really hard to remember because of it, and they're no one knows how they're pronounced half the time. Uh, you know, people, yeah, you people still that. get Katachang wrong all the time. Oh, yeah. Katachan. Katachun. The Katachanis. The Katachacha. I'll say this, though, for it. As a, um, you know, I'm very open about my dyslexia when I go through the process of reading things. Um, I attribute uh, what little capabilities I have accomplished when it comes to my ability to, uh, you know, read this uh, complex dialect that... Um, you know, I think Games Workshop and all the Warhammer 40,000, you know, writings has assisted me in uh, expanding my uh, vocabulary. Well, there is that. It could be the counter argument is it's raising the standard of your knowledge mm. of words because, yeah. you know, maybe maybe we don't read much other than Games Workshop books. So it's a way of getting I mean, out there in the world. It's certainly my problem. I think that's probably given me a very good perspective on mm. things. But um, I mean, there has been say? times I, I've looked up a word because I'm like, what is this word? Let's look it up. And you're like, oh, that, that's interesting. Or it's just like, oh, this is a cool word with a cool 
old ye oldy meaning. Um, mm. Can I ask? Can I ask? Are there any like forty k words that have become part of your everyday kind of lexicon, as it were, now that when you first heard it, you were quite perplexed, but also kind of uh, excited about the the prospect of learning it? I'll give you mine. This is the one that always stuck with me when I first heard the word conversion. I was always like, "Oh, at once it makes all the sense in the world, but at the same time, it's a mystery to me, new and exciting, converting conversions." Ooh. Whereas you know, beforehand, well, that's just like hobby ca- terminology, though, right? Well, mate, but in my world, that was you know, games workshop terminology. I never encountered, uh, at least not in any you know meaningful way, the word conversion before. It was uh, a new, exciting phrase that I had, had uh, you know added to mm. my. Uh, added to my word salad over the years. Um, and, you know, it's thanks in part to Games Workshop, in fact, more or less exclusively to them, and I, you know, that, is, that has been established. And, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about when I was, like, 12. Mm. But, you know, when you were a 12-year-old, no one's using the word conversion in, like, you know, in, 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 in common dialect, as it were. It's not like you're going, what are you up to there, son? Oh, I'm just converting something. It's <laughs> like, you know, I mean, best-case scenario was, I don't know, sat with some toilet roll tubes, smashing something together. I'm building something or whatever, you know. I wasn't, I never, never was so bold as to suggest that what I was doing was taking something and altering it into something out, converting it, if you will. Or it's morphing time, I suppose, but that was more Power Rangers based. Um, (laughs) So Hmm. anyway, the point is, yeah, conversion is a word that strangely I remember being excited learning when I was uh, a younger human. Oh, Have you got good. one? Is there um, a word I, I've that, got that... sort of two. Um, one of them is really obvious, and that's codex, because it's just a really simple word for like an old old book, a tome. Um, so that's a very cool one that weirdly gets used all the time in Games Workshop and never would actually get used outside of 40k circles, but does have like actual real meaning in the real world mm. that sort of thing so that one's a cool one um and then another phrase that i i always knew but was glad to see repurposed by games workshop which is their phrase of crossing the rubicon which is mm. basically when caesar crossed the river into rome i believe please don't you know bash me if i'm mistaken on my history there um and that's what it meant it was you are you were doing and it's in you know general sense it just means you are um you're doing something that you can't go back from that's what Mm. it always means uh in in everyday speech but i love that actually 40k has used it as a phrase to you know your your, your space means are becoming primaris they are crossing the rubicon i like that one that I found that I was using a lot more after being reminded of its existence by 40k was triumvirate. That was oh. one where I was like, you know, I was always like, ooh, triumvirate. But there's nice. a lot of really cool old, like, uh, yeah, like Roman military uh, mm. phrasing and terminology. Um, I mean, there's also, like, even hecaton's a really cool word. And I think it means, like, like strong or really tough or something there's a decent uh greek meaning to that and that gets used quite a bit in 40k as well yeah there's all there's all sorts there's all sorts of good words indeed words like warlord traits yes <laughs> oh no wait hold on i i didn't get to actually finish reading my oh my power. God. sorry oh my we, that was that was the tangent the tangents now ended yeah, yeah, We're back now. to uh <laughs> Melodoros, Melodoros Pau, uh, it's a malediction, a warp charge value of eight. 
If manifested, uh, select one enemy unit within 18 inches and visible to this psyker until the start of your next psychic phase. The enemy unit cannot perform actions. If it was performing one, it immediately fails it and it loses the objective secured ability. Ooh, that's strong. There you go. Awesome. Can we talk about Warlord Traits yes, now? Yes, we can, we can do, now do that. Yes. Okay, we're doing the Warlord Traits now. Here we go. Um, <laughs> number one, the Heaving Mass. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, uh, I, I, I read that as Heavy Mass, which is why I was having a little chuckle. Oh, no, it's a Heaving Mask. Yes. There you go. You're mocking my dyslexic ways, but uh, you... Oh, no, I, I was doing it wrong. That was... I was reading it incorrectly. Oh, you got it, you got it wrong yourself. I understand. I thought you were mocking me because you thought I got it wrong. And then oh, no, you, you, you got yourself. it right. I know. I was just saying that. I read it and was laughing, thinking it was a heavy mess, going, tee Oh, I did. Anyway, you give two extra wounds to your warlord. Um, so old uh, Rosagus is a uh, pestilent miasma, but so uh, he obviously isn't a heaving mess, but... Uh, I guess we'll talk about that in a second. What do you want to pick? Uh, overflowing fecundity. Uh, each what? time I know overflowing know, fecundity. Who knows what that is? Oh my um, goodness! It, well, it says a swift clotting filth and rotten regrowth. So I presume it is, uh, yeah, some kind of wound-related issue. Um, each time an attack is made with this Warlord, an unmodified wound roll of 1 to 3 for that attack automatically fails, irrespective of any abilities of the weapon or the model making the attack may have. So, transhuman, basically, uh, permanently, which is kind of cool. I guess... Would you put it on a greater... greater and clean one? I mean, probably not, because nothing's no, really going to be wounding it on twos. Yeah. Maybe freeze, but that's very few and far between but on a smaller smaller character you would do that i imagine yeah i mean obviously if you're going to get charged by one of those just super titanic beasts that have strength 16 you know in those instances you're going to be wounding them on a free uh, oh. i suppose obviously if you if you're getting hit by something with strength 10 you're going to get wounded by on a free but you know those weapons are not so prevalent that you probably need to worry about it that extensively. No. Um, Sorry, you were going to say... I'm just going to say we're going to have to point out virulent touch because it is bonkers, right? Each time this warlord makes a melee attack, excluding attacks made against titanic units, if a hit is scored, that attack automatically wounds the target. Imagine that. What kind of lunacy would we be talking if Games Workshop were throwing around rules like that? I mean... On, and you can put that on a great and clean one, right? That is, that is surely that is mad. That's really strong. Oh, yeah, it's 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 leagues of Votan strong. Everyone, that's how good oh, it yeah. is. Is that not quite as strong as leagues of Votan? Well, it's not, it's not it's army, army wide, wide, obviously. But exactly, you know. exactly. What I like is that, and again, this is that. But I like that leagues of Votan got a universal special rule for their whole army that was like one of the most busted stratagems that the uh, Skatari Admet got. Um, and, um, and obviously, as we remember a year ago, the Skatari Admech stuff was so busted. It was literally like dominating the game a year ago. I just love that Games Workshop never seemed to work it out. It's like, oh, is that a good mechanic? Is it? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, whoopsie daisy. Anyway, Pestle of Miasma. This is the one that Rottigus has, so we may as well talk about it. The start of your fight phase, roll 1d6 for each enemy unit within engagement range of this warlord. On a 2 to 5, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. On a 6, they suffer three, uh, sorry, d3 mortal wounds. Blimey heck. 
Not too bad. Mm. Uh, Relics of Nurgle. Uh, do you want to go first, Phil? Do you want to talk about Relics uh, of Nurgle? Yeah, I'm going to go with Entropic Nell, which is another oh. cool name because it's mm. a bell. Um, in your command phase, select one enemy unit within 12 inches of this model until the start of your next command phase. Enemy units cannot benefit from that uh, enemy unit's aura abilities. And for the purposes of determining which player controls an objective marker, treat the number of models in that unit as half its current number rounding up. Mm, yeah, that's quite cool. Mm. Niche, but could be pretty strong. Yeah. I mean, being able to turn off aura abilities is good enough it's in itself, right? So the whole, you know... Objective controlling variable is is a kind of sweetener, I guess. But being able to, you know, mitigate auras is is pretty meaningful. So yeah, um, I'm going to go with Horn of Nurgle's Rot because we all like the horn. Um, each time the bearer has selected a fight after its attacks uh, have been resolved, you can select one friendly plague bearer's infantry corps unit wholly with an 18 of the bearer to be replenished. So basically you can say one friendly plague bearer's unit uh, to be replenished uh, and they have to be wholly with an 18 of the bearer. Mm. Roll 1d6 for each enemy model that was destroyed by the bearer this phase. Each 4 plus you can return one destroyed model uh, to that plague bearer unit uh, with its full wounds remaining to a maximum of three models per turn these models cannot be set up within engagement range of enemy units unless the unit itself is already within engagement range of a unit each unit can only be replenished once per turn so basically you can uh, resurrect up to three plague bearers on the assertion that you have killed three things and are then able to roll four pluses um seem that good i mean unless plague i mean plague bears are normally tough but is having free come back really that big a deal? Unless you've got other ways of bringing more back as well that turn. Yeah, I think obviously given the fact that over the span of an entire game, the best case scenario is is that you're going to get 15 of these things back, bearing in mind that, you know... Well, the, no, the, it's um, per uh, per fight phase, so it could be uh, twice per battle round. Oh, so it could be 30? Mm, potentially. If but that's on the basis that you're turn. losing them frequently and then ultimately still killing stuff. I think the mobility of the army makes that slightly less feasible. Right. So I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting premise, but um, yeah, I don't think it's extraordinarily strong. Um, I think it would be much better if it was a, you know, at the start of the command phase, you can bring back D three or something. Like if it was that every command phase, I feel like that'd just be a little bit more consistent a bit more straightforward right yeah yeah that's the thing it's like i understand that they're trying to do like a whole oh you're killing stuff and then using it to create more plague bearers type vibe but at the same time it's like yeah i get it but also maybe yeah because there are other armies that just utilize the you know regen d3 mechanic um dracari have it for example with their uh homunculus covens so you know I i don't necessarily feel like it's you know, broken to the point of not being necessarily used ever again. In fact, I feel like it's perfectly reasonable. So, yeah, it's just odd. It just feels like it would have been easier, but maybe it's too strong in the case of... Yeah, I mean, 
having critically read the flavor text, yeah, it's really thematic, the idea that you've just killed a bunch of guys and then you blow your horn and then those dead enemy models become uh, plague bearers. Mm, like, really that's, cool. that's cool. So it does make sense. Like the, the theming of it is has trumped the kind of the practical game mechanic of, oh, let's just bring stuff back in command phase for no real reason. So, uh, yeah, so, so in a way they've done a good job with the theming, at least, even if it is a bit convoluted. Uh, interestingly, the Endless GIF has like twice as much flavor text as everything else, and then like a little one sentence uh, ability. Yeah. Which is mad. It just felt like they were filling, oh, we've got some space to fill up. Just write a bit more about this one. Yeah, the Endless GIF is essentially a, uh, a, lot, a lot of words to essentially express that at the start of your command phase, the rare regains up to the number of lost wounds equal to the current battle round. Which is kind of cool. But yeah, like by decent. by turn five, is, is, would it be really that important? Um, well, look, here's possibly, the thing, though, man. possibly. Is the thing if across the entire span of a game you're able to uh, regenerate? I mean, what would that be? That'd be fifteen. Yeah, it's fifteen wins. Yeah, yeah fifteen wins. Which so is regenerating actually... fifty wins is not insignificant. No, the span that's of true. A game. Yeah, it's that. It's that but obviously, you have to. But you have to hope that you that you don't. You know. You know, whatever's going at you doesn't kill you, but that's what's actually really interesting about it, I suppose, especially towards the mid game. I feel like you probably still want to be very defensive with it in turns one and two because it's not really a massive game, but certainly when you get to like turn three, you know, being able to regen four, then five wounds, woof, mm. you know, like you may as well push your luck, especially with toughness nine, 22 wounds. Yeah, know, I guess it gives, especially if you've got that minus one damage, uh, I guess it means you can, yeah, pl- do maybe more risky plays where you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing because I know I'm going to potentially, if you don't kill me, I'm, I'm going to regen four or five wounds. Yeah. Back, yeah. So long as you're not playing Votan, you'll be fine. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to be doing that for the rest of the episode, aren't we? Basically, that's, that's basically the vibe. And we've already recorded the outro long ago, so I mean... I mean, our, our our hot take on Votan feels relatively out of date as the week's gone on. Anyway, true, it, it does actually. Um, so, um, um, what units? What one do you want? You're going to pick one. Are uh, you, or you want me to pick one? Well, I don't mind. I'll, I'll pick one. I'll start. I'll start. No, I'll, I'll I'm start. starting. I'm starting. No, I'm starting. Damn you! Damn oh, you! Fine. Well, you. No, are... no, it's fine. You gave in so quickly. Do you want to? Do you want to just do it? Uh, well, I just want it's just in order. I'll do Rotagus because I said I'm going to do all the special uh, name. Oh, right, well, get 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 to it. Tell us about that there, Rotagus. Exactly. He's a big boy. He's got movement Ooh. seven that degrades uh, to six inches and five inches. He's got weapon skill of two that degrades to three plus four plus ballistic skill three, toughness sorry strength seven, toughness nine, twenty four wounds, uh, six attacks that degrades to five and four, leadership ten, and a five plus four. Plus plus a demon save. He's equipped with streams of brackish filth, uh, a fanged maw, gnar rod, and nurgling claws, and obviously you can only have one of him. So the streams of brackish filth is a 12-inch range, 2d6 assault weapon, strength 6, minus 3 AP, 1 damage, and it automatically hits. So it's like a flamer. That is that's pretty good. That's no slouch. The uh, fanged maw is a melee weapon. It's strength user, which is seven minus one AP, two damage, and it's a malefic one. So that's like your freebie attack. Uh, then we've got the narod, uh, and it's got two profiles. Its mighty strike is uh, strength plus one, which is strength eight minus three. 
three damage, and each time an attack is made with this weapon profile, an unmodified hit roll of six automatically wounds the target. Because um, I assume he he can't have the ability. Actually, what what is his warlord trait that he got? Did you read that one out? Uh, yeah, it was the one where he was... Oh, um, the Pestilent Miasma one. Yeah, yes, so it was the one where, where he does mortal wounds. wounds. Yeah, because him having the hits equals auto wounds would be a bit mad. Um, okay, then we've got Sweeping Blow, which is Strength User, uh, which is 7, minus 2 AP, 1 damage, uh, but you make 2 hit rolls instead of 1. And then lastly, we've got Nurgling Claws, uh, which is Strength 2, <laughs> AP 0, uh Damage one and malefic seven, so you get seven. You know, weapon skill two, though at least uh, those nerglings are, are souped up. Uh, and then lastly, we've got the demonic ability uh, deluge of nurgle. So each time a model successfully manifests a psychic power, if the result of a psychic test was a seven plus after resolving the psychic attack, the closest enemy unit suffers two. Uh, sorry, uh, within twenty four inches suffers d three mortal wounds. So you get a free. Smite basically with every yeah, strong. psychic attack. That's really good. I mean, and a seven plus you sh- is the Nurgle number, but also it's the statistical average that you should be rolling for. Although, for the life of me, I can never barely roll a five plus half the time when I do psychic <laughs> Um Anyway, um, lastly, he's got the uh, Demon Lord of Nurgle aura ability. So, while friendly uh, Legioners, Demonica Nurgle core units within six inches of this model, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, re roll, hit rolls a one. So, he's a captain. Uh, he's also a psyker. He knows uh, he can manifest two psychic powers in your psychic phase. He can attempt to deny two. Um, he knows smite and two psychic powers from the warp rot uh, discipline and obviously he's a psyker and warp uh, locus keyword uh, amongst all the generic ones so yeah. um, how many points is he have you have you looked ahead to see i haven't looked ahead to see i apologize phil i apologize oh here we go he is 320 320 yeah that's not too hey, bad well, mate um... he's he's strong i like him I think he's um he'll definitely make a good account of himself. Yeah. I think interesting they're, you know, they're all pretty much that same sort of points cost. Mm, yeah. Except Slanesh, they're they're a bit cheaper. Very um, strong though. I mean the fact that he's toughness nine, twenty four wounds, four up in bun, five up in bun against um melee, four up against shooting. Um yeah, yeah he's yeah, although he's, a he's he's going to be good. Although I do suspect having an exalted, uh, generic, great, unclean one with a warlord trait means you can have him minus one damage. Then you mm. can have him every hit auto wounds. Although to be fair, if you are doing let's say strength user, strength seven, not against marines, but against anything less, you're going to be wounding on twos anyway. So auto wounding is good but uh it's not you know the end of the world if you've got a wound on twos anyway right because you're going to get most of those through anyway um mm. but against tougher stuff against marines and stuff uh, you know you're wounding on three so auto wounding would be quite cool yeah i just think he's just going to be a pest isn't he it's just going to be and again what i like about reading these particular like bigger versions of the great demons they give us a good flavor of what you know, the regular greater demons are also bringing to the table and it's an opportunity to kind of compare and contrast as it were. But I think, yeah, I think in the case of Rotti, it it just seems like he's got some really interesting gimmicks and 
I don't know. I like him. I dig him. I, I don't think you could necessarily build an army around him because I just don't think with that movement he is nearly aggressive enough. I think movement seven's pretty miserable. Um, and um, obviously he's a big model. Um, so without the mobility, he can be really, well, I really I guess you can always uh, demonic deep strike him. Yeah, but even with that, right? Like it's it's a sort of one and done thing, right? You bring him down, and then from there on in, he's running around trying to get things. But the, the thing is, with models of that size, is they're quite easy to 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 you know to screen when they don't have that. Because the reality is, right, is like obviously he's got a lot of attacks, um, you know, by some model standards. But you know, weapon skill two plus, he's going to swing in. You know, he can get himself up to like. 12 attacks if he's using the sweeping blow, but it's only one damage a time. You know, you could, you could bog him down with, with, you know, troops and things. Yeah. I mean, he, he gets eight extra freebie attacks basically, but that's true. Sorry. Yeah. I forgot. They're, about that. they're, they're pretty basic. Um, yeah. But I think that's the thing. It's like his psychic potential is really potent. The fact that obviously when he's getting the sevens, that he's doing the extra mortals, I think there's something to be said for him, but I think mm. um, and his, I think- his 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 streams of brackish filth, his shooting attack is. I mean, it's only twelve inch range, but actually that's pretty decent. Like that could do yeah. a lot of damage. It's just it's the size combined with the speed. That's the problem. It's like it's not hard to keep him at arm's reach. But um, hey ho, I am going to talk about plague drones. The Plague Drone. If you don't know, the Plague Drones are the Plague Bearers riding on giant flies. They are really quite grotesque. Mm. Um, quite an old school are... model, actually. It's been around a while. You say that. I don't think it's more... I don't think it's older than, like, six years or maybe seven years. It was an early... Really? Maybe. Well, now I'm saying these no, things, I'm not I, sure. I think you're thinking of the other AOS kit, oh, which I weirdly, it's the giant, like, almost like greater demons that were being ridden by the night guys that came out mm-hmm. about six years ago when they redid um, the Great Unclean One model, actually. Uh, these Fair. ones, I think, pre-existed that and were a bit older. Well, nonetheless, we're going to talk about them all the same. So you can get them in uh, units of six or three. Um, the standard play drone is movement 10, weapon skill, ballistical 4, strength 5, toughness 6, 5 wounds, 5 wounds, uh, 2 attacks, leadership 7, 5 up, 4 up. Um, and the only difference is, is that the plague bringer, the leader, is, uh, 3 attacks and leadership 8. Uh, unit contains 4 or more models, they have a power rating 12, every model equipped with death's heads, death's heads, foul mouth parts and plague swords. So death's heads, Really weird. It's a 12-inch range, Assault D3, Strength 4, minus 1, 1 damage blast. Nothing really to write home about, but it's, you know, not insignificant. Uh, foul mouth parts, uh, Strength 5, minus 2, 2 damage, Malefic 2, so it's an extra 2 attacks on top of the 2 you have standard. Plague Sword is minus 2, 1 damage. Each time attack is made with this weapon, an unmodified hit roll of 6 automatically wins the target. Certainly not bad. Uh, and then we also have this thing called a prehensile uh, probosis, uh, which is strength four minus two, one damage, malefic four. I'm assuming that's an upgrade that we're going to get to yep. in just yeah, a second. Uh, you can have a demonic icon or an instrument of chaos. We've talked about those in other sections, but just to reiterate, 
uh, a demonic icon gives you the icon keyword, and each time a combat attrition test is taken, you can ignore any or all modifiers. Um, and the instrument is you gain the instrument keyword and what add one to lose your characteristics and models in that unit. Uh, one plague drone is not equipped with demonic icon can be equipped with the instrument of chaos. Uh, one plague drone that's not equipped with an instrument of chaos can be equipped with a demonic, demonic inco- icon. Uh, and any models foul mouth parts can be replaced with one prehensile probuses. Um, which I don't know. I think because obviously the foul mouth parts uh, are to damage, although they are less attacks. That's potentially the way to go with that. Mm. It's just the fact that they are so many wounds at toughness six um, with a four up invuln against ranged attacks. They just feel like they will be a really annoying mass that you have to try and respect. But yeah, also- it's like I mean, yes, probably like flying death riders but better in combat, but just as resilient because they've got more wounds. So I guess yeah. it's weird because obviously Nurgle, like Space Marines, right, have an inbuilt minus one uh, damage to everything, but these guys don't have that, right? No. So it's interesting no. that they are different. Uh, I respect they're... that, though. I just like the fact that they're just lots of wounds. Lots like, of wounds and just, me. yeah, really high toughness. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I think, you know, yeah, good on them. But yeah, they're 45 points a model, so 135 for a unit three. But again, 15 wounds, tough the six. It's, it's tough to get it through. So, yeah, mm. interesting unit. Pick a third one, Phil, and then we'll wrap up these there nurgly things. Well, I can't resist a fortification. Everyone thinks, Ooh. oh, he's going to do something sensible, like, you know the Nurgleins or the Plague Bearers. No, it's the weird fortification that no one will play. Although saying that, these ones used to be damn good. So are they still damn good? Who knows? It's for feculent Narmor, everyone. Um, so I mean, they used to be they used to be crazy. They used to be fair. busted. You, you see them all the time. And I think People I remember were playing against them a couple of times. With, well, just like tons of Plague Bearers plus a like one or two of these uh it's only got a few characteristics it's got a strength of six a toughness of seven nine wounds leadership seven and a four plus three plus uh demonic save uh, it's obviously demonic it's got the garden grows so during deployment when you set up this unit it can be set up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches away from your opponent's deployment zone and any enemy models Ooh. then it's got sickness uh blossoms at the start of each turn, roll 1d6 for each enemy unit within engagement range of this model. On a 2 to 5, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. On a 6, it suffers d3 mortal wounds. If any enemy models are destroyed as a result of these mortal wounds, you gain one warp storm point, which is quite cool. Uh, then it's got Shroud of Flies. Uh, so while any friendly demonic and Nurgle units excluding vehicles and monsters is within 6, um, each time a ranged attack is made against that unit, subtract one from the attack's hit roll. So that's a good defensive buff. And then lastly, it's got the Plague Bell Chimes. Um, if uh, Sorry, in your command phase, you can select one friendly Plague Bearer Infantry Core unit within six of this model to be replenished. If you do so, roll 7d6 for each six return one destroyed model to the unit with its full wounds remaining. These models cannot be set within engagement range unless those enemy units are already within engagement range of this unit. Each unit can only be replenished once per turn. So that's interesting. They've obviously used the replenish phrasing. So obviously you can use this plus 
Um, was it the stratagem that we saw? Um, yeah, well, oh, no, it was, it was the, a relic, um, wasn't it? Was I think it. actually it was a warlord trait. Oh, was it? But the horned one that bought. Oh, no, the, you're right. It was a relic. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It was a relic. I apologize. Yes, it's just. It's just yes, it's um, so yeah, it sounds like you can't combo them both on the same unit because it uses the phrasing of replenished. Um, it's interesting. I mean, it's got some nice defensive stuff. It I like that it's got some warp storm point shenanigans, yeah, yeah. and yeah, you're statistically likely to get a model back, but maybe more if you roll hot with those tabletop tactic dice that people seem to use all the time or other brands <laughs> are also available. Oh God, he does. Yeah. Uh, or the RFW ones are also busted. I have to say. Basically any of the, uh, yeah. Cause I think the 40 K brawl ones are the same. I think it's just basically any branded dice just seems, yeah. I, I don't know if it is, but it just feels weighted. <laughs> it's like every time. Oh, yeah, it's your yeah. logo again. I see. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. Lovely. Lovely. We need to get some LOS ones where we can just be like nothing but sixes. That would be the way forwards, mate. We should uh, we should look into that. To be fair, maybe we should do like a limited run gift set for uh, for Christmas for for Christmas for patrons. There you go. Ooh, Check that out. There. That's a good idea. Wouldn't that be nice of us if we did do that? Maybe we should. Anyway, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the general synopsis on Nurgle. I mean, they're tough. Uh, they've got a bunch of abilities that make them tough, and they've got a bunch of stats and profiles that make them tough. They are tough, is basically where it comes from. But they're also slow, um, and um, typically speaking, being slow with very limited range is not a recipe for success. Um Again, given that obviously a great many people are obsessed with the competitive version of this game, the bulk combined with uh, the line of sight blocking terrain uh, can certainly assist you in the sense that you are going to be able to utilize that to maybe bog down objectives and and, and do things of that nature. Um, but I think realistically, I think Nurgle are... It's difficult to say for sure right now, but I feel like Nurgle are not the uh are not the prettiest uh the prettiest daughters. Um I mean obviously that's Take not the that case. Because they are visually the prettiest. Uh yeah, that is true. They are probably the strongest looking from a range perspective, but like I just think this is the thing. I just think it's difficult to I think obviously if you love the aesthetic and you love Nurgle, I think you will frustrate a lot of people that you play against. But I think that's also another problem with them is that it's like the games against Nurgle just become, can you get through them? You know, it's always a, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, It's basically like playing dwarves in blood bowl that just cage up around the ball and slowly walk a square or two a turn up towards the end zone. And there's not a lot you can do about it. And, uh, yeah. you know, maybe you can, but it's, it's, it's meant to be a bit of a slog and not a very fun game. I yeah. think pretty much every game against, uh, Nurgle that I've played, they've just had hundreds of plague bearers and they've just all gathered around together in a big clump. And he's just literally like a World War Two tactical lady, just shoved them all forwards in with a stick. Well, they had not an actual stick, but it might as well have been a stick. You know, when they moved the planes around on the on the. I understand what you're saying. You know, you know, you know the they're reference. smoking cigars and uh, 
pushing the pieces around their yes. beautiful boards. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's basically it. They just shove shove them up the board very slowly, and you're like, oh my god, there's just so much to get through. And normally, there's obviously things like the flyers, so they're minus one to hit, and they've got insane durability, and they've got the um, the heralds and the the bearers all doing some insane buffs uh, to mitigate everything that you're doing to try and kill them. Um, it doesn't seem... I don't know if they did before, They, they if they had like some kind of double move ability uh, in mm. the past, or if they were just always slowly moving up the board, but it doesn't seem like they've got any uh, psychic ability that allows them to gain extra movement, so they are just going to be slowly chugging up the board, which is yeah. dramatically correct. Uh, indeed. Anyway, that's us talking about Nurgle out of the way. Uh, again, we're going to move on now to the next bit. Or Slanesh to me and you. Uh, and we're going to get things going with the exalted Keeper of Secrets. But before we do that, Phil has to do that thing where he says what Slanesh are. Oh, pleasure and pain, whips and chains. It's um, you know, Saturday night round your house. In, in, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> if only you knew. Uh, yeah, indulge <laughs> your greatest desires, Dan. Do you want to stuff yourself full of cheese and crackers? Oh, the God of Slanish will allow you to do that. Enjoy yourself. Eat that cheese, Dan. That's true. Eat it. That's true. I mean, I I definitely have. Uh, you know, filled my guts with uh, cheese and crackers, thus them expanding to the great extent that they have already. Um, but there we go. What a beautiful way of describing it. They're also very, uh, you know, uh, intrinsically linked to Elder. Elder being the silly buggers mm. that birthed these uh, demonic uh, beasties. And crab uh, claws. They love some crab, crab claws. claws. Although the crab claws have been downplayed over the years. They're more kind of just like claw claws now. Less kind of crab aesthetics. Mm, um, it's a shame. But there's a few little nods to them in places. Anyway, um, so if you take a Keeper of Secrets, which is the greater demon of uh, the Slanesh, uh, gorgeous miniature from the outset. I mean, they did a really amazing job revamping uh, the Keepers. Um, so it's highly likely that you'll probably want to own one of them. Uh, but if you were to do so, what can you give them? Well, for a mere 35 points... Uh, you can give them words I can't pronounce. Diaphonus panopoly, whatever that is. Uh, each time a rage attack is made against this model, subtract one from the attack's wound roll. Very good. Mm. I assume they're toughness seven, maybe even toughness eight. So subtracting uh, toughness one from the wound. seven, yeah. There um, you go. So they're subtracting one from that wound. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, then we've got another set of words I'm probably going to struggle to pronounce. Epicurean of agonies. Sounds good. Agonies, I was okay with. It's just a bit where it's like Epicurean, whatever that means. In this instance, it means for a mere 25 points, each time the model makes a melee attack, an unmodified hit roll six scores, one additional hit. That's good, because I'm going to guess Slash Demons have a lot of attacks. Um, and then last one is the Instable Onslaught, which is a mere 20 points. Add two to advance rolls and charge rolls made for this model. That is really good. That could be a good How one. that is only 20 points is a little bit of a shocker. That's value right there. Um, so I imagine, though it is the cheapest option, it potentially has a lot of uh, a lot of potential value. So yeah, I the, the, 
the, the one where you score extra hits, so you do six attacks on the generic Keeper of Secrets, but that does degrade, so potentially it, it helps you out a bit more when, you, when your profile does degrade to get a couple of extra hits in, maybe. Nice. Good to know. They've got stratagems, Phil. Tell us what one of them is. Ooh, Thirst for Souls. The very first one sounds very good. It's one CP. Uh, use a stratagem in the fight phase when a demonicus Lanish unit from your army is selected to fight. Until the end of that phase, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack against an Eldari unit, you can re-roll the hit roll and the wound roll. Now, obviously, it's uh, themed to Elder. Very good. Um, but to get re-roll hit rolls and wound rolls for one CP is very good. Especially as there are some very bothersome, difficult to get rid of Eldari units out there in the world, right? So the fact that you can, uh, you know, potentially re-roll hits and wounds against them, noting that Eldari have the same ability right back at you, though. So they also have access oh, do to the strategy. Oh, well, yeah. you know, it's, um, you know, the grudge match of all time, I guess. Well, exactly. Hardly ever met an Eldari player that remembers it's a rule, but um, but it is. Um yeah, it's very rare that people genuinely re- remember that that's an option, but yeah, it is definitely one. So uh, yeah, good to be uh, good to be aware of. Um, I'll pick one, I suppose. Let's go with the Endless Dance. Uh, it is a battle tactic stratagem for one CP. The Endless Dance is as follows: Use the stratagem in the fight phase when a Demonets unit from your army is selected to fight. Until the end of the phase, each time a model in that unit makes a piling or consolidation move, you can move up to an additional three inches. This is not cumulative with any other rules that increase the distance models can pile in or consolidate. So you will now be able to pile in or consolidate up to six inches, um, which is pretty valuable because it definitely means that. Uh, you're going to be able to get a lot of demonets into combat and then ultimately, uh, you know, deliver a lot of damage. Mm. Do you want to pick one more, Phil? Uh, uh, yeah, I'd like to. I want to do Rapturous Standard, which is a 1CP war gear stratagem, because uh, I finally wanted to know if the icon keyword actually did anything, and it finally mm. does. Uh, use a stratagem at the start of the fight phase. Select one uh, Demonica Slanesh icon unit from your army until the end of that phase each time a model in this unit makes a melee attack you can re-roll the hit roll which is kind of cool yeah not too shabby at all i quite like shabby it when uh war gear unlocks a keyword which effectively unlocks stratagems for you to use i always think that's a nice little thematic touch yeah i do actually like that as well to be fair i think it's always really interesting when um yeah, you gain access to these sort of keyword things and they then add in extra flavour. I think when they've been Pops doing that... What was the... Oh, yeah, it was the, the Harlequins that had that, especially where they basically had war gear that then gave them access to stratagems, which was where a lot of the abilities came from. So it was the way they kind of circumnavigated the fact that only certain quantities of each weapon type was available in their box sets. I thought that was a really neat um, solution to that whole situation, really. Hmm. Um, so that was cool. Um, they've got a psychic discipline. It's called Soul Stain. Uh, so the Soul Stain discipline, uh, Delightful Agonies is, uh, one such ability that comes in the form of a blessing with a warp charge value of six. If manifested, select one friendly legion, demonetch, uh, demonetica, slanish core unit within 18 and visible to the psyker until the start of your next psychic phase. Each time model, uh, in that unit would lose a wound. Roll d6 on a five plus. That wound is not lost. Good goodness. 
That's um, pretty uh, pretty ridiculously strong for uh, for a warp charge of six. Hmm. So um, fair play is uh, what I could say to them. What have you, sir? I'm going to go with... Oh, Phantasmagoria sounds good, but I'm going to resist it for Hysterical Frenzy. It's a blessing. Uh, warp charge value of seven. If manifested, select one friendly Demonica Slanish core unit within 18 and visible to the Psyker until the start of the next Psychic phase. Add one to the attack characteristics of models in that unit, and each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, on an unmodified hit roll of six, you score one additional hit. Which is pretty tasty. It is pretty tasty, to be fair. Uh, which one to end it on? You pick it, Phil. I feel like I picked the, la- the last one. Oh, for the last okay. One. Well, I-, I will pick Phantasmagoria then, because it is such a great name. Uh, exactly. Everyone loves a bit of Phantasmagoria. Games Workshop having awful naming. Um Yes, it's a warp charge value of seven. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 inches and visible to the Psyker. Roll 6d6. For each five plus, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Uh, until the start of your next psychic phase, each time that unit suffers a mortal wound as a result of this psychic power, subtract one from the leadership characteristic of models in that unit. Okay, so you can potentially do up to six mortal wounds and reduce their leadership by six for each five plus you roll, which is only for a turn for in terms of the leadership though. Uh, but that could be quite cool mm-hmm. if it combos with anything or just you know the morale phase, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting selection. Warlord traits. Let's just get into that. Um. Quicksilver Duelist is uh, each time this warlord makes a melee attack. You can re-roll the hit roll. If that attack is made against an enemy character model, you can re-roll the wound roll. Blimey heck. Uh, that's strong. that's uh, Shalaxi Hellbane's one as well, which is the the named uh, Greater Demon. Oh, decent. Yeah, I like it. I mean, that's a good one. I mean, re-rolling oh. is good. So, you know, never a bad thing. What are you going uh, for, Phil? I am the savage hedonist. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it is at the start of each battle round, add one to this warlord strength characteristic to a maximum of three plus. Hmm. Okay. That, that is actually pretty good. So, yeah. Battle round one, I've already got plus one strength. And then battle round two, I'm now plus two strength. And then battle round mm. three is plus three. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. so the greater demons are strength six. If you wanted to stick it on them, effectively makes it strength seven by default. Yeah, it's not bad. Mm. Yeah, strength eight by turn it. two, which is like sweet spot, really. You've got this uh, ability here, the fatal caress, which sounds interesting. Each time the warlord makes a melee attack on an unmodified successful wound roll of five plus. And vulnerable saving throws cannot be made against that attack. That's that is also reasonable. very good. That is a caress and a half. It's a stabby, stabby caress. That really. is, that is. It is definitely the sharpest of caresses. Um, I will say, though, I find rules, as I often say, where it is based on kind of a specific value or, you know, a, 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 you know, an amount that, yeah. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget. 
I imagine a lot of people would take that ability and go, oh, God, I forgot you. I'm ignoring Invans. It's the sort of... Uh, well, part of me is like, if that's on a key, it's one that you could probably forget, but hopefully it's one when it is important, you will remember it because it's like... It's it's the thing that ignores Invans and Invans ignoring Invans is so good. It's worth remembering. Mm. Nice relics of Slanish. Mm. Um, the forbidden gem is uh, interesting, I suppose. In your command phase, select one enemy unit within twelve of the bearer to the start of your next command phase. Uh, any aura abilities that unit has have no effect. A lot of stuff ch- switching off auras in this book, um, mm. which is definitely interesting. 12-inch range, though. But then I suppose in the case of these guys, they are whippy, so they're going to get there quick, right? So, yeah. No, I dig it. That's um, that's certainly no bad thing. What do you want to go for? I'm oh, I'm torn between Slothful Claws and Whip of <laughs> Agony. Uh, I think I'm going to go for Whip of Agony, though. Um, it's a model equipped with a living whip or lashes of torment. Uh, so you change the type characteristic of any living whip or lash um, to assault eight. And then each time a bearer makes an attack with a living whip or lashes of torment, uh, excluding attacks made against a vehicle units, an unmodified successful hit roll of four plus automatically wounds the target. That that is clearly like Games Workshop's latest like cool new mechanic after ignoring Vun saves. It's a certain hit roll auto wounds, um, which is on a four plus as well. So that is actually really strong. Mm. Uh, I I don't think I like it as a mechanic, but on a relic, you know, if it's going to be anywhere, it should be on a relic. Um, yeah, absolutely agree with you. Mm. Should I you're gonna, another you're one? do one more? Yeah, go on. Mm. I was drawn to the mark of excess, but let's just... I suppose we'll do the Soul Stealer? Yeah, if you want. Soul Stealer. Uh, models equipped with Wit Stealer swords or Hellforge swords only. This relic replaces Wit Stealer sword or Hellforge sword and has the following profile. Uh, it's melee. It's strength plus two. Minus three. Free damage. Each type model is destroyed by an attack made with this weapon. The bearer regains one lost wound. Like it. Uh, to a maximum of six regained wounds per phase. Hello. That's pretty mad. Uh, each time the bearer makes an attack with this weapon against Eldari units, if it hit is scored, the attack automatically wounds the target. Goodness gracious. Those Eldari are not going to enjoy that very much, are no. they? Hence the name Soul Stealer. It's quite appropriate, I think. It's yeah, no, name. I dig it. I really dig it. All right, mate. Tell us about Shalaxi. Oh, how could you guess? How could I know, you guess? I know. We've established this format by now. You, you, you do your exactly. thing. Uh, so it's uh, movement 16 inches uh, that degrades to 14, then 12. So very fast. Uh, weapon skill 2 plus degrades to 3 and 4 plus. Ballistic skill 2 plus. Strength 6, toughness 7, 22 wounds. 6 attacks degrades to 5 and then 4. Leadship 11 and a 5 plus, 4 plus invulnerable save. Uh, he's got the living whip. The snapping claws, snip, snip. He's got the soul piercer, stab, stab. Uh, and obviously you can only have one of them. So the living whip is a 12-inch uh, assault six. Strength six, uh, minus two and two damage. Then the snapping claws is a strength user, so strength six. Minus four AP, uh, flat three damage and malefic four. 
And then the Soul Piercer is a melee weapon that's times two, so 12 strength, minus four AP, and then three damage. But each time an attack is made with this weapon against a character model, this weapon has the damage characteristic of D3 plus three. So pretty good at killing characters. Uh, the bearer has a demonic characteristic uh, of four plus four plus if you take the shining Aegis. Uh, so you can replace the whip with the shining Aegis. Uh, so the five four becomes four four. So better in combat. Um, I believe that's for shield that it can be equipped with. Yeah. Um, it's got the uh, demonic keyword plus the uh, sorry demonic abilities plus the demon lord of slanesh aura. Uh, so a friendly demon slanesh core unit within six. Uh, each time a model makes an attack, reroll hit rolls of one. So it's a captain of the demons. It's mm. the it's got mesmerizing form. Each time an attack is made against this model, subtract one from the hit rolls. That's very good. Then yeah, it's ranged got, and or melee, so pretty decent. Yeah. Then it's got Cloak of Constriction. So each time a melee attack is made against this model, subtract one from the attack's wound rolls. Oof. So minus one to hit and minus one to wound, but that's in combat only. And then it's got ooh, Monarch of the Hunts. Uh, this model is eligible to form a heroic intervention if it is within six inches horizontal and five inches vertically of any enemy character units. Instead of three inches and five inches, uh, you can basically make a six-inch move um, if it finishes its move within engagement range of the enemy character, though. That's the key thing. And then all other heroic intervention rules apply. And then lastly, it's got uh, two psychic powers. Uh, can uh, deny just one, though. Uh, mm. It also knows smite and two from the soul-stained discipline. Um, seems all right. Weirdly, it doesn't feel as strong as some of the others. I don't know if that's just the way I'm looking at it. I mean, it's well, very fast. It's yeah, it's tough. super fast. Yeah. Mm. Has 10 attacks, which is no slouch, right? Like, I mean, that's pretty reasonable. And these are consistently free damage, uh, minus four. That, that is some true. Some of them are strength six, some of them are strength 12, but still pretty tasty. Yeah, because I was like, oh, it doesn't have like a sweeping profile to deal with hordes. But as mm. you say, it does get 10 attacks because of the four from the malefic. Mm. Uh, mm. But but they are all like really high AP and high yeah. damage. So you could quite easily mince through a squad of marines. Uh, oh, Shalaxi would really, really go to town on a lot of, um, you know, elite infantry. I mean, like custodies and things are not going to like her very much at all. Yeah, um, it's almost wasted on hordes though. Like if you could surround them in gross, like it will it will kill ten, sure, mm. but it you know it can't deal with twenty or more. There's a lot of elder units that wouldn't like it very much as well though, right? Because like Shalexi will definitely cause a lot of problems to things like shining spears. Um, weirdly, banshees probably won't mind too much because they're not really you know in Shalexi's wheelhouse necessarily. But certainly, um, yeah, spears. Um, a lot of the jet bike stuff, to be fair. Um, there's, yeah, there's some interesting stuff that, that wouldn't do overly well. And the psyche power output is acceptable. It's not extraordinary, but then, you know, Slanesh aren't necessarily supposed to be, you know, super psychic based. So, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable that, 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 you know, they can only cast two 
uh, deny one. But yeah, it's interesting is what I would say. I'll tell you what is weird, right? Just to get it out of the way. So strange that they've not added the other um, Slanish demon model from Asia Sigma um, to this. Like, I'm super surprised. The new, uh, the new one that came out last year the one it's sort of like, like floating floating with like not wings like a giant cape i want to say yeah so i think it was uh part of the uh, head and knights of slanesh range i can't remember the name of it i'm just looking up now uh oh here we go the Sinaness, the voice of slanesh i mean or it's uh dexaya the talon of slanesh i think in both instances i mean you don't get more Slanish demon than uh, than these uh, these creatures. Um, so it is a bit of a shocker that they are one of the few very obviously demon things that hasn't made its way across to 40k. Wasn't there like that, like a was like a big fat guy being carried around on a I want to say a palanquin palanquin. Um, well, yeah. So that's Gluttus, uh, Oscorian Lord of Gluttony. Um, but you know, that's essentially, again, appears very demonic, I suppose, but is, is it very, is it more human? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a human, you know, I mean, again, the worshippers of chaos in the confines of Age of Sigma are so much more kind of, uh, deified. More abhuman, ab- uh, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in the, the 40k it, context. Yeah, I think like in Age of Sigma, the demon and and kind of human synergies are much more kind of advantageous, uh, advantageous, advantage, advantageous. I can't say advantageous. That's the yeah. word I couldn't find there. Good God, they're much more advantageous in the sense that, um, yeah, when you look at like the the various forces as they've merged with chaos, they've got more kind of uh, aesthetically pleasing upgrades. Whereas it feels like in forty k. The mergers with uh, with 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 demons is much more body horror, whereas in Sigma they seem to be a bit more, yeah, as I say, a bit more idealistic, I suppose. But um, hmm. all the same, yeah, it was just a shocker not to see that one make the cut. But one that did, and one that's worth talking about, is the uh, contorted epitome, which is the mirror, uh, as it is mm, otherwise known. The mirror. The mirror. Uh, so as a movement 12, um, spoilers, pretty much everything in this army is quick. Um, I mean, just to quickly go over to the demonettes, just for reference, demonettes have a movement of 10. They are quick. These are very fast things. Um, weapon skill 2+, plus, ballistic skill 3+, plus, strength 4, toughness 5, 8 wounds, le- attacks 8, 8 attacks, leadership 8, and a 4-up, four 4-up. Four uh, they've got collided tentacles, uh, which is strength plus one, so strength five, minus two, damage free, malefic free. Uh, and then they've got the ravaging claws, which is strength user, strength four, minus two, two damage. Um, so that is a total of 11 attacks there. Um, they are demonic, but they also swallow energy. Each time this model would lose a wound as a result of a mortal wound, roll a d6 on a two plus. That wound is <laughs> not lost. So Goodness no gracious. mortal wounds for me. Well, very few. Um, they are heralds of Slanish, while friendly legion demonica Slanish core unit is within six of this model. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, you can re-roll the wound rolls of one. It's very strong. Uh, and then 
horrible fascination, which is an aura, while enemy units is within six of this model at the start of your opponent's command phase, your opponent must roll 3d6 for that unit. If the result is higher than that unit's leadership characteristic until the start of your opponent's next command phase, half the move characteristics of models in that unit, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, subtract one from the hit rolls. Wow. They're too busy looking in the mirror, obviously. Yeah. And then lastly, it's a psyker that can manifest two and can deny two. Oh, wow. That's there you go. probably worth it just for that. How many points is this? Let's have a quick look. I'm flicking. It seems, it seems very strong. I've got to assume it must be like 160 or something. Oh, uh, what, 160, 160 exactly. yeah. Yeah, bloody hell. Yeah, it's worth it, though. I mean, eight wounds. T- yeah, toughness five. The fact that it can do that where it can really stump people's movement is massive in 40k. So the idea that you could situate this person, because obviously you can move them in your your turn, and then this triggers in your opponent's command phase. So you can really neutralise movement for a turn and you can kind of set that up in a interesting way so no i really really impressed with that that's cool nice do you want to pick the last one phil um yeah there's quite a lot in this book isn't there? there's lots of different uh, I, types i know of... i was thinking that it's actually got the most uh units out of all of them but i guess I that's why they didn't add the sigma thing i don't think i've seen half of these before and i don't know if it's because they're kind of really old slightly derpy models like these chariots and stuff or if they've just never been good so no one's built them like a mm. you know, uh, big phil or go to slanish player he doesn't rock any of these he's just got you know the demonettes and the seekers and um basically all the big greater demon models uh mm. you could fill your face with um speaking of which i think i'll do seekers let's do them the classic uh, they are uh take four to nine plus a heart seeker uh movement 16 inches cool uh weapon skill ballistic skill of three plus uh strength and toughness of four uh two wounds four attacks leadership seven and a five plus four plus uh demon save the uh heart seeker gets uh, one extra attack, one extra lead chip, so five and eight, respectively. Um, every model is equipped with a lashing tongue and a piercing claw. Uh, so the lashing tongues is, well, they're both close combat units, um, sorry, close combat weapons. Uh, lashing tongue is strength four, AP zero, one damage and malefic two. Uh, so that's your freebie attacks. And then the piercing claws is strength user, so strength four, minus two, one damage. Um, and then you can take the demonic icon um, and the instruments of chaos, which we talked about before, and they're your only two war gear options. And then their only ability beyond demonic is unholy speed, which is plus one to charge rolls made for this unit, um, which is very good. They are well quick, is the general vibe. Yeah, yeah, and a decent amount of attacks, not. A crazy amount, but the fact you get a few freebies in there as well is quite good. Shock horror, the slanish are quick and they are stabby. Uh, who would have thought, eh? Exactly, yeah. I do really like them, though. I think as a range, they're definitely an interesting one. I've always actually really enjoyed, like, the chariot minis. They always seem like some of the most underrepresented uh, 
miniatures available and definitely ones that um should be uh you know more awesome than they've been in the past and although we didn't choose to talk about them and uh in the interest of the time we won't um it's cool that uh you know it seems like they've added in some interesting flavor to that and um i mean overall i think you know obviously we're going to need to talk about the uh bellicor stuff now just to round the whole thing out but um I think they've done a really good job of, you know, realizing each of these different flavors of demon and giving us a lot of uh, reasons to consider and be excited by all the different forms and functions of uh, the demons. And you can easily see why it is that, uh, you know, you're going to want to sort of, uh, you know, mix it up and, and, and sprinkle in lots of different types and, you know, how that whole thing will kind of come together. So, no, I like, I like the, uh, I like the, uh, I like the Slanesh based on what I'm seeing there. I think they've, uh, I think they've done a pretty fantastic job with them. So uh, yeah, look cool. What do you reckon, mate? Uh, pretty good, but could do with a fortification. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I think the mirror is like a mobile fortification, really. Um, yeah, yeah, no, they, they they seem pretty solid, Mike. They don't, uh, they they seem up there with the rest. A good, a good like B plus, like not broken, just good. Uh, and you know, lots of models, if a lot of maybe dated or fiddly to build ones, because it's mostly chariots in terms of the model range. Um, but yeah, seems, seems pretty cool. Nice. And Bellacore stuff. Well, yes, that's what it means. Book of a Warp is basically Bellacor. No more, no less. No more, no less. Um, yes, the Book of the Warp, which is essentially us wrapping this whole glorious saga up. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it up to this point, assuming you've listened uh, to all of it. If you have, uh, you know, God bless you. Let's talk about it. So Bellacor definitely was and is the big bad of uh, Chaos Demons at the moment. He definitely added a lot of uh, excitement and or uh, lethality, I suppose it's fair to say, into the wavering uh, Demon Codex back in uh, the latter half of last year when he was released. I feel like Bellacor... Yeah, Psychic Awakening, wasn't it? Not Psychic Awakening, a Warzone book, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, originally, do you remember it came out in Asia Sigma first, and then they did like a really weird thing where you didn't have rules for ages. Yes. Um, yeah. In 40k. Peak COVID times, everyone. Yeah, yeah. And then when he finally did have rules, we all kind of wished they hadn't done him. Um, we were like, oh dear. They were pretty good. It will be interesting to see if it's the exact same rules um, or if if it's updated and changed. I feel like it's updated and changed. I'm pretty confident Probably. of that. But the thing is, is that um, like, Bellacore was already strong based on a book that was pretty old, in fact, very old, and as a result, quite weak. So it'd be incredible to see what um, what they've given him in yeah. concert with Because Co- uh, with else. this, we, he does also get an armies of renown that we can also talk about briefly. Um, he is Chaos Undivided, poster boy, uh, out of all the others. This is the guy that you want. Him and Abaddon, you... I suppose. Yes, yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a bit of rivalry between the two of them. Um Quite probably. Because in AOS, he has that with, um, oh God, what's his name? Archeon. Ar- Archeon, yeah. They they have like a competing rivalry. 
Uh, yeah, so he, yeah, is all about Chaos Undivided. I guess if you want to have an army full of all the different uh, Chaos Demon minions, this is the route to go, and who better to, to lead it than, than Bellicor. Uh And if you take him, basically you get the Noctic Discipline, which is basically his own special psychic discipline uh, that he gets access to. Nice, nice. Some of the psychic powers within the Noctic Noctic discipline are as follows: shrouded step, uh, a uh, blessing for warp charge rally of six. If manifested, select one friendly legion, demonica infantry, or disciples of Bellicor infantry unit within eighteen of this psyker. Remove that unit from the battlefield and set it up anywhere on the battlefield that is more than nine inches away from an enemy model. Wicked. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. That's very strong. Nice. Uh, I'm going to yeah. go for Betraying Shades. Uh, so Witchfire, uh, Warp Charge Value of 6. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 inches and visible to the Psyker. Select up to 6 models in that unit and add together the unmodified attack characteristics of those models. Roll a number of D6 equal to the total. For example, if 5 models have been selected and they have an attack characteristic of 2 and 1 has the attack characteristic of 3... You roll 13 D6. There's no cap. Um, If the result of psychic test is 11 or more, add one to each dice result. Uh, Okay. And then for each roll of a six plus, the unit suffers one mortal wound to a maximum of six mortal wounds. So the six plus is um, on a D6, so very unlikely to happen. But if your psychic test manages to be an 11 or more, you basically do it on a 5 plus instead. Yeah. Um, mm. Seems like a really convoluted way of just saying, like, you know, could do up to 6, could do... like pro- why pro- it Probably do... D3 or D6. Probably do one or two mortal wounds. It's like a lot of stuff to probably not do a lot of stuff. It's like being a guard player and shooting, basically. It's basically smite, but with extra steps, isn't it? It's like, all right, cool. It's like smite, but you know, different. Yeah, I mean, I guess potentially if you could find a unit that does like six attacks per model or something mad, because they're like a Slanesh unit or something, um, mm-hmm. then you could actually be rolling a bucket of dice. So even though if mm. it only goes off on a six, maybe you'll get like four or five. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, good, it's always good that they have those caps in there, because stuff can get ridiculous. Um, but it doesn't feel very likely you'd ever hit that cap. No, I would agree with that statement. Oh, well, interesting, is what I would say. Hmm. Do you want oh, to pick, choose pick one last more. one? Yeah, why not, why not, why not? I'll just go with uh, Reefed in Shades. Uh, so, Blessing, it's a warp charge of seven. If manifests, let one friendly legions, demonica, or disciples of Bellicor unit, excluding monsters and vehicle units, within 12 of this Psyker, to the start of your next Psychic phase, enemy models cannot target that unit with ranged weapons unless... That unit is the closest eligible target to the firing model, or it is within 12 of uh, the firing model. Very strong. Um, This is a psychic power that's been sprinkled around in a few places. It is very good. Um, Being able to uh, shield a unit uh, like that is, um, yeah, very strong and something you could definitely build into really well. Um, so yeah, cool, nice. Do you want to do one more just to take a bit? I mean, it is the only thing Ooh, in this section. Uh, yes, let's do Pearl of Despair. 
Uh, it's a malediction warp charge for value of seven. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 inches and visible to Vsaka. Roll 3d6. If the result is greater than the unit's leadership characteristic, it probably will be, uh, select one of the following to apply. Um, until the start of your next psychic phase, if that unit has any aura abilities, select one of those abilities and the unit loses it. Um, or... Uh, until the start of your next psychic phase, that unit cannot perform actions, and if it's currently performing one, it immediately fails. Or, last but not least, um, until the start of your next psychic phase, in the fight phase, that unit is not eligible to fight to that phase until after all eligible units from the army has done so. That one, surely. That's the that's the good one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's never a bad shout, really, is it? Nice. Yeah. I mean, they're all good. They're all sort of um, niche for the, you know, what's the right word? You know, uh, timed appropriate, right? You know, they're all good things when those things need to be switched off um, in terms of the uh, abilities and uh, actions and stuff. So, yeah, handy that you can pick from a list, basically, to give that a lot of universal utility. I was just checking the uh, Disciples of Bellacor again. Pretty mad that they've still got the whole thing where you can sprinkle in Imperial Knights as well, or rather, sorry, Chaos Knights into... Because uh, it's just an well. agent of Chaos, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's specifically uh, specified as a benefit, so a mm. specific knightly household um, or Chaos whatever thing. Um, well, it's because he took over... Um, is it House Raven, right, wasn't it? And then that's now well, House Corvo. This, it is. Yes, yes, House... house uh, Corvus? Where is it? Yeah, House Corvax. Corvax, yeah. that's it. Yeah, because that is the, the one... He stole an entire planet that was House Raven and converted it into Legend. his own domain, uh, which then is House Corvax, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Some of would be a really fun thing to lean into and actually do a properly themed like army list around. I like the idea of uh, you know the Chaos Knight combined with Bellacor himself chucking in some uh, Marines, some demons. Pr- cool. Proper scary looking list, and you know yeah, a few yeah, big yeah, centerpiece yeah. models as well, which would be. Oh, good. Mate, don't yeah. don't get me tempted. Don't get me tempted. Don't tempt me, Frodo. Um, anyway, let's talk at- about the man himself, Phil. Okay, uh, do I get the honours? You get the flipping oh, honours, mate. Thank, thank you very much. You get to talk about all the big ones. Come on. I know. Um, I'll, I'll resist doing an innuendo about that. Uh, yes. Yeah, I've done probably he, too many of those this episode, I feel like. Know. I think I'm definitely over the quota. Uh, he's got a movement of 12 inches, which degrades to 8 and then 6. He's got a weapon skill and ballistic skill of 2+. plus. Uh, he's got a strength of 8, which degrades to 7 and 6. He's got toughness 7, 20 wounds, uh, 6 attacks, which goes down to 5 and 4. Leadship 9 and a 4+, plus, 4+, plus demonic save. You can only have one of them in your army. And he's only equipped with one thing, which is the Blades of Shadows. Um, or Blade of Shadow, because he only has one of them. Uh, so he has two profiles, the Sweeping Strike, which is, um, uh, they're both melee, obviously. Strength User, which is eight by default, but could go down to six. Uh, AP minus three, one damage, but you make two hit rolls instead of one. So by default, that's six. Um, sorry, 12 attacks. Um, and then Piercing Strike, which is uh, plus four. So that's Strength 12. Um, on your top bracket, minus four AP, uh, D3 plus three damage, and as before, 
you can't make in, uh, invulnerable saving throws against that attack. But Wowzers. demon saves now get their demonic save against it. So Bellacor on Bellacor or Bellacor versus any other demon will be an interesting match. I mean, I imagine they'd still die. Um, yes. He's got a ton of abilities, so let's rattle through them. He's got Demonic, he's got Shadow Form, which is each time an attack is made against this model, you, your opponent, cannot re-roll the hit roll. Uh, each time an attack is made against this model, subtract one from the attack's hit roll and wound roll, um, which I'm pretty sure it used to be in like ranged only before, so now it's in both rounds, which is even better. Um, oh, wait, no, it might be this bit from before uh, each time a ranged attack is made against this model subtract one from the attack's damage characteristic to a minimum of one i remember there was something that was about ranged attack before so maybe it's that and that yeah. actually just hasn't changed so basically he's minus one to hit minus one to wound you can't re-roll the hit rolls and in ranged combat he's minus one damage that is still stonks um yeah. then he's got the lord of torment aura uh, so while an enemy unit is within six inches of this model, subtract one from the lead chip characteristic of models in that unit. And each time um, a combat attrition test is taken, subtract uh, one from combat attrition tests. Then he's got the Dark Master Aura. So a friendly demonica or disciples of Bellacor unit excluding vehicles is within six inches of this model. Each time a model that uh, that unit makes an attack, reroll, hit roll of one. So he's got a niche captain uh, medal on him uh, giving out that ability and then he's also got spiteful jealousy so if your army is about forge you cannot include this model in a detachment that includes any other demon prince models uh, each time this model makes an attack against a demon prince model you can re-roll the hit troll and you can re-roll the wound roll well, that's cool i don't remember that bit being in there before that was in there before was yeah, it? There was, oh, yeah, I like that. and that I- um, one thing you failed to notice with Dark Master as an aura, though, right, is that it's a friendly Legion Demonic or Disciple Bellicor unit. There is absolutely no mention of it being core. Or yes. Character. So, so everything. Uh, well, obviously himself as well, right? Himself as well, yeah. So he gives himself reroll ones, and he gives um, and he gives uh, everything. Oh wait, hold on a second. No, he's not. Does he have? He's that? both. He's both. Leg- he's a Legion's Demonica. Oh, yes, but he's not Disciples of Bellicle, which is weird. But then, or, or Disciples yes, of Bellicle. Yeah, and if, and if, but, if you, if, and that's specifically for the Army of Renown. If you put him in an Army of Renown, he would become Disciples of Bellicle. No, no. In theory, he would. shouldn't be because he's not the Disciple. He is the Bellicle. But I think he would, either way, no, either he'd way probably he'd still gain get it. it. He'd probably gain it, yeah, yeah. But what's um, crazy about that is, is it means that the Chaos Knight that's in your Disciples of Bellicle is rerolling ones. Everything is. It's, it's mad. You could do some. Yeah, that is that's very strong to have everything rerolling. Once. Yeah, so because you could even give that to another greater demon, right? Obviously, you can't have it in your de- same detachment, but you could have two detachments, right? Three yeah, if they're not disciples of Bellicor, then yeah, you can do it. If you're doing it just as a demonic uh, army, yeah, then yeah, totally. Mm. Uh, so yeah. he's also a psyker, so he can manifest two powers uh, of your choice. Uh, only denies one, though. Very odd. Only denies one. He knows smite and two psychic powers uh, from the Nocturne, um, Noctic Discipline. And then lastly, his Warlord trait. So 
Um, he must have the one shown below. The Shadow Lord, in your command phase, select one friendly Demonica Core or Disciples of Bellicor unit, excluding vehicles, um, within three inches of this Warlord until the start of your next command phase. Each time a modern that unit makes an attack, you can reroll the hitch roll. All right, so this is, he's a chapter master he, of the demons, as opposed to the captain ability that he gets by default. Um, yeah, okay. He's he's as good as he was before, and it doesn't seem like they've toned him down at all. Yeah, he's very, very strong. He is a... Yeah, he, he, he's just yeah, he's he's very strong. That's all you can really say about him. Um, yeah, that that's very good. Well done, them. Bellacore continues to be Bellacore. Goodness gracious, he, he's good. Um, uh, there's two extra data sheets here. Which do we want to talk about the those? Only the demon generic prince ones. The, the demon grinder. prince and the soul grinder. I mean, maybe the demon prince is worth talking about if you want to. Oh, like, demon prince, right? Weirdly, it's the old model. So this was obviously done before. Well, they, yeah. I mean, the new one's not out yet, so it sort of makes well, sense. Well, the plan, I believe, originally was that this was supposed to come out, obviously, before anyone leaked pictures of the new Demon Prince, but uh didn't go that way. But, um yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about talking about Demon Princes and Soul Grinders at this point. I think we've probably... I mean, this is they're, way more... They're very iconic, we... and uh, yeah. they're, they're probably going to be decent. Right? Uh, of course. Look, I think... That almost certainly is enough demon, uh, you know, readings to give a pretty fair appraisal of the overall book. I think. Um, Are we going to talk about disciples of Bellicor? We did. We talked about it at the start. You said what it was, didn't you? Oh no! I mean, are we actually going to go through the armies of renowned rules? Nah. You're like no. Right. We refer to the previous episode, Warzone. <laughs> Well, it's basically it the It's like basically, it's a very specific army for Bellacor that gets a bunch of buffs because it's Bellacor, but um, it, it gives you a lot of flavour. Yeah, he, I mean, he's got a ton of restrictions. Read, read it, Phil. Come on, real. Yeah, I know you want to. Oh no, I'm not. I've just, I'm just looking at that. There's too much text. Like, there's a lot of reading to. Yeah, do. it's ridiculous. We've already been at this for like. I mean, what, this thing's going to be like forever long, isn't it? I mean. Yeah, this is like quite likely an eternity. So, yeah, suffice to say, you've got a bunch of army restrictions, uh, which, in, basically, in terms of your unit composition, you've got a ton of benefits that you get. Um, plus, you get six stratagems for him as well, which look all right. Right, <laughs> that is our summary. There we go. There you go. The book is done. Whoosh. The book is done. Another one in the book. Um, look, I think here's the thing with demons, right? Like, it felt like to me that when the demon book came out, it didn't necessarily set people's heads spinning in the same way as obviously uh, Voltana at the moment. I mean, that's a whole other conversation which we sort of get into in the outro. But to be honest with you, we don't really do it justice based on recent events. Did you hear that? Germany have uh, banned them from tournaments. That was quite funny. Yes, although surely Germany's not one person, right? Or is there a collective that have got together to decide that all German tournaments, or is yeah, it... Yeah, it's just like the, the I think the community... The German ITC was... or whatever maybe has, yeah, has come yeah. out to say that. Um, I mean, it, it feels a bit knee-jerk, but you know that's it'll be interesting I mean, the book's to not see. even out yet right i mean you know but it does seem quite silly anyway look that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time demons 
I think this is the book that demon players wanted. I don't think it's extraordinarily strong in layman terms. I think your average player um, with um, an average level of imagination will come up with some really fun, interesting lists. Um, but I think there is enough nuance here and enough um, really interesting stuff in this that skilled players will be able to really bamboozle people. I think there's just a really beautiful mixture of units and compositions and abilities that in the hands of, you know, great players, there's clearly a lot of amazing stuff that can be done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, demons really came out from left field during uh, the upcoming London Grand Tournament. Not that we not often speculate on results of Grand Tournaments, but I feel like at this moment in time, there's a very real chance uh, that demons could surprise a lot of people there. I feel like at the moment they've got a lot of great tools. I think they've been going under the radar just a little bit up to this point. And I think there's a lot there that could surprise people. And I think honestly, it's a really exciting book. That's genuinely again, much like chaos space Marines got me really excited about the prospect of both playing against and potentially one day uh, mucking around with collecting the forces of chaos again. Cause I mean, the thing that's most exciting to me is the way they've integrated the whole range together. So the idea that I could be taking Chaos Space Marines, sprinkle in some demons, chuck in some Chaos Knights, starts to really kind of take shape. And actually, for the first time ever, I genuinely believe that the rules accommodate building a force of Chaos that is so much more in alignment with what my expectations around Chaos is, which, as I've said many times, lots of cultists the cultist leadership structure that's there now in chaos space Marines with the things they've got there. Super excited about all of that stuff, the possessed, all of the, um, you know, spawns and mutated creatures combined with a few chaos space Marines. And then obviously having all the never born, the demons sprawling out in all directions. I think you could definitely create some super thematic and very, very entertaining demon armies that will definitely deliver a lot of fun, um, for their controlling players. And I think that's great. I think that's what chaos have always wanted. I just think they want the freedom to be able to express the fullness of the, of the lore and the literature that kind of fuels, you know, the sort of mythos around chaos. And I think this in conjunction with chaos Knights and, and, and ultimately chaos space Marines alongside thousand sons, death guard, uh, soon to be world eaters is, yeah, I think it's, it's a really exciting time to be a chaos player again, because I think, you just got a lot of opportunities and options. And I think this is really fun. I, 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 it's lovely to read 40 K books and be enthusiastic about them. I think, and, and I think chaos demons do that in the same ways that chaos space Marines do. So yeah, I mean, fair play to games workshop, the, the summer of chaos releases have been some of the best things they've done in a while. Um, and I feel bad that, uh, all the attention is on leagues of Votan at the moment and how silly they are because, Truth be told, like the work they've done on these Chaos Space Marines and Demon releases really deserves more um, appreciation than they probably got. Um, so, yeah, no, well done. That's fantastic. And lastly, gorgeous book as well. Such incredible evocative artwork. Yeah, genuinely can't recommend it enough. I think it's uh, I think it's a great time to be a Demon player. What do you reckon, mate? High praise. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree. It's, um, I think in terms of the theming, it's really good. It's great, as you say, that you can finally fulfill your wildest imaginations when it comes to being a chaos player, whether that's running the kind of 
quintessential kind of space marines with demon armies, which I remember long ago so i remember when uh the death guard book came out it was a bit like well where's all the cool nurgling stuff to go with them and it's like okay that's a separate book uh i guess you could argue they could be integrated but as a d- demon uh generic player it does make them that to have their own book that's completely separate uh, i think the theming's really good i think the, the only downside is if you are a one a mono god uh faction for chaos you have a very limited model choice potentially with the exception of slanish but it feels like they've got a load of weird chariot variants which boosts up the number of data sheets that they have in comparison to all the others but otherwise it's almost like a an aos army or a, a leagues of votan 0.1 like you know the first release of votan's very small and will probably get bigger over time, whereas it feels like all the Nurgle ones in all Nurgle, all the demons in isolation are actually quite small model ranges. But I don't think that's ever been a problem because whenever I played against them, like I said, against Nurgle, it's always been like a ton of plague bearers and a greater demon and a cup and you know a tree and a couple of other things, and that feels very thematic at a two thousand point level. Like you don't maybe need lots of models. Um, the idea of being able to do like an undivided force is really appealing. Like I, I'm going through that book and my, like, Oh, I could have a little bit of everything, but I feel like that only really works best at really large scales where you have almost like a dedicated, you know, a thousand points or, you know, I don't think 500 points of each would necessarily do it all justice. Right. Whereas I think you need almost like a, a bit more to do a proper undivided force. Unless of course you go go down the Bellacore route, which I think would be, is the most appealing, right. Is to take Bellacore and then a bunch of everything plus a bunch of, you know, a knight and some chaos Marines and some other dudes. I think that would be really interesting. So I think they've, they've done really well in that respect. And then as we talked about power level, it just seems, it sort of feels, very similar to what it was before probably better for the generic demons obviously bellicor doesn't seem to have changed at all um in terms of like slanish stuff because i've played a few games against big phil and stuff it feels like it's probably improved slightly but not by a huge amount uh there's probably more quality of life in terms of the abilities relics stratagems and stuff like that that have brought it up in level rather than let's say the data sheets Although, you know, some of it's interesting. Like, you know, I think loads of people decried about the whole demonic invulnerability and how silly that was and how it's like another version of an invun save. It's like, I don't actually mind it, right? It's, I think it's, it's thematic. I like how it has a different, uh, save, whether it's from shooting in close combat and the fact that actually it is immune from stuff that ignores invulnerable saves. At least I assume it is. Um, it actually is a real benefit to them in the wider world that we're sort of living in where there's almost too much uh ignores invun stuff going around now in in the later codexes yeah I, yeah i agree with that i think obviously there is um was a necessity to give them a mechanic that will you know allow them to still you know utilize their main gimmick in face of so much stuff ignoring invuns noting that chaos demons have quite an abundance of arsenals and weapons and things that does the same right like there's a lot of stuff in that book that was ignoring invuns yeah. right so yeah, like yeah. you know they kind of 
demonstrating the necessity for that rule in their own range. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think to your point, mate, I think, yeah, between kind of like mono God and undivided and what you can kind of mix in, I think obviously now, cause you can chuck in different battalions, you can really bring it to life in interesting ways. And I think, um, you know, I think with the way that demons function, it's definitely an argument. And the warp storm mechanic is interesting. Mm. Not my favorite because again, it's another piece of administrative work. Um, but it's still kind of cool that they've kind of got something that demonstrates that. Um, it's, know, it's quite that- simple as well. It's not like the Thousand Suns where you've got to tot up all your like psychic potential amongst all your psychers to work out what yeah. you're t- This is just roll eight dice and it, how many was it four pluses? Uh, and then that's, that's it. it. That seems really straightforward. And you do that at the beginning of your battle round or turn, I can't remember which now. That seems nice and easy, uh, yeah. and then you've got a bit of choice in terms of what stuff you're going to do. And I guess you, most people would sort of plan their army around using a couple uh, rather than all of them. The only thing I would say about the um, the Warp Storm stuff that I didn't really get a chance to talk about before, though, is I do miss some of the kind of more comedic vo- uh, qualities of it. Again, going back to 6th six, six edition with the Demons there was a kind of infighting to the mechanic that became quite funny. So like if you did like a storm that was uh, influenced predominantly by Zench, it would have negative impacts on Corn. And if you did something that was impacting like Slanesh, it would have negative impacts on like Nurgle. So it was always like really funny that like, you'd roll for it and then it'd be like, oh, it's infused with Nurgly stuff. So as much as that's bad for your opponent, it also sucks if you happen to have some, uh, yeah, maybe Slanesh units in your army, That's... which I thought sort of spoke to the kind of uh, constant sort of struggle between the gods and their ongoing yeah. kind of feuds amongst themselves. So so one thing I just realised there seemed to be a lack of is in the past there used to be, it felt like whenever you did like a uh, morale check, if you rolled like a one, you would always get a bunch of models come back. And it feels like... Was that like a generic ability or was that like on the data sheet of specific units? Because it feels like that's not in there anymore. Yeah, so that was sort of specifically linked to um, like icons effectively. So that was like an ability that was given. But I think Games Workshop have since moved away from egregiously giving respawn abilities because of the fact that they obviously do carry kind of points implications so mm, that, that's probably um, a good thing because i remember that was one of the things where it was like in, even though you're trying to churn through like a big blob if they rolled well it's like okay oh, even more coming back and that was always a, a bit painful uh so yeah. yeah limiting it to as said relics and stratagems is probably a good way of uh, going about it yeah i'd say so i think um yeah i think i think they've struck a good balance it's fair to say um but there we go also yeah final final thoughts the layout if this is what the layout is to be going forwards well done it's um it's a real delight to read i i i suspect it could just be because of the weird niche of how they've divvied up all the gods like i disagree though because one of the things interesting one of the things you may have not noticed that was in there is um, secondaries. They don't have any uh, match play secondaries in there. Oh. He's he's going to the book. He's looking. Well, because so at the end is Crusade. Yeah, yeah. But they don't have match play secondaries in there, which but, tells me that but, this is it. 
But what happens if you if you don't want to play the latest version of the the GT pack? Well, then I guess you have to use um, you have to use uh, just the generic secondaries. It's well, a bit odd. I mean, I, 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 it makes sense because they've removed them from the GT pack, but it almost feels yeah. like, from a consistency point of view, just keep them in there. Cause but could it mean, though, Phil, that in future editions, 10th maybe, which maybe this book has been built with 10th in mind, maybe we're not having secondaries as a default mechanic anymore. Or it's you just only imagine. Oh, living the dream. Um, yeah. Or it's just because they're in the GT pack now, and that's where they live forevermore as uh, you get yeah. one or two or have many. Yeah, yeah, but if they live there as the only place where they are Then they can disappear. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then fantastic. Let them stay there. Hmm. Um, look, I reckon that's enough on Demons, my friend. It's been a delight talking for them with you. Hopefully people have enjoyed it. Genuinely, it's a good book, and it really is the icing on the chaos cake, which is... Uh, yeah, because we, a- we really enjoyed the chaos uh, codex. That was... Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, Chaos Space Marines, strong. Chaos Knights, there was some there was some issues early doors trying to get my head around the whole kind of weird tilting kind of like... Oh, I yes. I can't even remember what it was called now, but the mechanic where it was like you were rolling from phase to phase of demonicness. But, um, you know, once you kind of grasp that kind of system, it wasn't too tragic. And I think, you know, the Chaos Knights are very, very strong, right? And... Um, you know, at least much stronger than the Imperial variants. So, um, yeah, I think this adds a lot of interesting stuff. I definitely won't be mucking around later on Battlescribe uh, contemplating lists. Uh, I would never do <laughs> such a thing. I would not be, uh, that would not be wise. Um, but genuinely, I think there's a, there's a real potential appetite to, to do something interesting with that. I mean, if I was to revisit Chaos, you know, I'd probably try and revisit the Crimson Slaughter. I, I, I built up a real affinity for the Crimson Slaughter. Mm. Do you remember the Crimson Slaughter? I do not. So the Crimson Slaughter were the Chaos Space Marines that, uh, uh, renegade Chaos Space Marines that fell to chaos um, during the events of, um, oh, what was it called now? Dark, uh, the, the um, sixth edition box set with Dark Angels. Dark Vengeance. Dark Vengeance, yes. So um, they were the uh, the counterpart to the Dark oh, Angels yeah. and the Dark Vengeance box I remember set. them. Um, and they were really interesting because they were all red and berserk and crazy because they were driven mad and being essentially... It was almost like World Eaters in the sense that they had, like, rather than having the nails that were driving them to, uh, you know, comp- uh, uh, do, you know, further acts of violence, they were just kind of... Uh, you know, riddled with this pain and this hunger that could only be satisfied by killing. Um, and they were just driven mad, but everyone all assumed because of that, that they were like a corn, um, thing, but they were actually Zench, uh, which I always mm. thought was quite funny. Yeah. Cause um, yeah, they had a sorcerer, didn't they? They, sorcerer they did have Lord. sorcerers. And, um, but yeah, it's cause, cause obviously Zench is the Lord of change and, you know, he was changing and mutating them. So they were, they had a lot of, um, um, you know, had a lot possessed and all that kind of stuff and had a lot more kind of Baroque, kind of crazy mutated armor because they were just really, really uh, struggling with, uh, you know, the changes that Zench was uh, placing upon them. So I really liked that, uh, that, that concept in that army. So mm. yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, yeah. maybe 
I, I think cultists, like obviously you got the new cultists plus the new like cultist possessed models mm. alongside demons would look really good, I think. Mm. The only thing with the Crimson Slaughter is is that they didn't really, really muck around with um, cultists all that much. No. They were, because um, there's a renegade chapter of Space Marines that were on the killing spree, they didn't really worry too much about cultists it wasn't really their jam um although weirdly i feel like the cultist kit was actually sold alongside them it was yeah you got the plastic cultists um and then a couple of space marines and then the chaos lord with his little familiar oh you're not wrong so maybe i'm wrong about that cultist assertion maybe they were well in with uh with cultists i think every space marine chapter will use cultists in some fashion even Mm. because they they love a bit of cannon fodder don't they those chaos marines yeah, yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe if they are even more cultist centric, um, maybe then I need to maybe strongly consider these things. You know, get my uh, get my cultists going. Uh, hashtag New Year, New Army, twenty twenty three. Maybe RFW three, baby. Oh, do it, do it, Dan. Do it, do it, do it. Well, you know, got things going on otherwise, so we'll let those resolve, and then I'll. Uh, I've got a lot of Warhammer I need to sell. I'm thinking of just chucking it all on eBay in one lot and just being like, let's just get rid of it and see what I get for it. But maybe I'll plug it on this podcast in an intro and be like, hey, guys, just so you know, I'm going to sell all of this. Someone buy it off me, please, because at the moment it's just been it's just been hell trying to get rid of it all. It's like, it's just, yeah. Anyway, there you go. Because I do need to get rid of it all because I've just got boxes of it doing nothing. I mean, around me is just sprues and... You know, I haven't actually sat down to build Warhammer properly in months um, just because I've just been so busy with all sorts of things. But um, there you go. Here's what it is. Grumble, grumble. Chaos Demons. Much approved. Anything from you, Phil? Five star. Transitional noise. All right, all, it's the end of the show where me and Phil have general chit-chat about things which is going on in the general hobby as well as our own day-to-day lives. You're right, Phil. Did you enjoy that podcast that we haven't recorded yet? Uh, I'm sure I will. Yes, yes. Never a dull moment when talking through a uh, a codex. Am I right? Uh, well, that is actually true. Oh, God, I forgot it was the Codex. Yeah, what, what a great episode. What a great episode of five plus hours talking about Chaos Demons. It, it was a blast. Um, although saying that, the last few have been pretty good fun. So, um, yeah, yeah. Are, are, I, I'm actually more looking forward. Not that I've actually... We, we haven't actually done the Chaos Demons one yet, as we've alluded to. No, but I'm sure it'll no. be fun. However, I'm more looking forward to the Leagues of Votan because, uh, as I've always said, I do like squats, even though these aren't really squats. Uh, are you are you trying to kind of uh, go back on all of the things you've said about the range of squats up until this well, point? Well, no, no. And, and the thing is, I've even I've publicly stated it on a post on Instagram very recently that I think they are slightly growing on me to an extent, oh only, a, only a small extent. Um, basically, having seen other like members of the community, the privileged ones that get sent the early access copies uh, for and them to paint them. up. 
Uh, well, I don't think they're leaking them, but, but they're, they're painting up their own models, right? Uh, someone is. So, some of those look pretty good. Like, they've done good paint jobs on them, and they've converted them up, and they look more interesting than how they look in the sort of standard promo uh, artwork that we've um, seen so far. And as I said before, actually, the actual artwork looks phenomenal i think they look really great there but it's how that gets translated to a model that just somehow gets lost in translation i think it's like the heroic scale and the proportions just change and then maybe it's the 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 way the model is posed or the the angle of the photo plus the color scheme i don't think have done it justice uh so i've always had that caveat of i'll wait till i see it in person and i think when I see some of them in person, I'll be like, these are cool. Because I do think the, the bog standard troops look pretty good. Um, yeah, they're okay. Oh, I quite like them. I just wish they would probably lean more into that weird NASA look if they're going to do it. Um, I, yeah, let's not dwell on it too much. Um, but I think some of it does look good. Uh, I don't think I'm going to suddenly love the trikes anytime soon because they just look a bit rubbish to me still. And I imagine they forever will. And if there's a day when I say I love them, Dan, that's when you know I've been taken over by the mind aliens and they've <laughs> possessed me. I mean, I think we both said at various points that it's almost certain that people will do things with those kits that make them look incredible, right? Like there will definitely be painters out there who are making gorgeous league sort of Voltan models, but the miniatures themselves have been relatively underwhelming in places, not all of them, um, but, but, but a great many of them have not really excited me up, up until this point. And, you know, although I'm seeing some really gorgeous, like orange and yellow and red color schemes that people are doing with them that all look very, very cool, it's still, yeah, it's not grabbing my attention um, in the same way as, uh, you know, other ranges have done. But, um, yeah. Look, I think the thing that's really interesting about Leagues of Voltan at the moment, though, is it, it seems like the only people who are really, 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 really into them at the moment is like the super competitive scene. It seems like, and it's the weirdest thing watching it happen, right? Like, I appreciate it's been a while since, like, a competitive book has come along that's been this necessarily strong as people are alluding to. We haven't read it yet, so we don't know. Uh, Despite it being leaked everywhere, I I can't be bothered to read it. Uh, And I will save my opinions until we get the book in our hands and and review it for uh, for this pod. But... Uh, yeah, it just seems interesting because the majority of people who seem to be excited about it are the competitive guys who all seem to be falling over themselves to buy it just because obviously they want to win whatever big tournament's coming up next. I suspect for us here in the UK and Europe, that might be the London Grand Tournament. Um, but yeah, like it feels like the, the usual kind of competitive uh, spokespeople are getting all really, really excited about this book. Um and I think in a way it's interesting because it, it demonstrates to me how far I've gone in terms of my hobby journey and how little I currently care about competitive 40k because like literally couldn't even care less about the rules for these guys or what they're going to do on the tabletop. I'm just so beyond worrying about super competitive 40k that I'm just like, oh, cool, yeah, whatever. So I guess people will be winning with them. Great. It's like, it's just... 
it's just an interesting thing to watch, um, you know, f- with a bit more of a kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, with a bit more of a removed view. Yeah, like, like a step back from that competitive uh, mindset and more of the general, mm. I guess, holistic, like hobby, well, hobby view of it. And uh, it's 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 weird though, isn't it? Right, because it, it's like. I accept now that, you know, I think if you want to be good at competitive 40k, you have to basically, well, if you, if you really want to be good at competitive 40k, you've got to get to a point where you are in the inner circle of playtesters and or previewers that get things early so as you can be in a position to have built everything before anyone else has a chance. Um, and then, you know, show up and exploit the two months of, uh, of power that you get to enjoy. Um, before um, the new book comes along or um, the the scene works out kind of counters or there is a degree of neutralizing that goes on through FAQs, erratas and, mm. um, you know, balance yeah. data slates, etc. cetera. Um, but that's the thing. It feels like now in the competitive scene, unless you happen to be one of the, uh, you know, high-ranking influencers that are giving everything in advance, it doesn't really feel like very many other people have a sniff anymore because... Essentially, the way you stay good at competitive 40k is you need to basically have Games Workshop send you everything for free or be in a privileged position where you are able to, um, you know, get people to, you know, paint your stuff for you or whatever. You basically need to be able to churn through it, spend hundreds of quid and ride it for like two months and then, and then, and then be ready to move on to the next thing. I'm sure there are people that, that do do well that aren't like a uh, play tester or an affiliate of games workshop or a preview mm. person but you've got to spend a lot of money right and you're going to recycle your armies there are people that turn up to tournaments with barely painted armies that are sort of quickly base coated done sort of a bit haphazardly and then will mm. probably be flogging that army after that tournament because they're then on mm. to the next thing and if i mean if some people find enjoyment out of that to me that's not the hobby that i would enjoy and it I, seems madness I have that people enjoyed that in the past. want to do that um, i have enjoyed it in the past it's just the thing is is i think i've just gotten to the end of that meat grinder where i'm like chasing that yeah because I, really I, I imagine there is an excitement to it and people do get really competitive and like oh i want to mm. do well and they they get that um sort of burning fire of enthusiasm to do that but as you say i think they burn out quite quickly and even after probably six months to a year people are like oh okay is this what it is is this what i've got to maintain constantly because because mm. especially with eighth and ninth edition you've you've had a very steady flow of codexes pretty much non-stop um and what will be interesting is once guard come out you've i mean it is probably only going to be like a six month window but you've got a period where there are no new codexes coming out what are those competitive people going to lean on to do well I suspect there will be other books, sort of like a Psychic Awakening type vibes that will drip feed a couple of new models plus a bunch of new rules for people to stay competitive. Um, Yeah, but we've been saying it for a long time about how people who are playtesters have an obscene advantage uh, ahead of other people. And you could fix it quite simply one of two ways. Either A, ban those people from tournaments which everyone would well not everyone those people would probably say that's unfair 
even though they do have an action advantage, or B, uh, not let codexes be playable until an FAQ has come out for them. Because by that time, that is a good like one, two months after the codex has come out, by which time everyone else has had a fair chance to build and paint up an army, uh, especially if it's a new one like Voter. Um, but also, chances are the, the the egregious problematic areas of that codex have hopefully been fixed as well. So they're not getting that sort of obscene advantage by having that sort of... Uh, a, either free stuff or just early access to rules uh so that yeah. would fix it i would have thought i think in some instances though as well i think a great many of the kind of main spokespeople people who kind of uh you know dictate what the rules are and how competitive should be you know the leaders of the competitive scene are often the ones that are themselves benefiting from this kind of uh you know tilted system as it were so it's often the case that the people who could and should probably advocate for a better, more fair competitive scene are the ones that benefit from it being like this. So they ultimately enjoy maintaining what they have, which is fair enough, right? Like I, I get, I get where people are coming from with that kind of stuff. And I understand that actually having these churn of books is actually probably better for the, you know, for the health of the, of the scene, because it means that things are always changing and, stuff is you know happening but i think it actually it's a shame in other ways though because you know i think it removes some of the you know experimentation and and uh and 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 create situations where you're always just kind of chasing that next you know that next high that next broken thing and anyway it's just been really interesting with leagues just to watch um watch the the sort of competitive scene get excited about it um and you know, as I understand it, the, the 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 website for Games Workshop was pretty busy yesterday with 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 people obviously getting in there to get their to get their their box sets. And I mean, that's fantastic, right? Like, regardless of the motivation, if Games Workshop is selling squats, if people are liking them, if it's a, success, a successful launch for them. I'm really happy for them. I'm really happy for the people in the competitive scene who are getting a powerful book that they are excited to play. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that this is a negative. I'm just saying that it it's, it's an interesting time within the kind of community, because I think, I think weirdly squats have ended up in this weird sort of divisive place where the mod miniatures have been met with mixed feelings. Um, maybe I speak from a blinkered perspective because I myself have had mixed feelings towards that range. Um, but I've heard those feelings echoed by many other hobbyists, mm. um, many other painters who painted at an extraordinarily high level, far more accomplished than my own. Um, you know, so I've heard a lot of mixed emotions about this release from, from that side of the community. Um, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about when we were talking about the leaks, which was that, you know, is there a chance that, you know, this is played into Games Workshop's hands that, People have obviously been able to get hold of these leaks and become excited about how strong this army is and are now falling over themselves to uh, to get it because, you know, again, the London Grand Tournament's coming up. So, you know, really need those squads because they're going to be the things that take me to the top. But it's weird even with that because it's like you're not even getting the full range of the no. squats. You're getting the army box, which is very small. It's like mostly infantry plus yeah, the, yeah. the um hover trikes uh, and a couple of characters right it's 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 not probably most of the good stuff because it seems like the was it hecton land fortress is one thing that people are raving about 
Um, it'd be interesting to see how that actually plays in practicality, because I feel like even if the rules are quite good, it's just too big a model to be uh, practically move around the table. Uh, but then I don't actually know the actual scale of it, right? Like you see pictures yeah, of it. I mean, it, it feels it's like land, it's a land raider size, land raider size, if not bigger. It's definitely taller, I would say. But it'd be interesting to see how big it actually is on, like you know, in comparison to other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, regardless, I think yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting time with um, leagues of Voltan, I think, um, or the squats as we otherwise call them. Um, you know. Obviously, it's amazing to see the incredible stuff that people are doing from a painting perspective. It's just interesting to kind of also see how the competitive scene is sort of taking to them and just how uh, mad they they are. I mean, it seems like mechanic-wise, they've got a few very strange, um, you know, decisions which which are just a bit odd. Um, I hear that uh, you can't re-roll to wound against them at all. Um, and that they have a mechanic where they auto wound on uh, numbers decreasing down. Yeah, as as so that they pre- they previewed that in the that's like the grudge token system. So by default, I think it's a, a six to hit auto wounds, which is like the as I said in the previous episode, like it's it's like the guard mechanic for the balanced status slate. Whereas um, if you've got another grudge token on it, it's like a, a hit of a five auto wounds, and then you can go up to like a hit of a four auto wounds, which is crazy strong, especially with some of their um, like high strength single shot weapons. And I, I think the more interesting thing, and this is, you know, we can discuss it now because they've previewed it, but I'm sure we'll get into it more in detail in the actual Codex episode, is they've got a ton of unique weapon profiles and actual like you know, actual weapon types. So they don't use like heavy rain, so heavy rapid fire assault weapons. They've got their own types, which is sort of puzzling that they've introduced them into just this one codex, especially when some of them could easily be on others. So they've got like a beam weapon, which is a concept that's been used a bunch of times, but here it's like a specific type where, you know, you draw a line from one unit to the firing model and everything under that line gets hit. Um, mm. You've got the, I can't remember what it's called, it's like something like High Laz or something. It's basically a standard weapon. It's like a heavy weapon that doesn't have a uh, heavy weapon negative. Like you can move and still shoot, but it's not rapid fire and it's not assault. It's just, it does this many shots. No matter, like, you can move and you can shoot, but you obviously can't advance and shoot, as far as I'm aware. And it's it's quite interesting, because I was like, why isn't that just in the game as as a default weapon type for everyone? Like, why is, has every gun got to have a sort of mechanic? Whereas this is almost like, it's just a standard weapon. You can move and you can shoot it, and that's the number of shots you do. There's no gimmick to it. And it's interesting that it's only until now that they've actually introduced that into the game, specifically for them. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's a shame, though, as well, though, isn't it, that in this version of the game that they've started, again, adding layers of complexity even into weapon profile types, right, where it's like before... Well, it was DACA know, was the first one that they added Yeah, in. DACA was the first one, yeah. Um, they've even done it to, like, saves now with, with demon saves, and mm-hmm. they've, you know, they, they, they're layering it in ways that it's like, again, it, it beautifully illustrates how little the core rules of this game really matter uh, in the sense that like it's like literally you may as well really now say with the core rules it's just this is how movement works this is this is uh the broad concepts around shooting and wounding 
um, and this is the assault phase, but, which but, is, I suppose, but, all but it everything is, is. But everything is subject to change based on your particular rule set. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think in part that is because they, from eighth edition, try to shrink the rules down to that like four pages, or was it even? Mm, mm. Yeah, it was, it was four pages, wasn't it? Yeah, and they were like, okay, let's shrink everything down. So that means, okay, well, we've just got to cut stuff out, and where do we put that? They haven't removed it from the game. They've just moved it from the core rules to an individual codex. But obviously that ends up, you know, having a lot of repetition throughout all of those codexes where, you know, you could argue, well, that's where universal special rules were good and quite useful. Although the criticism I've seen about the new Horus Heresy book is a bunch of those universal special rules aren't in the core rule book. There, there's some there, which is like the main ones, but then every army book like the Liber Astartes, Liber Hereticus, all have some universal special rules in those ones as well. So if you're a Space Marine uh, player, you're potentially looking in two different books for your universal special rules, and it's not obvious where they are. Whereas if they were just all in the core rule book, even though that would make it bigger, ultimately you know you've got to one source to, to go to to look for those um, special rules. Um, whereas now it's sort of like they've done it the extreme opposite end where it's just all in the codex, uh, for your book, but your book might, may be completely different to your opponent's book. So every rule is always different. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, it's interesting, isn't it? I know we've said it a lot here, but it's, you know, it's interesting how much 8th slash 9th edition has divorced itself from any real kind of like core mechanics and it's just it's all about the data sheet now isn't it it's like as i keep saying it's a three-dimensional magic the gathering it, it you know the models and where they reside um are ultimately you know kind of indicators of 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 abilities which are ultimately then implemented in conjunction with what it says on your data sheet ultimately and um you know it used to be that you know don't get me wrong it used to be that the, the warhammer was you know, a war game with a lot of weird nuance and um, very odd kind of uh, scenarios as a result of its ever-expanding range. I think one of the advantages of games like Bolt Action is that Bolt Action only has to account for infantry, fighting infantry against tanks, and then if they want, they can sprinkle a bit of planes in, but the rules they've got for planes are relatively... You know, relatively unintrusive. Yeah, you, the, you are the... call, calling in a, a an airstrike that does a yeah. strafing run, and you get a chance uh, with your anti aircraft to shoot at it uh, before mm. it it can do its attack run. But and yeah. that's normally like a once per game ability uh, doing yeah. the actual attack run. So it's not something you'll be doing every single turn. It's not something that's flying around the table like it is in forty k and stuff. So yeah, I think the way they've done it is much more streamlined but it's easier to do for them because it's all historically based where as you say it's infantry v infantry and you know tanks are there as well yeah. and that's kind but, of all they have to worry about they don't have to worry about galactic space bugs or giant yeah, gods yeah. and things like that but but that was the thing with 40k of old right up until up until fifth edition the game was all infantry big monsters and tanks right like mm. that was it right it was it was infantry cavalry bikes um uh you had jump swarms infantry. as well yeah swarms and but the point is it was mostly stuff on foot stuff on wheels or on four feet um and uh stuff in in vehicle in, in bigger vehicles yeah. 
or, or, or stuff skimmers that was, and stuff like that. Skimmers, which were, yeah, which were like whatever. But the point was, even that, I suppose, is pretty expansive. But the moment they went, oh, and here's super heavies. Oh, and here's flyers. And here's fortifications. Here's, um, yeah. Fortifications. And, it's, and it just, and, and I understand why eighth and ninth were essentially what they needed to create because the system based gameplay mechanics that fuel older editions don't work with all of this you know, size and scale and things. It just, it doesn't function in that way. So it makes sense that they did what they did. It would just be nice to see some consistent system mechanics in it, um, even though I know that it's difficult, as I've already outlined. I just think, yeah, I like that kind of consistency because it just helps with the flow of gameplay. So when you start going, oh, here's a new weapon that operates completely differently from all other weapons, it's like, ah. Uh, it's like surely within rapid fire assault heavy um and uh pistol melee you know but within those five categories should incorporate all of it right but i guess it doesn't anymore so fair enough <laughs> no that's true uh what was interesting so i uh despite dunking on it i think in the last episode uh have been reading the latest episode of episode oh, issue yeah. of white dwarf uh there was quite an interesting article on that um and it was talking about the the game of 40k and how models should represent visually um effectively like WYSIWYG, but more right. meta WYSIWYG, uh what everything does so the idea was if you look at a, a unit and it's got a big gun in it that big gun should probably be like a cool anti-tank weapon and if you look at a big vehicle you know that's tough and durable so therefore has either got high toughness or high wounds and basically the idea is you should be able to visually at a glance look at someone's army and know roughly what everything does in terms of its power level they were like oh yes if you've got a big floating is it like homunculus you know the big ones that joe likes or for his dark elder, the Talos. Yeah, if you like, you got them. You should know they should be more scary than some infantry because they're big and scary looking. And I was, I was thinking about it, and I was like, to an extent, they're right, but at the same time, they're completely wrong as well. Because quite often, especially when it comes to uh, like Elder or Drakari, especially half the time, I've just got no idea what the stuff does. And actually, the really scary stuff is the the swarm of. 10 plus like tiny ladies on foot that are just running around being murder machines with their nets and stuff and not actually the big scary looking models that while are tough and durable maybe aren't that scary in close combat in comparison to some of the other units so i, I appreciated that the the designer of 40k was basically saying yes everything should visually represent how mm. good it is in the game i sometimes think especially maybe with the more Xenos stuff, that it's actually really hard to tell that. And the intention behind it is great, but I don't think they've they've done it very well in the game, at least because the amount of times I always ask my opponents, okay, what have you got? That can, what's good at anti-tank? What's good at killing infantries? It's like, I've got to ask them that. I can't just visually oh, yeah. tell it from looking at their army. I, th- I think when it comes to Space Marines, it's pretty obvious, actually. Things like Space Marines and Guard are pretty self-explanatory because they're almost like the most realistic 
real world sort of comparisons but when it comes to sort of more esoteric parts of people's armies that's not actually uh the case uh and as you say like in terms of it being like a card game is uh it's like well one unit could be pretty average but as soon as you apply a bunch of stratagems to it it could suddenly become mm. way better than it's uh visually indicating yeah. that it is it, yeah i think yeah i mean it's lovely to hear him say that um but it's not you're absolutely right it's not true uh, for one and for two again one of their major issues with 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 the way that uh, this edition plays is is that it's all about the number right like it, it, as has been established through eighth and throughout ninth although they have done better because what they have essentially done to kind of answer this problem was try and increase lethality within um certain uh, you know, like weapon types and, and, and so on and so forth. Like the blast special rule was introduced as a means of trying to address some of these problems. But the reality of the situation is still the same, which is that uh, numeracy often will trump all other attributes, as it were. If you have more numbers, um, you will you will always uh, you will always perform stronger. Yeah. Uh, that that I think is like an inherent, almost like a flaw. Yes, of the it is whole a massive system, flaw in the system, right? and that's just because it's a, a dice number. But it, but but it it's wasn't also a flaw when of the system like, of old. The system of old had very sophisticated mechanics I, that actually managed numbers. Numbers in the old editions yeah, I, were a negative. Normally, you wanted minimum sized units. You you very rarely wanted big volume, and also elite units had a lethality to them that that countered you know the the the, the numerous unit you know if you if you swarmed a unit of incubi with um with 30 orcs in um uh, 5th or 6th or 7th edition though admittedly i mean that's a bad example because orcs had a bunch of leadership things that made it difficult for them to be removed um so let's change the example and go if you had um 30 God, Gretchen doesn't seem like an appropriate example, but um, yeah, I don't know if you had like 20 Necron warriors, because uh, you used to get them in squads of 20, I believe, and they swarmed around some incubi. Uh, in the current edition, uh, those incubi are in for a long night because they, they, they those Necrons aren't going anywhere because they're getting back up and you can't do enough attacks to kill them all. And then ultimately they've got high leadership and it doesn't even matter because only a portion of them are going to run away anyway. Um, Cause it's all, you know, so basically it turned, it turns into one of those things where a 20 man unit that maybe costs you 200 points uh, or maybe 150 points will run into a, you know, 200 point unit. And although it's not necessarily winning, uh, it's doing well enough, and because of the um, attrition of numbers, eventually it will probably end up being in a more advantageous position. Whereas in the old edition, the incubi would go, well, I'm initiative five and weapon skill five. What are you? I'm initiative two and weapon skill three. Cool. Slice you up. Roll a leadership test. Uh, okay. You minus, I don't know, say like seven of them died uh, to that initial barrage of attacks. And be like, okay, well, minus seven to your leadership. You're running away. Your initiative is two. My initiative is five. I roll a three. You roll a four. Oh dear! I've chopped you all down. So the whole unit's gone, right? Like that was a mechanic that 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 helped manage those problems and made elite units feel elite. Whereas now it's like doesn't really matter if that's an elite unit because it's just been hit by twenty of something, um, and although it might kill ten of that something, it's still going to be stuck there dealing with it. Um, 
you know, for turns to come. Yeah, I think in 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 part it's also due to <clears throat> like uh, the weight of numbers is a big thing because you have so many benefits that trigger on like an unmodified hit roll or a wound roll of a six. So therefore. It doesn't matter that your ballistic is only a five. If you can give yourself all re-rolls, it's like, cool, no matter what, I'm just yeah. looking for those sixes. Even, like, space means they hit on freeze. Sometimes you're like, cool, I'm going to re-roll the, the freeze, the fours, and the fives because I want a six, because a six is a mortal wound yeah. or it's something. So actually, it's just that fishing for a number sort of breaks the game. And as you said, the reason why there's that's not, that wasn't very prevalent in previous editions is just because I don't really have mm. those mechanics. Um, you occasionally had stuff like, Oh, a wound roll of a six gave you like rending or something and you'd, uh, you get better AP and stuff, but it's not as prevalent as it is where pretty much most armies do have that kind of aim mechanic where, where you want, you just want volume of shots and it doesn't necessarily matter what the strength is. Um, yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what they were saying. They also talked about, um, you know, terrain being, being a big factor of the game, almost as if it was designed by intention. And I remember reading that bit of the article going, well, that's wrong. Basically, people have added terrain into the game because of how lethal the game was, not, uh, you know, as a, as a mechanic that you deliberately designed. Um, and it felt like obviously obscuring was a reaction to that to to make line of sight more important as well, which is what they were then claiming was there, you know, visually uh, makes sense. If you can't see it, you can't shoot at it. And it's like, well, yes, but that's always been part of the game. In fact, it was more accurate in older editions because if you you could if there was one guy poking his head around the corner of a, uh, as part of a unit you could actually only kill that one guy that was visible to your unit whereas now it's like cool i can actually technically kill the whole unit even though i can only see one of them uh so weirdly line of sight they were claiming is 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 more representative but actually i think it's less representative of uh you know real life mechanics and and how how it kind of would work as a sort of more as a as a tabletop simulation yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right, mate. I think it's really interesting how they've uh, developed all of this. And, yeah, to suggest that terrain, yeah, it's, yeah. But I, I think there's the problem. I, I I think, yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say at this point. All I'm going to say is is I hope they get it better and I hope they get it right in 10th edition because I feel like, and again, this might be a bit of an extreme statement, um, but I feel like 40k is on a bit of a, a knife edge in terms of its, uh, in terms of where it's at right now. I think, I think people, I think a large percentage of people have, 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 you know, fallen out of love with the game. And I think, um, I think they're finding it challenging to, um, to, to keep on playing with the way things are. And I think when people hear about how amazingly ridiculous the leagues of Voltan are, they're not going, Oh man, I gotta go out and get it. They're going, of course, this game's mad. Like, you know, like it's just sort of that thing where it's like, ugh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I think I think that's right, and it'll be interesting because tenth edition will either put people off forty k, not necessarily for good, but for a long period of time if it's not good, or it will draw those people back in. Because I think eighth edition got loads mm. of new players or old players that haven't played for a long t- period of time back into the game, and then it felt like it was having a bit of a renaissance because the uh, the rules were pretty easy to pick up and. 
everything felt a lot more balanced even though that yeah there were broken stuff and it felt like you were on a journey with games workshop where they were releasing new rules every few months with the um kind of quarterly updates and stuff and it felt like you were on a journey with them to sort of almost like play test the game and it was, it was quite a, a fun period of time uh and it felt like they, they they've ditched that concept for ninth and gone here it is uh, but each new codex would come along and fundamentally change how the game works for that army and break stuff and the power level would go up and stuff. So it'd be interesting what they do with 10th, if it brings people back or, or puts people off. Um, I saw Dave from Mini War Gaming uh, do a tweet a few days ago asking people what they thought of the kind of current state of the game of 40k. And I had a quick flick through the comments, and so many of them were basically like, yeah, I'm just done with the game. Like, it's the power creep, it's the constant churn of new rules, um, or the speed at which, you know, rules are always changing, whether that's the balance update or what have you. But I think most people were still like, but I still mm. love 40k, I still love the setting of it, I still love buying and painting my models. But I think a lot of people are just put off by the actual game as it stands, and, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people we know uh, sort of feel qu- oh, quite totally. similar to that, where it's like, yeah, we always mm. love 40k, no matter what. But whether you love 40k, the game is very different from the other hobby aspects of 40k. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how that gets addressed or changed um, in yeah. competition. And again, to be completely transparent, I'm pulling for it. I want it to be massively successful. It is my keen desire that uh, that 40k go from strength to strength. And I am super hopeful that 10th edition is going to be incredible because the last person who wants to be unhappy about the state of the game is me because I have always been a keen 40k player. I have always loved it. I love the community. I love being involved in it. I think it is a really uh, enriching, life-enhancing thing uh, that I have that, you know, really makes me very happy. So I desperately want 40k to be good again. Um, not that I don't necessarily think it's extraordinarily bad right now. It's just that it's, it's just, it's hard to defend it at the moment. And like, like you said, Phil, when you hear the sentiment from the wider community and we get statements like, I love it, but, um, and yeah, I think that's, I think that's the shame of it. I just want it to be. I wanted to be universally great again. And and again, I've always said fifth edition is definitely one of my favorite editions. Um, but I probably had all things being equal, the most fun playing eighth. Hmm. Yeah. That's fair enough. I, I think eighth was a, a fun period of time. And I don't know if that's just because that was oh, actually, we, we were quite established at playing 40 K and going to yeah. like, you know, Warhammer world on a regular basis by then. Cause we, sort of well i got back into it in like tail end of six all of seventh so eighth was a really interesting time um uh yeah probably did i have the most interesting stories there was a great um uh interview recently not rick Priestley. it was alessio the other guy he he works for warlord Uh, no no he's uh, one of the ex games workshop guys um that worked for it works for Warlord Games. So Warlord Games have just had their big um like kind of Warhammer Fest, like their Warlord mm. Games Day. And there was a bunch of interviews with that and one of the guys asked uh, they were talking about like 
uh, rules that kind of break uh, that are just a bit busted, right? And he was talking about vortex grenades uh, and other stuff. Talking about vortex grenades back in like second, third edition. He was like, they were kind of awful. They they broke the game. It was like, oh yes, I've hit your really elite unit or vehicle with your elite unit inside, and it's just dead. Like, so it's off the table, it's completely removed. And he's like, that's kind of a terrible thing to happen to you. But he's like, but it's also really memorable. And it's like these memorable stories that you have um, with the kind of busted rules of a stuff that he's like, sort of like, so long as it's fun and memorable, that kind of sometimes trumps it being actually a good rule. So he was saying, if you're having, if you're going to write a bad rule for a game, make sure it's uh, enjoyable. <laughs> well, not necessarily enjoyable. Make sure it's memorable. I think was his takeaway point, and that was, um, oh, was it Andy Chambers? Yeah, yeah. Might have been Andy Chambers. I can't remember. I do apologise. Um, if you go to the uh, Yeah Wardle Games uh, YouTube channel, there's a bunch of like uh, uh, interviews and stuff out there at the moment. So just go have a look because it was there, and that, that was quite interesting because they're all obviously all X Games Workshop employees, so they all have little snippets of stories about the older days of uh, Games Workshop on 40k and stuff. So that was a, an insightful uh, piece of commentary uh, about about a rules mechanic of if it's not good, make it memorable. So it's like, oh, that's interesting. So it does make you go sometimes where you used to hate certain rules and even to this day we always kind of say yeah pie plates and templates were sort of bad but at the same time i do have a real fond memory of it which is why they made it into our list of things we want to we're glad to see back in horror heresy because like i do remember really enjoying them even though they were often a source of arguments about what's actually under it or where it's scattering to and stuff like that yeah i think legitimately the uh yeah, the pie plate issue uh, was very real, and uh, but I think at the same point, you know, often in my opinion with that stuff, the pros did feel like it sort of outweighed the cons, and and not having them there is uh, does feel like a loss. I mean, I definitely remember the tactile uh, delight, as it were, of um, you know when I was a kid trying to work out what guns it were that uh that fired the massive template like you know when you got like the 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 um, mm. the old second edition um template um you know push out card ones you're like what fires this right, <laughs> like, yeah. you know like i need to find the guns <laughs> that use the heavy flamer template i need to find the guns that use the the large blast these are the things i want in my army not realizing that a lot weirdly a lot of those massive templates actually had quite low strength which was kind of a weird thing it was always like it was always like, oh, this is strength four, whereas the small one's strength ten. You're like, what? What? But it's the bigger blast! <laughs> yeah, I, it sort of feels counterintuitive, but you're right. I think the bigger blast is yes. more like shrapnel rather than like a concentrated yeah, yeah, yeah. explosion. And I stuff mean, they like did that, start so. adding like loads of weird mechanics where they're like, oh, if you're in the cir- central circle, then you've got, you know, that's the X damage. Yes, more damage. Of, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. But again, I mean, you know, he's absolutely right, though. The Vortex Grenade was uh, was an interesting rule back in the day. Uh, the one I always remember was the Graviton Gun. Uh, do you remember the Graviton Gun, Phil, from 2nd Edition? Um, I, I do, because I converted one up for, weirdly, a Space Marine, because back in the day I had a... a I, it wasn't even an army. It was a unit of um, Legion of the Damned plus a couple of Amazing. characters that I converted up. Uh, which was funny because I always thought my force was my first Space Marine army, and then I remembered back in the day I did have a very small Space Marine force uh, back in yeah the second edition. It would well, been, the Graviton yeah. gun 
was tremendous because uh, you could put it on a tech marine. Um, and the tech marine was great because he had ballistic skill five, which in modern 40k terminology is ballistic skill two plus. And then you could also mm. give him a jump pack. Um, and the graviton gun was crazy, which was literally you hit the thing you're shooting at and then it puts it in a, and then it had to roll like a toughness test or something. In fact, I don't even think there was a toughness test. I think it was literally, if you hit something with a graviton gun, they, uh, they basically are put into like a little gravity whale and then basically just sent off. I, I thought it was you, you, you wounded it on its save roll. No, so you're thinking you, about, you're thinking about think gravity, graviton guns as they were in like, uh, sixth, seventh edition when they introduced them there. Oh, uh, okay. Back in second edition, it was a war gear card. It was literally a six-inch range pistol. And it literally, uh, it was just right, a one-shot yeah. kill. So you could run up to, like, I don't know, a, a really double-hard character and be like, there's Marnius Kalgar, gravity gun. And then it was just like, bye, Marnius, as he floats off into the moon. To the moon. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I loved it. It was so dumb. But again, to your point, really broken mechanically, but you could build it in and... Yeah, like the one I always used to use as well was I always used to put a vortex grenade on my webway on my uh, warp spider exarch. So I would always punt my warp spider exarch up the other end and go vortex grenade. <laughs> and just which... no, nice. Yeah, because I, I think he was relating it to another game that they do. I can't remember which one it was, but they were sort of saying one of the balancing mechanics is to make it like you can't pick these weapons like they're they're randomly drawn from like a deck at the beginning of a game that you can then assign to characters so yeah the vortex grenade or whatever their equivalent is is in there but you can't always choose it and it just spices up uh, the game when someone does draw it for their army because yes it's going to be really powerful but it's it's a one-shot weapon uh, and you're not always guaranteed to get it yeah, and stuff yeah. like that so no, i agree i do like it uh well, there you go. Look that. where leagues of Votan t- took us, Phil. Um, you know, somewhere else we went recently uh, in the name of mystery. We, uh, me and Phil did uh, one of them big open world. Uh, uh, immersive, immersive experience. experience. Yeah, the open world adventure of Phantom Peak. We did that the other day. I actually took a photo of us, Phil, in uh, in, in situ and then uh, posted it on the gram. And uh, people had asked me to you know, talk about it in this podcast. So this is why I'm doing it quickly. Um, So basically it's in London somewhere, Alex and uh, something. No, Canada Canada water. water. That's it. So you go to Canada water. So East London, London. and then you basically go to a place where uh, a bunch of actors are sprinkled around a uh, Western themed kind of like American Western themed uh, facility uh, that ultimately is filled with mysteries. So there's loads of like interactive elements to it. Yeah. It was super fun to be fair. I mean, you know, pretty fresh in my memory. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a nice, uh, nice way to spend, uh, five hours or whatever it was. Was it five hours or four hours? Yeah, no, it was five hours, yeah, because it it's time, so it's only available Friday to Sunday, and you can do, like, a, a five-hour slot. So I guess there's a, a 12 till 5 and a 5 till 10, mm-hmm. which is the one we did. Um, and when we got there initially, it was yes. rammed, right? And the, the basically, throughout the middle, it's basically like a, a an L-shape, not not a wall, but an L-shape, um, kind of path that you can go down. Um, there's, like, shops and arcades, 
lining most of them and all like uh, restaurants and bars uh but it's a very narrow path because through the middle is like a little stream and at the end is like a very miniature lake like a giant paddling pool um and there's a few little offshoots so there's old town which is like a little cave where there's like a bank and a, a, a destroyed blimp of all play of all things um yeah but but really great fun very yeah very narrow corridor so it was a bit of a squeeze initially but i think over time people weren't just blocking the entrance area and filtered out throughout the, the whole um place so it, it got a little bit better to move around a bit later on um but yeah there's there's there's, there's an app that you use to put in codes so, so that sends you on one of the 15 adventures or quest lines i guess if you want to call it that uh use an app which gives you prompts to go somewhere you, you might get a code that you then even need to put in back to the app to send you to the next place you end up speaking to actors there's a bunch of different like interactive video screens which will either play you a video or if you go to the post office you'll get a a message from someone that way or there's a telegram office so you can get sent you can send a telegram and there's lots of little sort of mini mini games that you can do as well um you can try and become a citizen by getting little um free rosettes and you get a rosette for winning a game we never did that because we they're actually incredibly difficult to to hit the score that you need uh so one of them was like a simon says game but you need to do effectively 15 rounds of that to to succeed we also did feed the mare which was a fun one where you're chucking like softball tomatoes at a a giant face and you've got to hit the tongue and uh you need to do that i think 15 as no, well, that was actually, 22 times we got to, oh no 22 Insane. that was it yeah. i got to 12 and i thought yeah, i did yeah. pretty well at that um yeah i mean honestly that was great great fun and it's it's the sort of place i've always imagined like oh this would be a great thing to do where you can go on like little yeah, quest yeah, yeah. lines and have interactive experiences with actors and stuff and this is the one that's come closest to having it fully fledged out whereas Things like Secret Cinema have done it in terms of the, the the setting and the like, the venue and the actors, but there's never really been like mm. secret quests to go on or anything. Whereas this has has done a much better job at doing that. Yeah. Um, I- Although there's a lot of just walking around as well, like going to place A and B. It's 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 the ultimate fetch. Oh quest, mate, basically. tell me about it. There was a lot of walking. Um, word of warning: if you're definitely not someone who wants to walk i don't know i mean I've, we must have walked like three miles over the course what? of the- i i i clocked in eleven thousand yeah. steps yesterday and i basically hadn't done any yeah. other walking that day so what's eleven thousand steps going to in, the uh, venue. In, in miles is that like four or five <sighs> i don't know actually it probably a good 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 two or three at least uh, how many miles um, is ten thousand steps Five miles, apparently. Right, so you go. So it's not, you know, no, no, no. Basically, we spent five hours, or no, at least four hours walking yes. around. I would yeah. say, uh, and then another hour, like uh, we went on a boat ride. <laughs> right, my god, what a, drinks and stuff. What a ridiculous thing that was. I mean, literally, they put you on a crate in a like a in a in a um in like a, a, a small, like, I don't know what you would call it. Like one of those like log flumes you get at like, um, theme parks without the f- log flume drop. Yeah. It's just literally just a small body of water. And they go around talking to you about platypuses, um, and how some guy called Jonko or whatever his name is, Jono, Jonko, J- Jonico. 
It's Jonas is his name, but Jonico is yes, the, that's the right. Yes, I think that founds the that's town. That's it. Yeah. So it was Jonas um, is the founder. So- Jonico is the is the company. There's some secret society yeah, they- trying to kind of do something as well. Oh, the co- cooperative, the cooperative I think yep, it was yep. called, which is like the the secret rebellion. So there's like so that you basically go along and you learn the story yeah, yeah. and the founding of the town, and you obviously meet the citizens. Um, but as you go on these little quests, you find out a bit more about the history. Like you find out like what happened to the blimp and why that yeah, was yeah. destroyed. Uh, but you also find out that you know the founder might be a bit more insidious, and that there are people sort of fighting against think, him and stuff. Um, mild spoiler warnings. Uh, but yeah, there, there's probably more to it. So we did five quests out of technically 15, six because um, we got a secret one. Well, yes, we we discovered yeah. a secret one uh, as well, which was interesting. So yeah, there's lots of fun bits. All the people being in character was hilarious. So and, it, it, um, yeah, my general thoughts on it was, I think the uh, the venue was impressive enough for what it was. I think it was, I mean, based on what it is, it, it's pretty cool. The actors, some of them were tremendous. All of them were great. Um, that was fantastic. The facilities, the the food, the the drink, all really good. Um, expensive, as you would expect, because uh, once you're locked in uh, to Phantom Peak, there's nowhere else to go. Um, so the bars and uh, food options are, are pricey, but not insanely pricey. It's not like they're going, "Oh, do you want a cheeseburger? Yeah. That's twenty quid." Uh, you know, it it was it was you know relatively reasonably priced for you know what it is. I respected that even the vendors were immersed in the world as well. Uh, me and Phil bought some ice cream uh, and we were speaking to the vendor and they continued to, you know, preach the, uh, the, the good word of uh, Jonas and... Uh, oh, well, because I got pistachio and they like, oh, yeah, Jonas, Jonas's is favourite flavour. Um, yeah, absolutely. All the flavours approved by Jonas. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, I think my only complaint is that I didn't, uh, I was a real last minute addition. So Richie organized this shout out to Richie. Um, and he had one of his mates for, uh, drop out on him. Um, so I got added at the last minute and I think two things I've complained about. One, I don't think I, uh, came into it with, uh, the right level of, uh, kind of pre-existing, uh, drunkness as it were. I think you need at least two or three pints before you enter this sort of thing, just to kind of loosen you up to the extent that you're kind of, uh, okay. you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, you want to be a bit involved. more tipsy, just sort of want to be a bit more kind of, uh, up for, uh, or just generally able to, you know, immerse yourself in this stuff a bit better. And I regret that I didn't, uh, have a costume because uh, I think that would have further immersed myself in the moment. I think, I think a lack of costume <laughs> and a lack of, <laughs> Uh, beverages before we got going uh, were my my two things. I I sort of agree because uh, early on, I think it was the the, the 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 chat group that we'd created for. It, I think you missed out on it where we were talking mm. about dressing up because um, Amy wanted to dress up and me and Richie were like, ah, did you have to? Like, there wasn't really much in the FAQ mm-hmm. about dressing up, so I was like, I don't know if people do, and we don't want to look like a character that people are going to come up and talk yeah, to yeah. us by mistake. Um, I don't think that would have ever been a problem and but we did go and we saw people did dress up and i was like mm, yeah i could have at least worn yeah, like yeah, a waistcoat yeah. or something to have sort of felt a bit more in the vibe and i think if i was to go again and i am damn tempted i'm really tempted to go back because i actually i had a great time i liked to every time we completed a quest we got a card and i'm like oh my god i want all the cards i want to do at least all the quests um 
Yeah, I, I sort of feel like there should be some bigger, not overarching story, but like some kind of secret or end game to it, which I don't believe there is. Uh, like if someone did ever complete everything, you'd want them to have something amazing for doing it. And I don't think there will would be that because no one no would be mad. I think you'd have to go back at least twice you'd have to do it three times in total to do everything i think i think think as well Um, the other thing i will say is i think you need three people teams i think i think two is too few but four is too many and i think uh we had five and i think five is even more uh, say I I agree because you you've got to gather around a video screen and, and watch stuff or or read something yeah. on a newspaper or and I, birth certificate and uh, yeah five and I think if you'd big. immersed yourself more in it with I think if you'd had the appropriate level of drink at the start um, and that you would come in a character as a you know a thing I think you would have immersed yourself in the world more and I think if you were in a smaller group I think that would have given you more of an opportunity to kind of share the information it felt a lot like some of the times that we were just kind of we got to a point where we were just trying to rattle through it, where we were like, oh, we want to do another one. And it was sort of like the stories never necessarily felt as immersive to me as they should have done because we were yeah. kind of just uh, focused do, on doing the things. Do, do, do you know what? That that reminds me when, I don't know if it was with you, but definitely with Richie, we, uh, you, I played a few games of Borderlands mm-hmm. with him online and I, I just felt like I was lost <laughs> the whole time. I was, I was running behind everyone, going, "Where are we going? I don't know. What are we doing? I, I've got no idea. I yeah. missed the cutscene. Oh, because I, I, someone else has run up to spoken the guy. Says, like, "I've got no clue mm. what the mission is." Okay, now we're shooting some people. Oh, I'm dead. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've respawned nowhere near anyone. I, I hated it completely. And I can imagine that is a very similar feeling where only the person that gets to the, the, the quest point hears the story and no one else really knows yeah. what's going on. So I think, yeah, as you say, having having smaller groups would help. Because um, I did see, because sometimes we would be waiting for an actor and a group in front would be speaking to them for absolutely ages. And I think that's because they're not just going, okay, right, give yeah, us yeah. the code for the secret mystery uh they're instead actually just uh yeah, enjoying yeah. the moment a bit more taking their time and uh just having some interactive conversations like you uh what was it you said something really funny to to, to sparks um about shells yeah, shields yeah. shields that was it you said something about shields and we had a random joke with him for that a, a, went on for some time about that and it's those moments that make it yeah. a, a lot more enjoyable I yeah think. i think everyone needs to kind of approach it with the same attitude though but i think as well it's it's sort of about I think it's about that shared experience and all the rest of it. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, I think what I enjoyed was the first one is a nice taster, but I agree with you, Phil. I think we should go back. I think we should uh, uh, make the extra effort and uh, try and immerse ourselves in it a bit more. Um, And I will... Maybe you, me, Richie, do a hardcore team, just the three of us. And we're, that's it, we're go dressed that's up. it. That's the way to go. Anyway, there's that. So anyway, yeah, uh, Phantom Peak, that was fun. Um, and uh, I guess we just plugged it. Um, so there you go, Phantom Peak, freebie. Um, oh, the FAQ came out and they got rid of the two-inch engagement range. Uh, I don't mostly care, but Phil, you got any thoughts on that? Um, I, I think the more interesting thing about that is uh, there was a social post by Games Workshop saying, oh, there's an update to the Warhammer 40k FAQ. Every single comment was like, 
what have you changed because there was no purples or magenta colored magentas and blues or whatever um uh, colors on the document it looked like nothing had changed and that's because uh if you delete something they just delete it and there's no notification of them having removed it right so people were like in a change log you even need to say what you've done or you need like a strike through option at least for that version so they basically removed the rule where rather than it being one inch uh, to be in combat in or through a ruin, uh, it's two inches. They just completely removed that. So it took eventually some reading through the comments to see what had actually changed, which was that they'd removed that one thing. Nothing else seems to have changed. Uh, but yeah, the general consensus is if you're going to do updates where you delete stuff from an FAQ, you need to have a visible note that you have deleted something and not just literally remove it and expect people to literally scan the entire document to work out what's changed. Um, the fact that they the actual rule has changed probably for the better because it sounded like when we talked about it, um, it kind of created more problems than it solved. It still doesn't solve the problem like that. The problem still exists now they've removed it, but, you know, People are aware of it. Maybe, oh God, maybe they just introduce a stratagem or something that fixes it. Because that's what all the generic ninth edition stratagems that they added into the game did. It was fix a problem with the, with the rules where it was being abused. So maybe it's a, on a charge, I can t- attack an extra inch or two through a wall. Um, and that would potentially solve all the other I have a a house rule or a um, rule I think they should add to to their various erratas. I think they should add to Armour of Contempt. If both armies have Armour of Contempt, neither army has Armour of Contempt. (laughs) Like, 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 yeah, that sort of would solve it. Yeah, I sort of get that. Although it does actually, it weirdly, it does change the game because it's suddenly like, okay, you've got space means on space means. If you've got minus one AP weapons, they're now not effective at all. I, personally, I would rather change it where Arm of Contempt doesn't stack with mm. cover saves. Um, I think that would be a more useful change uh, across um, sort of most armies. Um it is also weird that some things that do have power armor don't gain it, like uh, an Inquisitor uh, in power armor doesn't get armor of contempt, but cultists for chaos uh, models do get it, even though they're not in power armor, because it's just a generic anyone with this keyword. So I think it'd be nice if armor of contempt was specific to power armor, if they're going to keep at it for, say, 10th edition or further balanced data states going forward for this edition at least be nicer if they could narrow it down to specific units that do mm. have power armor yeah I don't know I think armor of contempt is one of those ridiculous rules that um, that like it, I don't know I don't really understand what the upside is of it it's, it's... well it, it's a it's a sort of layer on a layer to to fix a, a, another problem of the game right that power armor now no longer feels useful because of all the AP in the yeah. game yeah which is 100%. a wide problem but there we go anyway long story short yeah they got rid of uh, the whole two inch uh, within ruins uh, or rather area terrain uh, stipulation uh, which is sensible because it definitely added a lot of extra nuance but then at the same time 
It's obviously being introduced as a means of trying to fix something that they perceived to be a problem, but I guess in this specific instance that the problems that were created in an attempt to fix the problems that were perceived uh, was potentially worse than, uh, than than what they were trying to fix in the first place. So, yeah, long story short, they've, they've, they've gotten rid of it. Um, yeah, fine. Um, you know, again, yet another thing that isn't very helpful for Imperial Knight players. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think uh, between uh, the Leagues of Votan um, and these uh, changes and, few, and and even Demons and other stuff, I think, uh, yeah, crikey, Imperial Knights have really, uh, really dropped off a cliff uh, over the uh, over the last little while. But um, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, pour one out for the uh, for the, uh, the poor Imperial Knight players like myself. You know, feel sorry for me. It's not easy uh, playing Imperial Knights, you know. Um, there you go I reckon that'll do mate uh, a bunch of chat about who knows what uh, a nice way to finish up the pod uh, so we're going to go away now I guess um, yeah yeah goodbye everyone <laughs>